Everyone, this is going to be maybe the best four hours of our whole trip. Four, four hours? about cinematic oddities where we discuss any media that is too bizarre or off kilter for contemporary audiences occasionally these projects gel most times they crash hard into the realm of obscurity join us as we delve into the cult classic swamp i'm zach and you know i know this steak doesn't exist i know that when i put it in my mouth the matrix is telling my brain that it is juicy and delicious after nine years you know what i realize Ignorance is bliss. Insert harp glissando. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Zach, we're doing it. We're discussing, and I I think it's safe to say, but I want to pick your brain on this, the most influential movie we've ever covered on Cinemodities, not just in terms of film, because yes, we've done The Shining. Yes, we've done Freddy Got Fingered. Yes, we've done uh, <laughs> Silence of the Lambs. Yes, we've done Odd Sack. And apparently we've done Frank Ocean's Endless. That changed the, the, the landscape of something. But this changed the world. This movie was seismic. Are we even equipped to cover something this big? <laughs> I'm so glad you mentioned that because that was the key like talking point I was going to reference. Okay, okay. I was thinking about that. Like this movie fundamentally changed how movies were made, and not just like in a technical sense, but also like marketing, um, acting style, mm-hmm. special effects. I, I think we, the culture around movies changed because of The Matrix. It, it's it's the strangest thing. <laughs> that And that's the thing that, like again, when you look at the year this film was released, 1999, that was a watershed year for cinema. Yes. You had all these just major things in, like, in just film culture happen, whether it be Eyes Wide Shut, Star Wars. American Beauty. <laughs> Amer- <laughs> oh, even that. Yeah, like, that, I, yeah I, I kind of joke, but it's kind of not a joke, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like now we we throw that movie under the bus for many many reasons um insert kevin spacey in apron like talking to people how he's not gonna be railroaded after <laughs> murdering somebody <laughs> allegedly um let me be foghorn leghorn <laughs> oh god that's that, that is delightful um no this this is definitely one of those movies that I, god like i kept wondering like we have talked about quite the breadth of things on this podcast but this might not just be one of the most – God, the most influential film we've ever talked about in Cinemodies, but like top three most influential films of all time. Absolutely. It's it's kind of insane when, when you think about it. I know it hit me when I was kind of – I always think about The Matrix. You can't not think about The Matrix. Even if you haven't seen it, you're consciously aware of it, you know? And rewatching it, you know, for like the 10th or 15th time – I've seen this movie so many damn times in my life – rewatching it for this recording – it kind of like hit me, you know, when that first, like when the Warner Brothers logo pops up, when the score kicks in, you know, the iconic, you know, like sweeping sound, you know, it's like, Wah! and I'm just like, I'm just, I'm just like, shit.
I'm watching one of the most important films of all time. <laughs> it's weird. That's the thing I find fascinating because it's it. Oh god! And obviously, like I know we're gonna be talking about the sequels in, in later episodes. Oh yeah. But you can't it, like. <sighs> Like, but this is a weird. I, I don't know how to talk about this film because I, I, we mentioned it in our Titanic episodes that trying to find someone to watch that film objectively without mm-hmm. any like cultural osmosis bleeding into them, and, and it's very hard to do. It's impossible. I, you would need to put them through the um, memory wipe thing from Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. You know, they wipe your memory while you're sleeping so you can rewatch The Matrix for the first time the next day. <laughs> and that's the thing. Like, if somebody, I, I, I guess this is where I want to get into my contacts for this. My first introduction to this was just like the DVD cover art. Okay. As somebody who grew up, like, in, like really got into movies, like in the early 2000s. The cover art for this movie from the DVD, which is maybe the, like one of the most mundane aspects of The Matrix, it's just – can you hear my cat howling? I, I could. I heard that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, I was like, The Matrix is so important, Zach's cat wants to be involved in this episode. Deja <laughs> vu? Oh, uh-oh. We're getting oh, shut oh, down. Oh. We're getting shut oh. down, you know? <laughs> I am recording this now live. From inside the walls of my house. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I might sneeze in the next couple of minutes. Just be prepared, audience. Uh, I'm under a bridge that has a literal waterfall coming out of it. <laughs> <laughs> so if you hear any rushing water, that's because of my location. <laughs> no, but like if you look at that DVD art of The Matrix, it's so boring. It's just a bunch of people in leather trench coats, and it's, yeah, is it's it gray is it just uh, Neo, Trinity, and Morpheus standing together, and they're just and like si- looking at the sight? Hey, hey, hey! We oh, cannot forget. That's right. Our, uh, the best character in this movie. Well, of course, of, of course. I mean, I even had to quote good old Joe Pantoliano. Uh, we got the Duke. I had to quote that at the start of the episode. I mean, it was either that or and I know kung fu. I'm clearly going with the steak monologue. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I remember seeing that artwork. I, I, this is a thing that, that hasn't happened in I would imagine 15 years now. But like they used to have those like uh, DVD mailing clubs. Okay. Where like oh like get four DVDs for one penny each and then like in the fine print they have to buy like 10 others for like full like msrp sure and, and they used to have like these little like it was the equivalent of like stamp it wasn't stamps but like it was stamp sheets where like you could like cut them all like I, they would tear off they were perforated and i remember like always the top of those was like the fact like oh you can get the matrix on dvd and like i i had never seen the matrix like as somebody who got into movies in 2001 i was just like okay and and then i remember in fourth grade, fourth grade being a weird year for me for schooling, there was this kid in one of my classes, and his name was and – and this was his real name. This was not his fake name. Okay. His name was Nick Ferrari. Okay. <laughs> which I can – I wish I could – in retrospect, I can only hope 20 years later that was a fake name. But that was his name. Like the teacher used to call him that. Like, He's I, destined I, to be a porn star. That sounds like a, a oh. male porn star's name. <laughs> well, he was like, – it's funny. Like in preparation for this recording, I kept thinking about him. Because he was really my first, like, oh, God, analog, relatively speaking, uh, like, reference to this film, like, in real life. Because, like, I remember, like, everybody who, like, came to my birthday party in 2001, like, like my mother, like, wrote thank you cards and had me hand them out. And in order to give my uh, seal, I took some of those perforated, like, things, like, DVD covers, and I taped them over the envelope. Sure. Um, I, 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 Zach's version 2001 of a seal. <laughs> and I remember for his, I did that because all he did was talk about The Matrix. And, like, like, and this kid was like, 
what you thought was cool, like in seventh, eighth grade, that's what this kid was in fourth grade. Like he was ahead of his time. Okay. Like he was talking about like like he was the equivalent in two thousand when people like, like kids like talking about like how like they fucked your mom on Xbox. <laughs> yeah. Like like he was that level of like like ahead of his time. Um, <laughs> he was like, fucking like, people's moms. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> exactly. Like like three to seven years before it was cool to fuck somebody. <laughs> It's weird to say that, like especially when we were all like a group of like, oh god, um, nine year olds. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Um, this kid was like an edge lord, to put it kindly. Um, Have we ruined that- the Matrix discussion so far? We're talking about <laughs> little kids fucking people's moms. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like if you had that in your uh, Cinemani's bingo card, please come forward. Um, but no, that was my first introduction. Because I remember him being like so, like when the very few times he was genuinely like sentimental, he's like, "Wow, like you picked my favorite movie, thank you." Um, and then I think the first time I ever saw this movie was in I, I want to say September two thousand two. My mother and I were in New York for my uncle's wedding. And it was on Fox is like a Sunday, like movie of like movie of the week, like Sun, like Fox used to do that, like Sunday nights, yeah, uh, yeah. podcast Fox. And I think I've mentioned my grandmother only had basic cable. I'm sorry, um, basic television, like terrestrial television. And we watched it and it was like over like bunny ears, which now in <laughs> retrospect is so funny. And like I, I, my mother enjoyed it. Like I didn't like obviously as a 10 year old, I, I didn't know which way was up. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, I had no idea what the hell was happening. And so, but like, I remember being intrigued by it. And then fast forward, we'll get, obviously, I, we're not going to talk about really that much context, or at least for me, in the uh, subsequent episodes of the series. Yeah. And then, like, I saw The Matrix Reloaded in May of 2003, like the rest of the world did. And that's all everybody talked about. And, like, that was the It movie, was yep. even for a bunch of kids, The Matrix Reloaded was the movie everybody was looking forward to that summer. Um, except, I, I think I maybe would have had tied with Terminator 3. Oh, sure. Uh, because I, we all know my fascination with that franchise, or as Rob yeah, calls that's it. that's the one I saw in theaters. I didn't see any of these movies in theaters. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and then like, um, I, I, I remember enjoy. I, I actually don't have any memory of what I thought of The Matrix Reloaded. I know I saw it with my <laughs> nephew. Um, we'll get into some more context, minimal context next week with Reloaded, and then like when Revolutions came out, my like my mother took my nephew and I for the second one then for the third one he wasn't he either didn't want to see or he wasn't invited and we saw it together I remember kind of the ad to between my mother and I for the third one being like this was disappointing sure like th- that that was the vibe I you got. and I the not- world which I'm sure we'll talk yes. about two weeks from now oh, yeah. yes <laughs> we will definitely be talking about the sequels because the sequels are it's funny because I've always said that's always been my favorite thing of all time people talk about the matrix and I'm like my favorite film is the third one, because that's where <laughs> the bonkers stuff happens. Um, yeah, and that's kind of my context for The Matrix. Like, it's always been a presence. Like, even I think I've mentioned, I think it was one of those things we were going to maybe do during the fourth year was the AFI 100 Years, 100 Thrills. Yep. I want to say it was either the, the the most recent film or the second to most recent film to show up on that list. Mm-hmm. Um, because it just, it was God. Like, it was culture-defining in a way that... you. I, I don't think ever happened again. I don't think we ever got a film that was as culture defining as the matrix. Like the closest thing I can think of is the dark Knight. Sure. Yeah. That, that definitely um, comes to mind. Um, I also kind of want to say as much as I hate to say it, I kind of want to say the Avengers as well. I think the Avengers was a big change. That, that the industry changed with the Avengers. I yes. don't think, I don't think 
pop culture change. That's fact. The Matrix, like every okay, and Rob's gonna hate this, but it's gonna come up. I listened to our our yeah, uh, our, our, our predecessor <laughs> podcast, the Blank Check, and Griffin <laughs> makes an excellent point. He goes, after this movie came out, when people were making blockbuster cinema. They had two choices. We're either going to emulate the Matrix or we're going to deliberately choose to not emulate the Matrix. Oh, and I sure, think, sure. And I think that was a big thing like because the Matrix just revolutionized, I want to say, almost every facet of cinema, whether it be special effects, acting, marketing, just just every, the idea of mashing genres. Like mm-hmm. this is a fantastic mashup of multiple genres, this film, in a way that I don't think it was ever done as successfully as this. And, and, and it was done in a package that is so – so at times to the uninitiated incoherent it's nothing sort of a miracle this film like stuck the landing that that maybe the wachowskis intended (laughs) sure no i i completely agree with you and i think one of the biggest things i'm going to talk about this whole discussion is that you know yes you're right it changed everything about the film industry i think it changed you know culture just like period it's so seismic and Maybe, you know, we're, I think I want to get into, did it change culture for the better? Maybe, you know, in some ways not, but we'll get to that. But I'm glad you brought up context for a sec, because I figured we'd have to start here. And I know, I think you said it best, that we're not really going to get into our context too much in the um, remainder of this series. Um, especially for me, because my context of The Matrix, the original film, is very closely tied to the sequels. I was really trying to remember the first time I saw The Matrix, and I can't. I don't remember the first time I ever saw it. I actually think I saw the second one first when I caught it on HBO, um, you know, after it came out in, what, early 2003. I remember falling in love with the second movie, and I guess I sought out the original and the final one. I, I really don't remember my timeline. But it's kind of like, you know, one of those things where it's it's... It's one of my best friends now. Like, I, I don't remember a time when I didn't think about The Matrix, you know? Like, the, the point you you br- uh, just brought up from Blank Check saying that, you know, everything is consciously copying The Matrix or not trying to copy The Matrix, I kind of feel that way when I think about a lot of things. The Matrix was seismic for me as well. That's that that's really all my context is. I could not tell you when I saw this film. <laughs> But that's this is the thing I find. Like I said, I, I want I want the audience at home to know the cinema audience, in that like there's this is one of those things like it reminded me a lot of Thomas the Tank Engine where like I'll go through or even Titanic where like I'll, I'll go through phases of being like I don't want to say obsessed but just maybe more fascinated with it. Like I remember, obviously, two thousand three was a was a watershed year for the Matrix franchise. <laughs> yes, obviously, I remember getting the Revolutions DVD for Easter that year because I think it came out like in April two thousand four or maybe late March. And then, like, it was two thousand maybe seven. I got into it a little bit again. And then two thousand ten. If God, we're going to all the people that whose names we're going to have to bleep out. There was. And if you remember, like that was my big thing. Where like, like he made like a five minute long like commercial for the st- like the the school news, where like it was for like cooking. Oh my and it was God. like a Matrix. Par- and it was like five six minutes long. And everybody's watching. Like what? Like why are they referencing a seven year old movie? <laughs> and nobody could figure it out. They're like, I never well, we like the Matrix. Never would have thought about that ever again in my life, Zach. <laughs> but this is the thing, though. But the re- but like when he did that, I went back and revisited the Matrix. And I remember I, I found on eBay for like ten dollars a Matrix Revolutions like video store like poster, which was like like the artwork from the DVD box. Sure. Um, and then like I, I want to say from 2010, 
I really didn't think about that much. Then, like, maybe 2017, I think I bought the Blu-ray set for it. And I rewatched all the movies, but I didn't really do much with it. Just kind of, like, watched it for the sake of just, like, I want to make sure all these work. Didn't pay much mind to it. And then I, I watched The Matrix for the first time, like, as in, like, okay, like, I want to give my undevoted attention to this. Probably for the first time, I want to say, in, like, 10-plus years. Okay. And that's kind of, like I said, like, like – and that's this is the interesting thing between this series and last month's series is the idea of going back to these franchises that are very much childhood franchises for me. I don't know mm-hmm. for Rob that have never really been extinguished. Oh, yeah. yeah. They've always been there in the pop culture. They've never really gone away where like we can talk about certain things being like, oh, Terminator, like sure. Terminator hasn't gone away, but. Every single one of these movies is very much its own thing. Yes. The Terminator Whereas, franchise has become more of a joke, I think, where The Matrix is, is like an actual like standpoint of, of culture. Yeah. Um, and that's the thing where like – and this is we'll get more into our thoughts – on my thoughts on The Matrix is just the idea of like going back and revisiting this as an adult and giving it that sort of just like – I don't want to say a critical lens, but not just looking at it as entertainment. Sure, sure. Right on. I, I think that you're setting it up very well. I think, though, that I have a few things to start off with. I, well, I, I, have a, I have a laundry list, Zach. It's not a few things. I have a lot of things we should get to. Just like last, last series. What the hell are we calling this series, Zach? <laughs> this one's easier, though, I think. Is this just going to be the Wachowskis? Because I guess we haven't said that, you know, astute listeners, they might see that, oh, there's three Matrix movies, but four Mondays. Are they going to do the new Matrix at the end? We're actually going to do a different Wachowskis movie at the end. Um, I think there's two or three that we haven't covered, you know, if we not counting Speed Racer. Um, so what are we thinking? The Wachowskis, the Matrix series. This this has to be easier than the Spider-Man series, right, Zach? <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, like even Blank Check's like name for their series was very, very clunky, okay. and so I'm just like, I, I, I was thinking about that a little bit the last few days, and I'm just like, there's there's really no low hanging fruit. Um, I like the Wachowskis. I, I, We're talking about them them as directors. You know, we've talked about them before. We're going to we, finish them up eventually. We, this is probably inappropriate. Probably, like, it'll get us canceled. But, like, can we name it, like, <laughs> oh, God, like, the, the – the, oh, God – the dudes who talk about the Matrix and like at the very end be like, no, we're we're, we're the 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 ladies who talk about the Matrix, like <laughs> like, like have it parallel reality. Um, that's an interesting take, Zach. I didn't expect you to go there, but <laughs> like it, it, it's not mocking. It's it's to sit there and do that. Like it's a fact that like originally they were because I want known. Like it's, there's gonna like, I know next week we're gonna definitely talk about. So we've talked about it a lot off mic about the sequence in the restaurant with the Merovingian. Yes, but like they asked to be credited in all their films as the Wachowski brothers. Yes. They could yes. have very easily said at the time the Wachowskis. No one would have even thought twice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's like, even to the point where like, even like, okay, talk about this, like like the Wachowskis as like individuals in the culture. I'm not sure if Robin remembers a movie in 2010 called Skyline. It was like, it was, it was, it was like, they tried to elevate it to stu- whoever made it. Like into another like District Nine, but it was a fraction of the artistic integrity of that film, okay. and it was directed by the brother Strauss, which was clearly like trying to emulate that same thing as like, oh, who directed the Matrix trilogy? The Wachowski brothers. Sure, like, sure. and that's the thing. So like, they all, like, everybody who gets like so hung up on the fact that they've transitioned now, 
they are credited as the Wachowski brothers. Yes, absolutely. And you that see will not, it clear as day. It's it, what comes up right after you know Neo flies away at the end of the first movie. <laughs> and that's the thing: the DGA will never let them change that. Like yep. they can, like everybody can scream and yell, as we know when it comes to Dave Chappelle Netflix oh, specials. Yes, because that's the hill everybody's going to die on. Apparently, that's never going to change. That those films, at least the first three, will always be known as the films. At least when it comes to like title cards in those films as the Wachowski's brothers. Yep, yep. So uh, no disrespect, just calling it as I see no, it. No, no, absolutely. Okay, I have to think about your pitch for the name of the series and, and then <laughs> transitioning the name of the series at the end of the series. That's interesting. I might, okay, maybe this is going to be tougher than I thought it was going to be. We should have a, we should have a series, like, name that transitions, like, at the very, like, I don't know, like, like it's, like, 95% of the way through that final, like, Matrix Revolution series. <laughs> Okay, okay, interesting. So, yeah. I want to see... Like Rob it. says, I want to see him like color code a spreadsheet cell like 65% one color <laughs> and then like 35% a different color. Oh, jeez. Okay, okay. We had to get that out of the way, what we're calling the series, because this was another one that uh, Zach put in the spreadsheet without giving it a, a name. So we had to cover that. Now, there's another thing. If If you are listening to this episode, if you're listening to these episodes, you know, as we go through this series... If you haven't seen The Matrix, where the hell have you been? And and can we please, you know, find you? You seem like an interesting specimen. But I figured it would be safe to say that we're going to be spoiling a lot of uh, pretty much everything from these movies and supplementary material as I get into that. So I figured right off the bat I would give the biggest spoiler about this movie, about The Matrix. I got this from IMDb Johnny, Trivia. John, the, Johnny Depp was going to be the be Neo until the studio forced Keanu nope, on the Wachowski. Even even bigger spoiler. It's a spoiler about the actual movie, not behind the scenes. Like, it's an actual s- story spoiler. It's from The Bastion of Truth, our favorite, IMDb Trivia. And it's listed under the spoiler section, so you know it's a spoiler. I just had to get out of the way, because I don't want anybody to think that, you know, oh, oh man, they're hiding the biggest thing, the biggest reveal from the movie. And if you haven't seen the movie and you don't want to be spoiled, turn this off now. But this is it. This is what is stated as a spoiler. Keanu Reeves, Lawrence Fishburne, and Joe Pantoliano are all left-handed. Fucking <laughs> spoiled. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I had to tell everybody that I'm okay, all kidding aside, that is legitimately a trivia fact in the spoiler section on IMDb. <laughs> How stupid is fucking IMDb trivia? I hate it more every week we talk to each whoa, other, whoa, Zach. Well, Rob, I'm pretty sure left hand is an anagram of the one. <laughs> <laughs> that fact also appears in the 200 plus IMDb, IMDb trivia facts. That anagram thing appears multiple times, both in and out of the spoiler section. <laughs> Oh, God, IMDb trivia. It's, it's a mess. So we got that out of the way, the big spoiler. But now, Zach, I think, like we were saying, how are we going to tackle this? It's a big movie, that type of stuff. I think I know where to start. Unless you have any other background, you know, you know, context or anything like that, I think the best place to start is at the beginning. And the beginning is the second Renaissance part one and two from the Animatrix. It is the origin story of Jesus. the Matrix. So here's the thing. I know that as we were planning this series, I was like, how are we going to work the Animatrix in? I really love the Animatrix. I want to talk about it. And I was thinking, it's like, oh, maybe, you know, we do that on the Patreon or something. But then, of course, you know, Ben's not here. Ben does not have a lot of history with the Matrix at all. I I think he's even confused with himself if he's seen the sequels. Um, So it's just Zach and I who've been uh, thinking about these movies for years. I figured, what better way to get the Animatrix involved in then 
in that I'm going to watch everything in chronological order. So I started with the second renaissance, which is the origin story of The Matrix and how it exists. I have to know, Zach, I think you, you've told me this before. You've seen The Animatrix, right? Or have you not? I don't remember. Oh, no, I... I've seen the Animatrix. Okay. Um, I, I think, uh, funny enough, we were talking about this in the pre-show. It remind, it, in ref, God, in hindsight now, it reminds me a lot of like what Star Wars Visions is. It's like, oh, it's just a way to cash in on brand IP awareness. <laughs> sure. Um, I, I know the Wachowskis were involved in a couple of the segments, as in like they gave story ideas. Yes, I think they have a um, writing credit on one segment, and I think it's Kid's Story, which will come up next week because that leads into the second movie. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, I have seen the Animatrix. I was. Oh God, my first, my first. Okay, one thing about context. This was back in like 2003. My uncle got me bootlegs of The Matrix Reloaded <laughs> and Ben Affleck's Daredevil. Nice. And one, and this was back in the day, like the idea of seeing a movie like that had just come out in the theaters, but like, like it was like, oh, you still had to wait like usually six months for a DVD. It was like, whoa, like you can get me this. And like one of the things he asked me, like as I was kids, like, oh, do you want the Animatrix? And I'm like, what is that? I'm like, I don't want that. Um, but I think I finally, because I remember seeing Animatrix everywhere. Like, remember, like we were at Walmart, Target, Best Buy, Circuit City back in the day. Like, that thing was just everywhere. Um, yes. I, they pretty much chucked them at you after a while. Like, much like the Hudsucker proxy. I think that one of those DVDs came with, like, purchase if you spent, like, more than a nickel. <laughs> um, then I think I finally watched it in 2017 because it was on the Blu-ray. I think that's when I finally delved into it because at that point I never purchased it. But yeah, I've seen the Animatrix. I, okay. I have only a faint memory of maybe one or two of the segments. Um, but as, as I, Rob has made it clear at this point as well as myself, I I am not a big fan. Ah, uh, okay, okay. I really like the Animatrix, and we're going to get to it in all three of these episodes because they are all throughout the timeline of these movies. So, And uh, I'm sure I'll be able to fill some stuff in as I uh, remind you of what happens. But we have to start at the beginning because you better believe... We're talking robots. Yes, it's a hot topic for Rob. It always is. But we're talking robots and the second renaissance, part one and two, uh, the, uh, I think the second longest chunk of the Animatrix is all about the robots. So some of this is spelled out in the movie. I know, um, you know, Morpheus and uh, Agent Smith, they like give drop hints at, at this type of, you know, what caused humanity to get to the point where it is in the film The Matrix. But of course, man invents machines to do everything so man can just you know be vain and do whatever they want uh humanity is what i mean when i say man it works for a little bit robots begin to feel disrespected because in this universe <laughs> of the matrix we were stupid enough to give them that ability and i know i think in the um from what i've read of the other supplementary material like the path of neo and the mmorpg matrix game um there's some idea that it wasn't really like man gave robots the ability to feel disrespect that there's the anomaly in ai that makes them in air quotes of course more sentient that type of thing so it's it's not like you know we directly programmed them to be like oh, well this robot might feel bad one day whatever the fuck that means um so i i give the matrix a little bit of credit there but that's what it says in this segment of the Animatrix, that robots begin to feel disrespected. And there is a single robot that rises up against one of its owners and kills the human by ripping his head apart. And it's actually a pretty gruesome, like, animated segment uh, in, the, in the second Renaissance Part 1. 
this robot goes to court because <laughs> that's this movie <laughs> or this universe. And it becomes the question of whether or not humans should be allowed to destroy their machines. Are, are these AI machines their property? You know, this is, this is right up my alley. This is the stuff I love to think about. Um, th the answer is, of course, you can break your robot. It's your property. Um, and that's what the universe of the Matrix actually, actually decided. The people said, well, yeah, if, you know, a robot can kill us, we should kill them first. And they basically start genocide on the robots there's a fantastic scene in the second Renaissance part one where it's a montage of the humans, you know, just taking down robots. And there's a lot of shots of, you know, like army people shooting robots and you know, like crushing them in car compactors, but they all look like machines. It cuts to a scene where you see like these three guys beating up a woman and you're like, wow, this is really this is really disturbing. Um, it looks like they're almost about to rape her because they rip her shirt off. There's actually some nudity and stuff like that. And you're like, is humanity now, you know really going crazy because they're killing machines and, and people disagree with that, whatever. But then it's revealed with a big smack to the woman's head that she's a robot and the robot's screaming like, don't kill me, I'm alive and stuff like that. It's fantastic. It's everything I want. You know, a robot screaming it's alive and people just ignoring it because it's not. They're turning it off. It's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. The robots escape. The, the remaining robots escape, I should say. They form their own civilization called Zero One. They start creating their own better machines, better AI, and they sell them to humans. And some sort of equilibrium between man and machine in an economic sense is reached. And I think that's interesting as hell. But basically, the machines start ruling the world economy. Like, they make the best products, and the humans are angry that, you know, their economies are dwindling because everybody's buying from the machines. So once again, they decide to destroy the machines. The machines come back and say, well, no, we could probably have a stable relationship. Can we join the United Nations? And the humans kill the robots. The, the, the humans on the floor of the United Nations kill the ambassador robots. It is wonderful. That's basically wonderful. the end of part well, one. That's the thing. Is that like like everything up until that point is like an intriguing premise? Yes. Then you get robots of the United Nations, and that's just the, like that's what the Wachowskis do. Like that's what makes them so delightfully goofy. Mm -hmm. Is it like like they have a really great premise, and then they get like oh god like seven eighths of the way in like they'll just drop that and it's like jeez it's wonderful it's, it is it's, it's delightfully goofy and i love them for that reason but man like, yes. like there's like i said we'll get more like i said because there's, there's so much like when it comes to just like the idea of like understanding like like the uh footing of a franchise in hollywood that is so unique and like I said, I would imagine some talk of the sequels, not specific elements, but just like overall, especially Matrix Resurrections is going to show up in all three of these discussions. Oh, sure. Um, but yeah, like it's 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 stuff like that that I, I get why people are – oh god, I don't want to say hostile toward the Wachowskis, but just – especially like after like – Jupiter ascending, which plays is like the Matrix light. Yes, um, which you'll hear at the end of this. At the uh, end of this Jupiter, series. Jupiter ascending. I believe. I'm sorry, yes. Jupiter. <laughs> um, I know we only but, recorded an episode that's coming out three weeks from now, uh, a month and a half ago. <laughs> <laughs> Turnstiles are fun. Um, yeah, like I said, like, I, I get why people are disenfranchised. Yeah, I, I'm, I I'm with it. you. Yeah, and I, yeah, you're absolutely right. That's going to come out throughout, come up throughout this whole series. So. 
humans don't like the robots. Good. Good on them, right? We can all agree that robots are bad. We should kill them. Uh, they're not alive. Uh, we're turning them off. Absolutely. So they drop nukes on Zero One, the, uh, the robot, you know, civilization. It doesn't really do anything. Of course, some robots and stuff get destroyed in the blast, but, you know, robots aren't susceptible to radiation and heat and things like that. So the machines retaliate, and they, you know, really start wiping out humans and human cities. The humans decide to retaliate by what is stated by Morpheus in this movie, in the first Matrix movie, um, destroy the sky to cut out the solar power, which is the, the biggest source of energy these machines have. Um, it's called Operation Dark Storm in, uh, in the second Renaissance part two. It basically seems like they just pollute the entirety of the sky to block out the sun. Like the way it's animated is like a bunch of planes just fly over and they're basically, you know, like just spewing black smoke type of thing. And that's exactly what happens. That's the world of the of the movies. They they destroy the sky. This doesn't really work as well. You know, the machines have other ways to get energy and things like that. Uh, war between man and machines continues. And at this point, you know, the machines are going to wreck the humans. Of course they are. It's it's like a it's an inevitability that these these machines have been left to uh, their own devices for so long. They know how to kill us. That type of thing. The machines then study the remaining humans. They realize they can gain energy from them. There's a really cool scene of, like, you know, people, people in, like, uh, dissected, and they're poking their brains, and they're realizing that they get, you know, bioelectrical energy when they make the humans laugh, when they make them cry. It's really, really interesting. And they see humans as an infinitely multiplying renewable resource. They, the machines basically bring up the thing that I've said to people for years and everybody gives me a weird look. Uh, they view babies as renewable resources, you know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I once told somebody uh, not to bring that up on a first date. <laughs> <laughs> Thus, the Matrix is born. That's the second renaissance. It, it brings us to after uh, the, the machines have beaten the humans, the remaining ones, they realize they can use them as an energy source and they create the Matrix. And as we go through the, these movies, I know we're going to talk about the iterations of the matrix when we have the paradise we have the hellscape that type of stuff that is the second renaissance zach do you know what is next in the chronology of the matrix <laughs> it's not the movie <laughs> it is a detective story from the animatrix which is one of the later segments um for anybody for zach and anybody who hasn't seen this in a while this is the one that's the animation is black and white, and it's really, really interesting. It's like this weird charcoal pointillism, and it's basically a noir story. Um, this takes place, from what I've read, pretty much right before the Matrix movie starts. And it involves a private detective, I think his name is Ash, being hired by somebody, which is revealed later on, um, to find Trinity, the computer hacker. And the private detective is voiced by James Arnold Taylor, who I know as the voice of Titus in Final Fantasy X. And Zach, you will know as the voice of Obi-Wan Kenobi Obi in Kenobi. everything animated, apparently. Um, he's great. It's, it's good to hear his voice. And he basically has to track down Trinity. Um, there's a lot of Alice in Wonderland references, just like the movie. Uh, he, he finds Trinity. It's revealed that he was hired by agents to track down Trinity. Um, when he's escaping with Trinity, he actually starts to turn into an agent, you know, like like the agent is taking over his body. And as the transition is happening, Trinity shoots him, shoots the detective and kills him. And I think that's a really fucking cool idea that it's like, oh, if you're about to become an agent, why don't why can't we just kill you? This also brings up an interesting question that I kind of thought about. Why don't the agents just jump into Neo's body before he's released from the Matrix? But I'm sure that'll come up as we get into the movies. I fucking loved a detective story. It, it's it's. 
it's pretty tight. It's a great story. The animation is great. There's a bit where the private detective has to like rush out of his office and he forgets his hat and he turns back around to get his hat. You know when he's like uh, he's already out of the building, so he like he's like oh no, but his cat is on the fucking like you know fire escape and the cat like throws his hat to him. It's wonderful. I loved it. But that's it, Zach. We've covered the first two prequels to The Matrix. We won't have any more Animatrix till next week. And that brings us to The Matrix. Okay. Are, are we jumping right into it? Are we talking about the opening scene? The opening scene is indefatigably hitting you with shit you've never seen before, shit you don't understand. It's teaching you the language of the movie, and it is amazing. I love this opening scene, Zach. <laughs> I don't know if we're going to break down the plot completely, but I ha- well, we have to talk about this intro. Well, this is the thing I kind of want to talk about this movie. Is that, like, unless, like, this is what makes me so fascinated about, like, audiences in, like, the spring of 1999. You look at this film, especially that, like, opening sequence with Trinity. This film is, I think, like, the biggest, like, and this is one of the more passive, like, lessons that Hollywood learned from this movie. The pacing of this film is, like... It would make J.J. Abrams, like, like start <laughs> panting. This film never slows down. Never. It leaves the station at, like, 100 miles an hour. Oh, yes. I could not agree more. And the, the slow motion is what lets you breathe. The movie is telling you when to breathe. It's amazing. It's, a, it's something I know we've mentioned it before. It's like the, um, the beginning of Mad Max Fury Road. Like, it never stops. And then they get into the sandstorm at, like, what, the 30, 40-minute mark or something, maybe even earlier. And finally, the movie's like, okay, you can, you can breathe now type of thing. This movie, it, I, this movie controls every aspect of the audience in every way, shape, and form. It's amazing. <laughs> that's that's – I agree with you. But there is also, like, looking at it under the lens of, like, for the first time in 1999. Sure. Is that, like, you're just so consumed by what's happening, nothing can breathe. Oh, oh, yeah, And that's, like, like, this is where I think I'm going to be, like, like, I don't want to say a contrarian, but I think, like, this is, like, J.J. Abrams syndrome. And I don't mean that, like, in a sense of, like, oh, like, paralleling what he does with stories and stuff. I mean just, like, pacing-wise. Sure, sure. And that, like, this movie's just moving so fast, it doesn't let anything breathe like before you could like like okay we see trinity and uh okay we have that then we cut to neo in the apartment and then uh we see neo looking at the uh the, the thing on the screen and we cut to the people outside the apartment barring buying programs from him and uh by the time we sit there have them like we go to the nightclub and it's like oh my god this is all like in the first like 15 minutes yes and it's like okay movie like i, I get it I get it. Well, just... I mean, I think I think what you're describing is, uh, as as one of our characters says in the beginning, uh, yeah, man, it's called mescaline. It's the only way to fly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Hallelujah. You're my savior, man. My own personal Jesus Christ. You get caught using that. Yeah, I know. This never happened. You don't exist. Right. Something wrong, man? You look a little whiter than usual. My computer, it... You ever have that feeling where you're not sure if you're awake or still dreaming? Mm, all the time. It's called masculine. It's the only way to fly. Hey, look, it just sounds to me like, you know, you need to unplug, man. And like I said, this is all intentional. No- nothing in this movie is arbitrary or by accident. Yep. 
Um, but I think if like that, but again, it reminded me shockingly of like a J.J. Abrams movie, and that like we're just we're just plowing ahead. Like it, and like some stuff happens. Like I, I watched this movie with Rachel, who had never seen a Matrix before. Oh wow, okay. Um, but but li- obviously lives in a post a post Matrix <laughs> culture where so much is just bled bled into it through osmosis. Yes. Um, and like I just like like she had some questions afterwards about like like what was happening. <laughs> um, but I think a lot of it is that is that notion of just like it's like a thrill ride. Absolutely. Like, and, and I think that's why people became so enamored with this. And I think that's why uh, the sequels became so disillusioning to people in that, like the Wachowskis were like, wow, like people really like our idea, our ideas. And then you get to the sweet goals and like you have the Merovingian talk for like 85 minutes straight about different like <laughs> incarnations of the matrix, <laughs> which is great. Like it's that stuff. Like when you really get that deep, deep, rich, like history of the world, that's the best part of the first film for me. Oh yeah, and then like, and that's the that's what people checked out from in the second and third films because like I remember when the second film came out, like everyone's like, oh that sequence in the uh, what would you even call it, like the, the foyer where Neo's like picking off all the like they like picking off the different like uh, henchmen of the Merovingian. There's all the uh, yep. weapons on the walls, like that's all everybody cared about from that first movie was that sequence. Sure, and and the Agent Smith just like horde and it's like no like like you look back at these movies and like as to like like lore and storytelling the merovingian is literally the best part of the entire movie oh yeah and that and i think going to the first film at least for me when agent smith is having those moments where and definitely we we build upon that in the second and third films where he's having like these oh god human level just responses to what's happening to all this i Um, hate this place i think it's the smell not that i know what that is (laughs) it's the fucking okay how did hugo weaving not win every award like i'm talking like you know the oscars open up and it's like best you know well matrix did win best sound editing but it should have been like best sound editing oh it looks like hugo weaving in the matrix he is amazing in this movie (laughs) he he is because like even like i was curious because again like obviously hugo weaving built his entire career upon this oh, yeah. uh, well, understandably um, justifiably so before this he's the he's the german shepherd and babe we can't forget that you know <laughs> <laughs> oh god i want everybody to know rob is out here to visit me uh, at, a couple months ago a couple weeks from now what did I say? As do, you have, do you have hugo weaving dog is that what i said <laughs> <laughs> and i literally ripped out the uh hugo weaving dog <laughs> um no like like he's built his career on this justifiably so but like even like remembering a lot of his dialogue from this because he is one of the highlights oh yeah even rachel was like repeating some of it and she's just like like she's just like like oh god uh, replicating his like tone and the way he just like ends certain sentences with a specific inflection yep and i'm like man this is like, like everybody is so hung up on like uh, Lawrence Fishburne and Keanu Reeves, but Hugo Weaving is just like play, like he is playing into this to a T. Oh, it's it's amazing to watch, and like I said, you know, watching it for this recording a few nights ago, I mean, I, I've seen this movie a million times. I, I almost know it inside and out. I know all three of them inside and out. You know. But it's just still so enthralling. Like, like literally, any time that he was on screen and he's doing his thing, I would just watch it. I, of course, I'm taking notes, but I would just watch it. And then the end of it, it would just be like, he's great in this movie. Like, that's all I have to say about it. It's fantastic. <laughs> well, 
Because, like, and that's the thing. Like, I'm trying to sit there. Like, if you had to guess, Rob, from 199 for the, the 2000 Oscars, but for the year 1999, mm-hmm. these were the five actors in a supporting role nominee. Okay, okay. Haley Joel Osment, The Sixth Sense. Sure, sure. June Law, The Talented Mr. Ripley. Oh, okay. Michael Clark Duncan, The Green Mile. Ooh, I forgot that was that year. Okay. Tom Cruise, Magnolia. Oh, of course. Michael Caine, The Cider House Rules. A hundred percent, you can take Jude Law out of there. I uh, I love me a Jude Law, but I think I kind of agree. I mean, you gotta give it. Well, I mean, uh, uh, Tom Cruise wins for Magnolia, right? No, nope. no, he does Guess not win. Who, who wins? Michael Caine oh, for The Cider the, House. Oh God, Rules. that's right. Never seen The Cider House Rules. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean. You could probably take out one or two. I mean, you got to give it to Haley Joel Osment. That's a very important, you know, uh, that performance. Is imp- this is the thing. You get like, you like Michael Caine without a doubt gets eliminated. Jude Law, you could take out. Sure. Michael Clark Duncan, you can take out. Hugo uh, Weaving. Michael, uh, Michael Clark Duncan is that's like his that, iconic that, role. You know, it, it, it doesn't matter. We don't talk about that movie anymore. We <laughs> <Okay>. don't talk. <laughs> think about it. what was the last time the Green Mile shown up in the cultural discourse. That's a fair point. Yep. <laughs> now, say what you will. Right now, like, say what you, I know, right? Like I would be like even like Tom Cruise and Magnolia shows up because obviously it's a PTA movie. Yes. Yeah. Um, but no, like, like the great like, talented Mr. Ripley shows up shows up as a movie. Shows up in conversation, but not a specific performance. Definitely, Green Mile. That has just been boiled down to Tom. Like it's like the poster. It's Tom Cruise like looking off to the side. It's like it's Vanilla Sky level. Whereas like you can sell a movie based on an actor just like looking like uh, stage right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like I said, I agree. Haley Joel Osment because that's 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 another seismic performance. Yep. And Tom Cruise for Magnolia because Tom Cruise is really acting against type in that. Oh, definitely, definitely. Other than that, all three of those you could put Hugo Weaving in. And I don't think you would be cheating anybody. A hundred percent. He he should have been in there. He should have, like I said, been in every category. You know, <laughs> best original song. They list four songs and then they just say Hugo Weaving. <laughs> I he's he's fantastic. Even at the very beginning, you know the um the uh like he gets out of the car at the cops in this intro scene, you know, and he's like, "You're I can tell you, your men are already dead," you know that type of thing. It's fucking amazing. It's so compelling. <laughs> well, I want to talk to you about that sequence because, like, that that opening sequence and a lot of the sequences with like the NPC guards and police. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the second and third film, that like entire angle is like, oh god, unanimously dismissed. Uh, are you talking about how like the um that the, there seems to be like a police force of the real world type of thing? Not not it, well, yes. Okay. But like that level of like like when we see like there's certain things like the very beginning where we see like the the cops and the agents show up like this is my jurisdiction. Yes. And then like you have the like sequence at the end where they're going through the lobby with all the guns. Yeah. What does he say? And, He's like, if you give me any of that juris my diction crap or something like that, it's the weirdest <laughs> line at the beginning. <laughs> Son Oh shit. Lieutenant, you were given specific orders. Hey, I'm just doing my job. You give me that jurist, my diction crap. You can cram it up your ass. The orders were for your protection. <laughs> I think we can handle one little girl. I sent two units. They're bringing her down now. No, Lieutenant, your men are already dead. It is, and that's the sort of thing that, like, I just it, it feels so far removed. Because, like, that's a big thing of the second and third films that, like, everybody that's not Neo 
and others that are like living in the real world of Zion mm-hmm. are NPCs. Yes, yes. And, and and now in retrospect, nothing against the movie itself. It's it's it feels out of place once well, you understand Matrix lore. Oh, or am abs- I wrong for no, no, no? That? I actually completely agree with you. It it is totally out of place once we you know take into account the rest of the first movie and the sequels. But I think it's just pure um, movie making. It's pure it's pure movie movie storytelling. If at the beginning of the original Matrix, when you watch it, like let's go back to 1999, seeing it for the first time. You don't know that the real world or the real world is a simulation. So we need that grounding to be like, oh, the cops are after somebody. Like, that's what cops do, you know? And then this bigger entity, the agents show up. Like, are they the FBI? Are they the Secret Service? It's not until, you know, we get the sense that, oh, the Matrix is a something that's going to come up a lot. It's not a simulation. It's a simulacrum. That's a big point I'm going to make in this series. It's a simulacrum. We don't know that in that opening scene. We need that cop stuff. But once you know that it's not real, then totally. It's, it's completely, you know, different. Because they, then they just go off to the races in the second and third movie. Like you said, they abandon that point. Because now that we know it's not real, well, who cares? We don't need to see the shoe leather of, you know, cops chasing somebody or anything like that, you know? Yeah, no, I, that I 100% agree upon. I didn't really think uh, about it that way, but you're right that it's like, you know, who – I think the, uh, the, um, the segment I described, a detective story from the Animatrix, they're trying to get at the lead-in you know, because Trinity kills the uh, private detective, and she says something like, oh, I think you could have handled the truth, and she escapes, and she's still being chased by agents. It's not directly saying that it's like, oh, this is – she leaves the train with the private detective and goes to this hotel to get out, but it is, it is kind of that, that setup. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, um, like I said, I have not watched the Animatrix in preparation for this recording. I was probably going to do that closer to the Matrix Reloaded. Sure. Um, so I can't comment on that specifically. Most of the animate uh, the Animatrix segments take place after the um, the third movie, so we'll have a, a good bit to talk about after that. <laughs> sure. Um, and that's why, like I said, I, I don't feel comfortable commenting on that sure. without seeing not it yet, like yeah. years and years earlier. But no, like, but I think that goes back to like my thesis point of the Wachowskis interpreted the success of this film in the wrong ways. Ah, interesting. I, I would I say not only, did, a... not only did they misinterpret the success, I think that, you know, a lot of people took... Maybe maybe that's the, the, the other side of the, the coin, is that, you know, the Wachowskis thought it was successful for different reasons than it, you know, people came out and they took the wrong message. The action, the, um, the, the revolutionary aspect of this movie, I think. And that's that's the thing. Like the film becomes very, very like narrow and focused. Yes. I'm sorry, not the film, the series. Oh, sure. It, the the later you go into chapters, and that's the thing. Like it very much becomes the the neo story, mm-hmm. and it's always a neo story. But you also have focus on Trinity and Morpheus, and basically by that third film, Mor- Morpheus hides in the cave, and Trinity is exclusively just Neo. Neo, like it's almost like a Jack and Rose Titanic level relationship she's a, where she's a chauffeur in the third movie. <laughs> pr- pretty much, pretty much. Um, it's driving Miss Neo. Um, <laughs> no, uh, you're, I think you're absolutely right. Is that the this is something you know we're gonna have to talk about. And don't worry, everybody, we will some way circle back around to this opening scene that I still want to talk about. But we've talked about it in Speed Racer. You know, we've talked about it every time the Wachowskis come up. Their movies are always about the true form of oneself. And that's exactly what this movie is. All three of the Matrix movies are not about the true form of oneself, just Neo, but of everybody, of a lot of different characters. I think Neo's the focus, of course. 
But I think so many people leave this movie going, oh, it's about revolution. They, they're like, it's about, you know, realizing your oppression, breaking free from the Matrix, freeing your mind, as they say a million times in the, in the, in the first movie. And then they say, like, you have to, you know, bend the rules that the oppressors have set for you. You got to get red-pilled. And then, of course, over time, oppressors doesn't become machine overlords. It becomes who disagrees with me on the Internet, you know? And, and I think a lot of people take that message from this movie where I don't think that's what it's about at all. The first movie, the goal is to save Morpheus at the end. They just they want to save Morpheus so that Zion doesn't get destroyed, so that the agents don't get the mainframe codes. It's not about destroying the machines. It's not about beating the oppressors. It's about survival. It's about finding out who you are, who you can help, and surviving through it. And everybody comes out of this in 1999, and I think, you know, still to this day, a lot of people say, no, it's about rising up against those who are keeping you down. It's about freeing your mind. And I don't think that could be farther from the truth. I don't know. What do you think about, about that? Well, I... I, I... God, when it comes to like misinterpreting the the the, the meaning of this film, yeah. I it's one of those things where I I can like I said I, I told Rob before we started recording I feel horrendously underprepared for this discussion uh, because it's the idea like you you have the Wachowskis and you have oh God there's the and this hasn't really been a thing now for a couple years but like the red pill movement when it comes to like online discourse like, re, like to red pill somebody quote yes. unquote. Yep. Which was clearly not their intent, based on things that they've said in the past, like on their when it comes to like their political leanings. Mm-hmm. And then, like you even have things like the very end of the film where you have the rage against the machine song. Yes, and people just like yeah, like they they they're taking everything. They're taking every element of this film at its most superficial. Absolutely, and and that that's one of the things that always you know. Just another stand. I'm glad you mentioned it because it'll come up at how we end this episode. The Rage Against the Machine song, it's not chosen because it's like, yeah, we have to rage against the machine. You know, they could have picked one of the famous songs like, you know, fuck you, I won't do what you tell me. They could have done that from Rage Against the Machine. They picked this song because it's called Wake Up. You know how many fucking times people in this movie are talking about you have to wake up, you have to free your mind, that type of thing. That's the reason they chose it, not because we need to beat the oppressors. It's wild that people got that from this movie. But I think critics at the time captured it from what I was reading in, in you know, critical reviews when this movie came out, which, were, of course, were largely positive, that the action was draining – or, uh, sorry, not draining, blinding. And I think that's the problem. The action in this movie was so spectacular, still is, don't get me wrong, that people came out of it going, action, revolution, guns, flip cell phones, fuck it, you know, let's kill the machine. And it's like, no, that's not what this is about at all. It's about finding out who you are. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I think it, and I think this goes back to the plot of the movie, in that I think without like the 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 whole picture being laid out to us and mm-hmm. specifically in our case what 15 plus years of just letting it gel <laughs> yeah. and settle if you watch that first movie in a vacuum like even rachel like i was asking rachel like today i'm like because we watched it last night i'm like so like what do you think are you intrigued she's like well yeah i want to see what happens next but it's like what what happens and it's the idea like it's almost impossible to to answer that that question what is the matrix just the matrix 1999 mm-hmm. what is it about like on a plot level and it's like well jesus oh, I, I try like like <laughs> describing that in two sentences 
That might be that's, impossible. Of course, you might have somebody say it's like, oh, you know, humans are turned into batteries. It's like, yeah, that's maybe like thirty percent of it. A plot, a, a, a plot level. Yes, and, and then you could think, also be like, well, it's also kind of about. It's like if you learned that there was an actual god, would you actually worship it, or would you just want to live in ignorance? You know, it's like, well, it's kind of about that too. But that's also just twenty five percent of it. <laughs> oh, exactly. And I think that's the problem. The reason why people glommed on to the superficial aspects of this film, and I think like whereas everybody cracked on them for pretty much everything except for this and now speed racer oh yeah yeah is because i don't think the the wachowskis are good storytellers i think they have it's the george lucas thing i think they are fabulous producers based on like things that they've done like whether it be like v for vendetta i think they have some powerful ideas mm-hmm. and even like cloud atlas that like they let somebody else into like their world to play and that's the thing yeah. They have great ideas, but they don't know how to convey them properly. I, or at least effect, not properly, effectively. I I completely agree, but I I want to make sure that we're on the same page. Well, I want to make sure we're on the same page. I want to make sure our audience understands. This is not like a dig at them. I kind of see the Wachowskis as, yeah, they're not the greatest storytellers, but it's not because they're they're bad storytellers. I think it's that the Wachowskis are the type of people when they make a movie, it's like talking to somebody where you're like, I know you know what you're saying, but you are thinking on a different plane of thought than I can really comprehend. Like, calling them bad storytellers is not a negative. They're just really kind of, you know, almost of a different breed. Uh, That might be offensive, (laughs) but you know what I mean, right, Zach? (laughs) Sure. No, I get it. Uh, That's the thing, though. I just... It's like I when you think... when you talk to really creative people and you're like, wow, I can tell this dude's smart, dude or lady, whatever. A dude I, I use as an, an agender term. Individual. But yeah. Individual. You talk to an individual and you're like, I can tell they're really smart and, and I don't really follow a lot of what they're saying, but I want to hear them say more type of thing. Yes, but I think like it's it's this thing that's show up a lot in like cinema discourse like since Denis Villeneuve's Dune in that like there's no good cinematic adaptation of Dune possible because so much is just like borrowed and stripped it. Yes. Over yes. the last 50 plus years since the novel was published. And I think it's the idea like going with the Matrix is that like you got to learn how to streamline your you can have these really like bold ambitious ideas but you got to compartmentalize them in ways that mass audiences can understand them because mm-hmm. clearly mass audiences were not on board when it came to Reloaded and Revolutions oh, when it comes to the ideas of the Matrix trilogy yes yeah i'm sure as we'll talk about next week the um the last shot of the matrix reloaded probably caused riots at theaters <laughs> oh god oh well, bane. Think, <laughs> the original I, bane <laughs> i only think it's riots it was probably like befuddled like yeah. like violence it's like who is this person like everybody forgets the shot of this guy from like the first what the first three minutes of the film <laughs> and, like 25 minutes yeah in. Yeah. <laughs> like, who is this character? I remember I thought of that. I remember, like, as a, oh, God, 10-year-old, like, seeing, like, the camera just pan down from Neo, and you see this guy sitting there, and it says, to be continued. It's like, what? It's pretty it's fucking like, wild, yeah. I, like, I'm not even angry. I'm just confused. <laughs> And 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 once I, I know we'll talk about this next week, but and and this comes after the architect scene, and they're two completely different oh, modes Jesus. of confusion. <laughs> oh Jesus! The art, like, we we will a hundred percent like next week's entire discussions. We we all I think 
the cinema audience at home should know. Um, it's a fait accompli at this point. Rob's like intro like <laughs> quote is going to be the entire. I was literally monologue. about to say, I'll give everybody place your bets now. What my quote for next week's going to be? <laughs> yeah, we, we all know what Rob's like opening quote's going to be. If it's not that. I, I will be disappointed. I think Zach is saying he's like, Rob, record it today when I'm not here just so I don't have to sit through it. <laughs> okay, like I said, we'll, we'll get to that in due time because that yes. is a 100% yes. a hallmark of this franchise. Yeah. But you're absolutely right. What you're saying about storytelling, and of course, uh, we have to blend all these movies together. We are not doing the blank check thing of pretending the other movies don't exist. Thank you, Zach. So we have to get these in here. But you're absolutely right. There's a, there's a level of storytelling uh, not diff- maybe difficulties, but like something is lost in the translation between the Wachowskis and the audience. I think that's everybody knows the story of you know when 1999 this movie comes out, you have like news stories and 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 you know interviews with people who come out of the theater and they're like, what was how was the Matrix? It was great. What was it about? Well, I don't know, <laughs> you know. And I think that goes back to what we were saying or what I was saying, and the critics were about how I think that the action is like the cement that made this movie so popular. That, yeah, there's a lot of heavy themes going on and people didn't really grasp them. They might have even taken the wrong things, like we mentioned. But it's such a spectacular-looking movie, and it's so different from anything anybody had ever seen in 1999 that everybody was on board. That's this, I, I think that is the success of the movie, is how spectacular-looking it is. Would you agree? Oh, a hundred percent. Like, okay. no, there was like, this is even before Crouching Tiger, Tiger Hidden Dragon. Yes, yes. Um, and people no, weren't especially... even accepting of that. Like, in The Matrix, everybody was like, fuck yeah, Keanu Reeves can fly and do six kicks before he hits the ground. And then uh, uh, Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon comes out, and people are like, why can they fly? <laughs> I like the idea that Rob's about to say Kung Fu Panda. It's I, like, in Kung I Fu was, Panda. I wasn't going to say Panda. I was going to say Kung Fu movie. I, I think I was going to say Kung Fu Dragon or something. Rob, there was no way I was going to say panda. panda. I would have said panda. hustle before panda, okay? Say I would have said kung fu hustle. Panda. Like when Jack Black floats in the air. <laughs> uh, what I should have said is Fiona and Shrek, you know? <laughs> okay, okay, exactly. See, folks, there's a reason I knew we why were going to have to get to that, yep. <laughs> there's a reason. Scary movie with Anna Ferris. Yep. Uh, I know they do it in an episode of The Fairly Odd Parents where Timmy Turner gets trapped in a video game. He dodges carrots. I remember that very vividly. Uh, like I said, and that was a TV show like that was like what produced like in what, 2000? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Literally, my note at the end of the movie when Neo dodges the bullets, you know, that scene. Everybody knows that scene. My note is literally, this is what I wrote. There it is. Neo dodging the agent's bullets. The moment that changed the world. Like, that's it. Like, this movie changed the world, and I think that singular moment is also a big part of changing the world. <laughs> Can you name me another shot in a movie that's as influential as that? Jesus Christ, Zach. We are on the same fucking page about this, this discussion. This is exactly what I was going to ask you. Is there any other moment in cinema that you can say is that influential. The one thing I fucking thought of, which I don't think even comes close to the uh, the Neo bullet time, is Buster Keaton with the uh, house falling yeah. on. That's it. And that what's that's like 37 or something? 1937? Yeah. Well, the only, the only other sequence I could think of, and like, I don't even know, like, oh god, the Neo bullet time wasn't just influential like in a cultural sense, it mm. also was in a technical sense. Oh yeah, yeah. Um... Uh, Reagan from The Exorcist with her head turning 360. Oh, that's a really um, good one. Okay, that's like 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 I'm I'm going through the most momentous moments in in God cinema culture. Like your heavy hitters, like Titanic, 
maybe like even the godfather like yes you have the line like i'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse but that is a line of dialogue not a, a exactly scene. i'm glad you bring that uh, up because that's not visual storytelling that's the thing i'm thinking yes. of visual storytelling like, that's the thing i gotta give this movie a lot of credit for there is even though the the exposition dumps are uh, heavy there is a lot of visual storytelling in i'm this. so glad you mentioned that because that's what i was thinking when i was pondering this before we recorded and when i was making my notes one of the things that came up to me was we're going to need a bigger boat. But that's a line of dialogue. That is not a scene. That is not a moment type of thing. You know, I'm, so I'm totally with you. Yeah, and and that's where I, I really like – you're thinking of like – oh, god. Gone with the wind? No. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe – this is slightly Ben-Hur where they're doing the chariot race and he's getting hit with the, 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 uh, the reins. Yeah. May, but again, there, there's a giant qualifier there. Yes. Yes. Um, I, I, I genuinely like you're just going through the list of things. Star Wars, like you said, Jaws. Uh, Maybe the sh- uh, what about the shower scene from Psycho? Psycho, yes, yes, I'll give you that. Okay, okay. The, the boulder with Indiana Jones. Oh, that's a great one. Sure. Um, but th- those are iconic sequences in of themselves. I don't know how much they influenced beyond be influenced others. Exactly. Exactly. Beyond that, and that's the thing. Like this might be like it's funny. Like we talked about like one of the most influential films ever made. This might be the most influential film ever made. It I think, genuinely yeah. might. I think it is. You know. I mean, I, what what are other contenders, you know, branching, you know, expanding from these moments we're talking about to the film in total. I mean, what what is even close to this? The original Star Wars, maybe. What else? And, and that's one where I would even be hard pressed to even say that because Star Wars is a collection of moments. I don't yes. think even watching that first film, you can point to one specific moment and say, okay, people changed the way they shot action yeah. sequences after that. Absolutely. You could maybe you could say special effects. Um, but Star Wars is such an amalgamation of so many different kinds of special effects. You can't yeah. just point to one. Like, yes, you have the, the the run on the Death Star. You have lightsabers. You have blasters. You have – Star Wars is doing so much on so many levels. You can't just kind of point to one. Um, No, Star Wars, like I said, I think I've mentioned a couple times on this podcast, is probably the most – oh, God. It changed Hollywood. Yes. Absolutely. I don't know if it changed – Star Wars is probably the closest thing I'd say to this. Like, if there ever, if 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 there was a tie, I'd say Star Wars nineteen seventy seven was the closest. I think, I think there's a big, uh, there's a distinct difference though. I think Star Wars changed the world. Uh, that's another movie I would say changed the world. And I think nobody can, you know, will say it didn't. Star Wars changed the world by injecting itself into the world. You know, like Star Wars just became Star Wars, like toys, everything. You know, of course, as, as everybody knows, it became a, a cultural milestone and standpoint and, you know, marker that we still feel today and will forever. I think the Matrix changed the world not by just becoming the Matrix, but by changing the way people thought about the world. Like, like we said, the revolutionary aspect, the red pill thing. For better or worse, you might not agree if it's good or bad or anything like that, but... The Matrix isn't just this property that people buy toys and everybody loves and everybody gets gets to argue about of the internet. The Matrix is now just like it influenced the way people think. So it's not an injection. It's more of like, I don't know, an alteration, if that makes sense. I, I guess. I'm not sure if I agree on that terminology, but okay. I, I get yeah, your I don't, point. I don't know if I have the right word for it yet, but I think there's a difference where Star Wars just became a brand. The Matrix became almost like, uh, I don't want to, this is going to sound so weird, but like a way of life, but uh, that might be too grandiose. But but I, I hope, I, I think I'm getting, I'm, I'm slowly forming what I'm thinking, I think. <laughs> 
But this is like okay, this, okay. But getting more back again, this is the pro, this is the pitfall of Cinemonides is uh, getting away from the actual film itself and into the philosophical. Rob, tell the audience, go tell the audience why you are enamored with the beginning of this film. Oh God, it's so. Oh my God, it's it's fast paced. The movie hits the ground running. I love when movies hit the ground running. I love a good just hardcore opening scene. It tells you how to watch the movie, shows you what you're going to you know, see through the rest of it. We get the crane kick from Trinity with the spinning camera, the slow-mo, that type of stuff. We get all the jumping over the buildings, what the cop says. He's like, impossible, you know, that type of thing. We get the agents. Even, you know, if it doesn't make sense the first time you watch it, when you rewatch it, you get the set. You absolutely know that the very beginning Trinity and Cypher on the phone are talking about Neo. Trinity realizes that the line isn't clean because good old, you know, Joe Pantoliano, he's trying to get the Duke, that type of thing. It's just so indefatigable. Like, it keeps going and going, you know? It just, like, hits you with stuff you've never seen before, things you don't understand yet. I, I would put this up here with my great movie openings. You know, I, I know I've mentioned it before. I love the opening scene of The Dark Knight, the bank robbery with, Will, with um, uh, Bill Fickner and stuff like that. You know who you're stealing from? You know, and, that, uh, the, and I kill the bus driver. I love that. I love the opening scene of Constantine, another Keanu Reeves, when he does the, um, the first exorcism. Like, that is great. I love opening scenes that are just packed with energy, and they tell you what you're getting into. They tell you what ride you're about to get on and to buckle the fuck up. More recently, I also kind of really like the opening scene to Anomalisa that is a completely black screen with millions of Tom Noonan's voice playing over each other. And once you realize what the movie's about, you're like, oh, that's the perfect opening. That's the only way to open the movie is just indistinguishable chatter from Tom Noonan type of thing. I fucking love it, Zach. So I wanted to ask you, Zach, how you, what you think about this opening scene. And I don't think I've ever asked you, do you have any, like, go-to openings of movies that you love that you just might, you're just like, that's it. Like, that's a great encapsulation of the movie. Like, there's so many times I don't, I won't sit down and watch all two and a half hours of The Dark Knight, but I will just watch that opening scene because I think it's fucking perfect. And The Matrix is another example of that. It is perfect. Oh, God. Um... I, I don't know if I agree with you on the opening to the Matrix. Um, I think it's a nice amalgam amalgamation of like everything action wise, like what you're getting yourself involved with, mm -hmm. because there is really no. There's some lore, but I would say it's very superficial. Oh, with, like, it's the more action. of the. Like, well, I agree with you, but I think it's it's this it's sowing the seeds of the lore. Oh yeah, yeah, which yeah, is no, 100%. makes it important, of course. Which which is what I love, you know. Which I also think Constantine does when you know it explains how there's a great in the opening scene of Constantine when he first gets into the room with the possessed girl. He has a shitload of keys and he holds them up to the light and he flips through them to cast a shadow from each one onto the girl to find the one that burns her, so he knows what type of demon it is, and it's all wordless. And it's just like, oh, that's how much how deep Constantine is in this world. We don't really know what he's doing yet, but that's how deep he is, how good he is at it. And I think that's what we're setting up with Trinity here as well. I love that we're referencing Constantine, which is considered one of... Uh... Uh, Keanu, what Keanu's worst performances? Uh, he's amazing in that movie. Ben and I covered it on the Patreon, and I, I know, I know. <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to argue that, but I just once again, folks, know what you're getting yourself involved yes, with. Yes, absolutely. Um, also, the movie that uh, got uh, Keanu Reeves addicted to cigarettes for a few years. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I agree with the Dark Knight. The Dark Knight is like the opening sequence of the Dark Knight. 
Um, it's one of those like openings that hooks you and doesn't let you go. That might be my favorite yeah. ever. That might be my favorite opening scene in a movie. Period. I think. I know. Like I said, it's it's one of those things where opening scenes are. Like, I I can still remember to this day. Like it was on the Jaws, the uh, God VHS bonus tape mm-hmm. where Spielberg talks about the idea of like you need like an opening scene that like once you've got the audience, um, is how important that is. Um. I, I don't know. I, off the top of my head, I can't think of an opening sequence that gets me on that same level. Okay. Uh, the the closest thing I can think of, maybe this is just maybe because it's just it's fresh in my mind, would, would be Sicario. Oh. That opening where they're raiding the drug house and it shows you just like the chaos and just the uh, oh god the the, the brutality. Yes, that's a great everything. one. Um, and I don't even think that's a great example. I think that's on the weaker side. Like, I don't know. It it just, again, that opening, that's the thing about this movie, is that the action feels like almost like a candy coating. Like, that's what this feels, like, the action in this film, like I said, it's it's a competently made film. I think this, but this film is just, it's like a sugar rush. And I think that's why (laughs) I find it frustrating, is that, like, again, The Matrix is considered one of the all-time greatest films ever made. Yeah. But it feels like a sugar rush. And that's probably my best way to describe my feelings toward it. Is that You're like, not wrong. That's actually a really good thing. But I, I would come back with it's a sugar rush with no crash. I don't, I don't feel the, the negative effects at any point during the movie or after it's over. If well, anything, I'm just like it's, still on the high. You know what, you know what it reminds me of? It's like a five-hour energy in that <laughs> it's, 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 it's going to get you what you need, like, like what you want from it. It's to get you over the goal line, sure. But like at the end, you're like, okay, like, like, what did any of this mean? It, and, and that's my again, as somebody who's really fascinated with lore and substance behind all this, and like we know, like when they talk about Zion, when they talk about all this stuff, um, I, we, the audience, know what is behind that those words, sure. But in 1999, it's just gobbledygook. Yes, it's jargon. It's 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 stuff that jar- you know. I think uh, yeah, jar- jargon. Yeah. Like, jargon, if you look at the definition of that, represents something else. It's sure. shorthand. Sure. Zion means nothing at this point. Like if you look at, like, and that's what I was doing while I was watching this. I was trying to put myself in the mind of so- mind of somebody in 1999, and it's like there is so- and there's just so much happening that you get overwhelmed. And I think in a weird way. That is what tarnished this film. I guess it, I, I don't like this goes back to like Sam Raimi. I'm having a hard time articulating what I want to say with this because like it reminded me a lot of Sam Raimi Spider-Man in that sense of like they're both for the sense for the sake of the Matrix. It's an early 2000s franchise, mm-hmm. very similarly to the Spider-Man Raimi films. Sure, sure. And both of these franchises are held on such a high pedestal. The Matrix very much buoyed by that first film in a cultural sense, yeah. not oh, Rob yeah. and I. And it's like, okay, like, wow, aren't these films the greatest thing to ever exist? And it's like, no. Like, I enjoy them. Like, I, I enjoy them. And I, I understand their merit and their contribution to filmmaking and the culture. But I don't think these are – like, certain elements, yes. But I don't think The Matrix – in and of itself, it's a concentrated one film is is perfect. I, I don't ooh. I don't agree with I don't agree with its place in nineteen ninety nine, two thousand, two thousand one, two thousand two, specifically stopping at two thousand three. Yeah, yeah. It's place in the culture because it's like, no, 
this is a film, and I think we've talked about it a couple of times, like when it comes to like uh, the Cinemati's like restaurant. Oh god, what's it called? The, the, the oh god, what's the bread with that has the tomato and the cheese on it? We talk about a couple. For, for, I guess that. Oh, like a bruschetta. No, not bruschetta. Uh, um, they just serve it at Daily Planet, like um, it's an appetizer, or like <laughs> instead of just regular bread, they used to give us that has a tomato and like basil and garlic on it. Though, God, Italians in the audience are yelling at me right now. Um, I thought that was bruschetta. That's what's coming to mind. <laughs> no, there's there's something else. We've talked about it in a previous discussion. Like, Comment uh, down below. Caprese salad? That's a, there's no. no bread in that. <laughs> no. But no, it's the idea that like this, this, this feels like a film that's like, yeah, like I said, it goes back to that sugar rush, um, and that there's just so much. There's the slickness of it, and like there's so much plot elements. Like, why should we care about Neo other than because we're told to care about Neo? Neo is an empty vessel. He's the one that he's I, yeah. an empty vessel that even he's an empty vessel that's almost self-aware that he's an empty vessel. <laughs> and that's amazing. Like, like, and that's the thing. Like, even like Morpheus is like, why should we care about Morpheus? Well, because Neo's trying to find him. OK, well, well, why is he trying to find him? Well, because he's the mastermind behind all this. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, well, how is he the mastermind? Well, because we're told he's the mastermind. Um, it, it just it feels like a lot of things just it, it's the equivalent of going to a dead end, but you can see they're paving more road behind it. I and see like, what you're saying. Okay. The movie's kind of like, I'm like, okay, like I'm looking over the sign being like, wow, that looks really cool. But it says do not enter. And it's like, okay, like, like I'll give you the benefit of the doubt for now. And that's the thing. Like I'm somebody who lo- like from last, again, it's been four years since I've watched two and three, but it's the idea of like, it feels like this is a film that's just like, it gets you right to the edge and then stops. I think this film is more of a tease than Reloaded is. Oh, that, okay. You, I I, I kind of completely agree with you with that last thing. The the idea of, because you mentioned it, um, well, one, I, I think I agree with you in the sense that, because you gave me a lot to unpack, Zach, so let me, let me try and break through it. Go all. ahead, Rob, unpack, um, unpack. Um, I am with you that this is not one of my favorite movies ever. If I had to branch out to, like, a list of, like, maybe top 100, of course, I think, God, well, tune in at the end of the month when I give my rankings. I actually really like the second one the most. (laughs) Um, um, This would probably be in, if you went out far enough, it's up there. But it's not, like, in my top 10, not even in my top 25, I'd say. You know, that's, that's filled with stuff like, you know, Freddy Got Fingered and and Odd Sack and It's Such a Beautiful Day and then Spirited Away and weird shit like that. But I do think this is a perfect movie. I don't have... I don't think I have any problems with this movie. I think... To to get at what you said about why should we care about these characters, I'm with you. That the movie is almost like very didactically telling us to watch it. Not how to watch it, but just to watch it. And I think it is so compelling that I am fine with it. It's like, well, why should I care about Morpheus? Who gives a fuck? I'm so enthralled. I think that the enthralling nature of this movie, just in its, you know, composition, it the, the way that it kind of, you know, I, not it's not really a siren song or anything because it doesn't lure me into a bad movie. Um, it, it's more of like, you know, I'm so compelled by what I'm seeing that... I'm just lost. It, it's almost like one of the things I was thinking is as I was really into this movie, which is two two hours, 15 minutes, it's a, it's a long movie, does not feel that way to me. I think this went right on by. Um, a testament to how much I love it and compelling it is is that it's very hard for me to take notes. I'm just watching the scenes because I want to see them. I think that, you know, this is the one of those movies that does something close to, not completely, removing the window of cinema. Like me sitting here while my lights are out watching the television, you know, which I'm many feet away from, I don't feel like I'm sitting in my living room watching this movie. I feel like I'm 
in this movie. And I think it is so compelling in that way, and was for audiences back in 1999, and still is to this day for many audiences, that it, I can look past that it is so didactic in saying, care, watch this, now they're in love, you know? When you break it down in the way that you said, yes, it is kind of contrived in that sense, but it, it's so well put together and well composed that that almost is... It's almost like magic. It's like they've, they've, they've hidden the seams perfectly. They, they're telling you to look at the right hand and ignoring the left, and I'm looking at the right hand type of thing. You know, you know what I'm saying? Again, I can't argue because that's your subjective opinion. Yeah, that's the other tough thing about this. Yeah. But, this is, but this is the thing, though. Is that like watching this movie, I – this is the weird part where I'm trying to divorce myself from my tw- almost 20 years of, of connection with this film franchise. Sure. yeah. Um, I didn't even talk about merchandise spotlight yet. Oh, we got, uh, we got. Oh, uh, real quick before, not to interrupt, but um, on the topic of great opening scenes, I had to mention because I thought of it. I really like the opening scene to our favorite, the Twilight Zone movie. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, had to get that. I saw that my notes had to get that out there. Oh, <laughs> you want to see something really scary, and then it cuts to a picture of John Landis in court. <laughs> It's John Lance in the toy helicopter jumping and dropping <laughs> a bunch of children. No, John, um, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, like, like, okay, but like, that's the thing about going through moments of this film is that, like, it's just we're not given, like, it, okay, this is maybe more like when it comes to like, I keep looking at twenty twenty one Dune, okay, and that like stupid internet people are like, wow, this is the greatest thing to ever exist. Yes. It, I think the last time I looked at it, I think it's sitting at a 4.1 on Letterboxd, which is wild. Like, only shit like, you know, The Shining and fucking, like, um, you know, Casablanca have, like, a, a f- higher than a 4, you well, know? Well, <laughs> it's like, well, again, it's the same thing as, like, IMDb, where, like, the top oh, 10 yeah, movies yeah. is, like, Fight Club, The Dark Knight, the show, <laughs> like, it's like, no, it's like, no, this, these are, this is dummies on the internet rating movies. It's it's that notion of like if you look at this film as a whole, I'm not a whole. I'm sorry, like, like specific moments is that like y- you don't give any of it like and this is when it comes back to like Dune 2021 and that like okay like Timothy Chalamet is Paul Atreides. Mm-hmm. He doesn't he doesn't we're not given a reason to like him other than the film is telling us to like him. Absolutely. And I think that it's very, and that's how I felt watching this with Neo or is that like, like I, I, I know Timothy Chalamet apparently is like, like a st- apparently like stuck up. Like he's very much high on himself. And from what I've read about Keanu, he's the hundred percent opposite. Like Absolutely. he's like, there's shot. There's like, like behind the scenes photos from John Wick chapter four, where he's helping like the sound guys, like lug up their equipment up like, like three flights of stairs. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, again, like Keanu's a sweetheart from everything you've read. Like I've read over the last 20 years. I remember like in 2000, like four, like in like a magazine reading like oh he donated part of his like profit sharing from like the latter two films to like the cast and crew because he felt bad that like they weren't getting in like all the success of these movies god i mention it um, every time on this podcast the, his interview for one of the john wick movies with stephen colbert is one of the most amazing things because stephen colbert is you know a, a jackass type of thing and he's like keanu what happens when we die keanu Reeves pauses and says uh i think the ones who love us will miss us and he's like um I didn't expect that. I can't make a joke about that. Go see John Wick three. Here's a commercial, and like that, it's 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 purity, you know, almost. It's why the internet yeah. loves them. Yeah, <laughs> sure, but like you, you, ha- it's that idea of like, and I don't know if this again. The Wachowskis are are very very intelligent individuals, absolutely, and yet like Neo is an empty vessel, 
And I can't tell if he's an empty vessel in the same way that, like, Luke Skywalker is an empty vessel. Um, mm. Going to everybody's favorite young adult film franchise, Harry Potter. It's the idea of, like, deliberately crafting an em- empty vessel so the audience has a place to place – has a, an empty spot to place themselves in. Yeah. Or it's because they forgot to give him character. I mm, that's mm, God that's that's tough. Like how would I, you how would you describe Neo beyond physical attributes? I mm, <laughs> questioning. How, <laughs> how, how would you describe Paul Atreides from Dune twenty twenty one without describing physical attributes? Okay, okay, two things. One that we continue this conversation with, uh, of course, Neo. I think is not. It, of course, he is an audience surrogate in this movie. I think he's further than that. I think he's an audience vessel almost. Two. Timothy Chalamet does not make a single fucking facial expression in the entire two and a half hours of Denis Villeneuve's Dune, and he never says the phrase, where are my feelings, okay? That's a big problem I have with that movie. If anybody should say, where's my feelings, it's him. Timothy Chalamet chucks an orange at Ansel Elgort's girlfriend from Men, Women, and Children. (laughs) And fast forward, like, seven years later, and he's in, like, the blockbuster that Hollywood keeps telling us is going to save Hollywood, despite the fact that it's going to lose money at the end of the day. (laughs) Oh, God. Uh, just so everybody knows, Zach and I both certainly despised Dune. <laughs> Dune, don't go see Dune. Like, I, I, I can only hope Dune twenty, Dune, whatever they call Dune again. Dune, um, Dune again. <laughs> like, I, I don't want that to happen. Like, like, well, I see it, yes, but it's gonna be just because, like, I, I'm a completionist. Don't, don't, don't support Dune twenty twenty one. It's not a good movie. If they don't call the sequel Dunes, I will be very upset. <laughs> <laughs> So, but, but to get back to the Neo thing, yes, I totally agree with you that he is very empty. Like I said, he's not really a surrogate. He's a vessel. Like, I think he is almost like one of the mech suits from the third movie that the audience has to get into and go along this ride with. But the the part of me wants to say I'm okay with that because of what we learn in the later two movies, that the one is a necessary mechanation of the Matrix, getting into the lore. Looking at just this movie individually then yeah, I see where you're coming from. You might have a problem with it. But from what we learn from the architect at the end of the second movie, there is a purpose that Neo is so hollow, I think. He's made to follow routine, right? This is probably going to come up a lot more in, the, in next week's discussion, but, this is but you know. But, this, but this, yes, it will come up because Neo and I think grows. I can't thing, separate I that, which, which you well, seem like you're trying to. But, but this is the thing, though, is that like I think Neo grows as a character by the time we get to that third film, and that's why I think the third film is the best one oh, of these blind, three. sure. <laughs> well, no, because I think there, there is moments like that. Like we're like, okay, not to jump too far ahead to Revolutions, but you have that moment where we have Bane – and you have him, and, like, he obviously has Trinity, what, by the throat? Yeah. And, yeah. and like, Neo, like, approaches with, like, a gun. Mm-hmm. Like, 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 the same gun that uh, Tank uses in, in Cypher uses to kill the, Tank. Uh, the Ghostbusters proton pack, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> which, I, which I, the whole time while I was watching, I was trying to figure out what the, like purpose it would be like in an engineering sense on the nebuchadnezzar um, uh, i mean i mean zach I, I think we all know busted makes you feel good this <laughs> busted makes you feel good why wouldn't you all have right, a rock, proton pack rock, 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 rock. <laughs> by the time this this episode comes out ghostbusters afterlife will be out oh real okay oh that's yes. right yeah oh so my god pr- we're this, like a this, month and a week this, away from this episode coming this out is a predi- this is a prediction i want you to make okay do we get force ghost harold ramus and ghostbusters afterlife i I am going to say hard no because I really don't want that. <laughs> Putting my objective cap on, I don't think they'd do that. I mean, 
Okay, another tangent. Is I know that they're making Ghostbusters Afterlife. I don't know the background thing. The whole thing that I know about Ghostbusters Oath was that they never made a third one because they needed everybody to sign off on, all four of the, of the Ghostbusters. Or maybe maybe it was the three and not Ernie Hudson, or Ernie Hudson was on there. I'm not sure. But No, they're all back. They're, they're, all, they're all back. Okay, so I, I can't imagine if they have involvement with this, they're going to want to to do something with Harold Ramis. Especially Bill Murray. Doesn't matter. Nostalgia. Nostalgia. Doesn't matter. Nostalgia. Remember, the whole if you look at this this trail, like have you seen any of the Ghostbusters Afterlife marketing? Yes. I've seen maybe I saw the first trailer when YouTube popped up. I've seen recent starts of trailers when it pops up on YouTube. (laughs) This is a Oh, and I saw it before um the Venom. The trailer played before Venom too, so I saw it. Yeah. Yeah. This is a film that's steeped in nostalgia, and the whole point of the new family is they're the daughter and granddaughter of Harold Ramis. Yes, yes. And that's like I said. I, I again, I think it's a fait accompli that we get Dan Aykroyd, Bill Murray, and Ernie Hudson encountering Force Ghost Harold Ramis. I just, I, I think that they have. And let's say, I think it's not even going to be like the bloated, fat Harold Ramis from the latter half of his career. It's going to be like the 1980s version, which is like a fraction of how he looked mm. like in his real life. Oh god! And that's what they're because they're going to do that to stroke the audience. What's it's, the it's, story it, between Murray and Ramis on Groundhog's Day? Do you think? Do you think Bill Murray's going to say to Force <laughs> Ghost Ramis, "This is what you"? He's going to like shoot him with the proton pack and go, "This is what you get for fucking up Groundhog's Day." <laughs> <laughs> Bill Murray's just too high off of whatever OPA he joined chooses that. <laughs> There's a cinematic episode where you and I just debate like the like the one eight hundred number that Bill Murray has. We're just like Jesus. That's going like, to be the many... first cinematic charity live stream. We run through every one eight hundred number to hopefully find Bill Murray. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, like Zach, Zach, I got. Is it him? I'm like Zach. Listen to this. He's like, is it Bill Murray? No. They have a really nice ring we could buy, though, from QVC. <laughs> <laughs> it's like those PBS, like, uh, when they used to, like, pledge drives, or they have, like, all the people, like, like in the stands. And, like, we have all different, like, characters from the Cinematis restaurant. And it's, like, it's like the Cinematis telephone. And yes. it's, like, like dial this number so we can figure out. And it's just, like, like all these different characters the restaurant trying to figure out, like, what this is. <laughs> we brute force it. I love it. I'm just imagining go- now where it's, like, I hang up the phone, and, it's, and, and you're, like, you know, Rob, did you find him? like no but i got a free tote bag (laughs) (laughs) oh god that's great (laughs) Uh, i will not be going to see ghostbusters afterlife i can tell you that i have no interest in that at all quasi tempted just because like i i just i just want to see how great like because that's a film that like it feels like sony like after ghostbusters 2016 is just so desperate to become a franchise everybody forgets remember like there was talk they're gonna like merge like oh god what was it Oh God! Like Men in Black into Ghostbusters, oh, Jump Street into yeah, Ghostbusters. Yeah. Then there was gonna be like all this different like Ghost Core with like like Chris Pratt and like Channing mm-hmm. Tatum. Um, like like it's it, it's a franchise that's like they're so desperate to make a thing, but it's been on life support because they torpedoed it with the Melissa McCarthy film. <laughs> um, it's it's. Uh, I, I I don't know. Like it's neither here nor there, but it, it's just it, it's a nostalgia point, absolutely. Um, which, is, which is inescapable when it comes to cinema culture of of the modern era. Um, it's also a little. Um, I think you know. I, I I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only person to think this, but it's slightly you know nepotistic because Reitman, the son, is directing this one, right? Well, of course. Oh, and, yeah. And, but that's but that's the cash in on the cachet of of Ivan Reitman. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I, I think that's another reason I don't want to see it. You know, <laughs> it's this. It's whoa, 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 Rob. 
Like, if they have a title card, it's just from the director of Men, Women, and Children. Like, I am just like, I'll be literally just throwing my money at the screen. <laughs> I don't know where, I don't know what the joke is. I haven't formed it, but something with, like, the ghost would fuck it if it could find the hole, you know? That's going to happen in this movie. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know. A, I don't have the full ghost, joke. It's there. A ghost throws an orange at Ansel Elgort's girlfriend. <laughs> there, there you go. Ghost gets his World of Warcraft account deleted. <laughs> Oh, God. Okay. How the hell do we get on Ghostbusters? Everything sucks, Rob. That's, I think that's Ain't the, that the truth. Discussion. Everything sucks. Ain't that the truth. What, um, what, is the, what is the implicit thesis of Cinematis? Movies are terrible. <laughs> yes, Movies absolutely. Are... Oh, man. Okay, yeah. What uh, what were we on for that? Um, I don't know. Well, no, I, I, think okay, yeah, like go I think it goes back to, like, different sequences in this film. Sure, sure. And the idea that, like, I'm trying to think of the best, like... I remember back in the day trying to show my fi- – I a lot of the context of this movie is kind of just flooding back now that we just, like unpack different like things from it. I remember at some point like showing my father on my portable DVD player the end – like the end sequence of like the lobby from The Matrix. And he's just like, what? Like he's like, no, I'm not going to watch this. Like, pl-. Like, he's like, no, like none of this makes sense. <laughs> and I can't tell if he meant because like – we were watching it on a screen that was like four by three inches sure. or because like, he's just like, what is happening right now? Um, I, I, again, I'm thinking of all these like this different moments from the matrix and like, they all just seem to be like, do you, and this is the best thing I can think of. And mm-hmm. there might be a term for this and Rob might know what it is. Do you remember from Green Lantern with Ryan Reynolds. Oh, God. That sequence where we have, again, you know your DC comic lore. It was the character voiced by Jeffrey Rush, and he has Ryan Reynolds trying to make like this weird sort of just like pattern that just kind of like like grows and melds into itself. And it's quite, it's... it's yeah, this is around the training montage scene? Yeah. Yes, okay, okay. Montage. And it's supposed to be like this thing that's kind of like weaves and intermingles amongst itself in a way that it never like collides, it never bunches. And then Ryan Reynolds tries and it's just like kind of like, like, oh God, it's like like a pile of mush. Sure. That's what it's, this movie feels like is that like, oh, like, like people see it as this thing that just beautifully just like connects itself together while it's perpetually moving. Mm-hmm. And, but in reality, it's just a bunch of stuff happening. That doesn't like it has no meaning at the end of the day. Like, sure, like like watching Trinity and Agent Smith leap across a, a city street is great. Um, watching all these technical feats is great, but if I don't have that, like, oh god, like underlying fabric of a story that I can relate to, I don't care about any of these like at the end like watching this and you have like neo like 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 after he's quote-unquote defeated agent smith in the subway tunnel and we see him like like trying to outrun the three agents and then we hear him trying to get into like the apartment building mm-hmm. i'm sorry the apartment room where like the phone's ringing and agent smith is just there and shoots him and i'm just like i don't care I'm like, I've, 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 like, literally, and I'm not saying that as someone who's seen this movie, like, at least a half a dozen times, if not more. I'm just, I don't care because, like, I have no reason to root for Neo. I just have no, like, he hasn't done anything heroic. He hasn't done anything unique. And then, like, you juxtapose that to, like, again, going back to Mad Max Fury Road, which I'm kind of delighted Rob, like, connected to this because that's what Blank Check kept connecting it to. Oh, fuck me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, Griffin Newman. Okay, Griffin Newman. <laughs> Um, because like you watch Furry Road 
and like you look at um oh god what's her name in that Charlize Theron she's uh Imperator Furiosa which is one of my favorite names of all time (laughs) Imperator Furiosa it's the greatest Star Wars name that George Lucas ever thought of Um, I like that (laughs) but like you have that like like groundwork of like oh what is Charlize Theron doing she's saving these women from being raped by a monster Yes. That's why this is important. Like why and like I said, Furiosa is very much the Morpheus of that film. Oh, yeah. Whereas Tom Hardy's Mad Max is the Neo. And because like Mad like like Max in that film is not even like he's barely a character. He's Absolutely. just a guy. He's just a he's a he's a madman. Which again, the brilliance of George Miller. It's basically but the it's, camera in that movie, you know? <laughs> it's like this, yeah. he, we're seeing this because he's seeing it, you know? More or less. But, like, it's Furiosa's plight is is the grounding of reality to that film, which is so far removed from from reality. Yes. And, 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 but this film doesn't have that layer. It's like, okay, it tries with Neo saving like, – like being like, oh, the whole thing with the Oracle. Being like, okay, it's eventually going to boil down to your life or Morpheus's life. Mm-hmm. And you're going to be one who decides which one of you survives all this. Um, and that's great. Like, like that's the sort of stuff I want to see more of this. Give this grounding, give this a root to something sure. as opposed to just like, like, like stuff happening, like that entire sequence, like where they're rescuing Morpheus, um, they go through the lobby and they blow up the lobby. They blow up the elevator shaft only for them to get in a helicopter with a minigun and just momentarily immobilize the agents. I'm like, what, what? why we need that entire like lobby sequence if they're just gonna get in a helicopter yeah um this just feels arbitrary and i'm like it doesn't add anything to the story you could literally cut from that moment of them like in the white room suiting up being like her being and this is the thing i love i love the part where she's like she's like this has never been done before and he turns around like that's his, why it's like, gonna work oh that's great yeah <laughs> like, that's, great. that's great dialogue and like at that moment we should cut to the the top of the building the rooftop like we okay. just cut direct, just cut directly to that moment. We don't need this. Like that entire hallway sequence, an elevator or a shaft is gratuitous. It's there because action sequence. Absolutely, like if- I think you are totally right. And I, I, when you lay it out just like you did, I kind of, not kind of, I think I totally agree with you. Why should we care about these characters? Mad Max Fury Road is a great comparison with the you know, um, Furiosa's saving the the brides. I think they're called. From a monster, from a Mortan Joe, another great, you know, Mad Max name, um, only comparable to Lord Humongous. The Immortan. The 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 Immortan. Immortan. The yeah. Immortan. I like I said, a fantastic name, second greatest name George Lucas didn't come up with. <laughs> I really like Lord Humongous. I think that's from Mad Max Two. Um, but whatever. So I I get what you're saying, and when you lay it out that way, yeah, I kind of say like, well, why should I care? It is very hollow. It's these things are there for action scene, that type of stuff. You're not wrong. I personally find this movie very compelling. The years since I've seen it, you know, when I was young, I'm sure I was like, action, this is, and sci-fi, this is great. Now, I really like it in the Wachowskis filmography as a, you know, a transcendence story. You know, that, that the, um, the, the theme of this is the transcendence, the finding your true self, which I'm, I want to talk about a little bit more later. But to your point, do you think that the hollowness that you're describing is what led so many people who saw this in 1999 and still see it to this day to take that revolutionary aspect and construe a message that this movie is not putting forward. Almost like when they see the action and that the machines are the overlords and we're fighting against the agents to save humanity, since that's so the, the movie's so hollow or maybe dense and tough to get the transcendent meaning from, I, I'm kind of on the fence about that, 
Do you think that's why so many people took the wrong message from it? Oh, uh, no. I, I I think what happened was, that, like, this is a very slick movie that's hard not – it's hard to not like it. Um, mm-hmm. it. It's doing so many things right. Like, it's one of those movies that's greater than the sum of its parts without yeah. a doubt. Um, and I think what happens is that people trying to figure out a meaning to it just latched onto the whatever they could. Yes. It's the definition of grasping at straws. And I think that – and again, I think the Wachowskis misinterpreted why people – why this became a cultural tour de force, not in a filmmaking guise, but like when it came to mass audiences. Yep. Thematically, like, wow, people absolutely, are, yeah. Exactly, thematically, thank you. And that's why like you get that entire sequence with the architect, which again, I have not watched this film in like four – the second film in four plus years. But I know when I get to that like like architect sequence – I'm just going to literally have to like fight the urge to like take my pants off and start fondling myself because that entire <laughs> sequence is literally telling the audience like like it's an exposition dump but is literally giving like that sequence is literally that moment like 3 seconds later we see like in all the television screens oh yeah we see the version of Neo giving the finger to Fuck the, you like, yeah yeah <laughs> yeah it's, it's that to the audience it's like, oh, like you like these movies because of the action and the like rebellious nature of it all. It's like, no, you're stupid. It's like, I, I love that. Like, it's a giant f you to the audience. Yep. Oh yeah. Um, but I think at the same time, though, like I think that's, oh god, it's it's the folly of the Wachowskis, and I think that's what I find so fascinating about Resurrections. Because mm-hmm. again, going back to the blank check discussion when they were recording that, like R- Resurrections wasn't happening. Like they mentioned numerous times, like this is a franchise oh, okay. that the studio seems hell bent not to revive. Yes. Um, at that point, I think well, God Jupiter Ascending was only maybe like a year. Uh, God, maybe a few months old at that point. It was mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. it was barely out of the gate. Yeah, I mean, I don't um, think the um the tax grievance had gotten out of like you know the first few hands or anything like that. It was still through the had to go through the pipeline. Absolutely. <laughs> God, it's delightful. Like, it's, it's, it's clunky, but it's delightful. I can't, I can't uh, believe – now I'm upset with myself that I didn't mention, mention tax grievances when we brought up Jupiter Ascending earlier. <laughs> but no, but I think that's what's going to make The Matrix Resurrection so interesting is that like it's a sequel that's coming out 18-plus years later. Yep, yep. And that like – and I think – like I know the plot of that film has leaked online. Like apparently there was like a test screen they did like sometime in 2020, so the plot's been out for a while. I, mean, I know we've even referenced it on the podcast, the idea that, like, it's it, it it's very meta, like, meta to, like, a fall almost. Have you looked into it? I, I know we talked no. a little bit about it, but, okay, yeah. The, okay. I don't want – I don't want to know anything about okay. that movie. Okay, I just know that the supplementary material um, of the video games is important still, so it's not like they're restarting or anything, which I kind of like, you know? No, no, I, I, clearly uh, they care about continuity. Yeah. But I think the thing I'm most excited for from Resurrections, because I know Rob and I talked about this. Like, I think the trailer came out while Rob was in New York. Yep, yep. Um, um, and this is the, and I remember telling him this in person. It was the notion of, like, I'm watching this trailer on my phone, and it may be the worst way to watch that trailer, because I saw that trailer in front of Dune in IMAX. Mm-hmm. And it was formatted for the IMAX screen. It was delightful. Like nice. it was like it, it was it was a trip. Like it was it was very similar. I can imagine what it was like watching this movie. Like it was a trip. And I'm like, this is neat. But I think the thing I'm most excited for when it comes to resurrections is what the Wachowskis think a reboot a a, a, a soft reboot is. Well, clearly well, this is their Force Awakens. Yes, I, I totally agree with you there, and I am interested in that as well, but it is – we have to, of course, 
cite or credit appropriately what a Wachowski thinks a reboot is because we're not getting both. I yeah, you are one hundred percent right, but I have a hard time believing that Lana did not consult with Lily. That's fair. Like, I, I, I agree. With like, you. I, I get it that one's not like obviously no. I, if Lana is like, oh god, oh god, like chest deep in this. Mm-hmm. Um, Lily is at most maybe like ankles deep. Um, but I, I, I can, it's still them. It, it's not like sure. this isn't the idea of like, I think we talked about what, like the cowboy bebop Netflixing, like nobody from the original series is involved. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this isn't, again, this is not the force awakens where like nobody from that era is like, like involved. This is at least half of them coming back. Um, mm-hmm. So you have some of that. And I think there is, like I said, I, I'm just curious what their interpretation of it is. And again, tr- Warner Brothers is notorious for cutting fantastic trailers that are very, very removed from the final product. So I don't <laughs> sure. want to give the trailer any credit whatsoever. But you do have that line of dialogue at the very end where it's like, The Matrix, all these years later. Yep. And it's like and it's like that tells you like it's very, very tongue in cheek. But again, like based on everything I've read plot wise for this fourth film, it, it it seems so far removed from the continuity that these first three films have established. Yes, yes. Um, for better or for worse. Yeah, which is if if you look into this, there's a lot of rumblings about the um. Well, if you don't look at the leak stuff, but if you look at the, the the rumblings about how the um the MMO is supposed to be a big part of it or in continuity and stuff like that. What do you think about this, Zach? The Matrix Resurrections is Lana, right? Yes. Okay. What do you think about if this movie comes out, you know, it's like Lana's, um, Lana Wachowski's Matrix 4, you know, whatever it's called, Resurrections, just call it Matrix 4. It happens, you know, whatever uh, it's acclaimed or not, whatever reviews it gets. But then a few years later, we get Lily's Matrix 4. What about, <laughs> what about we get two interpretations from the Wachowskis if, if how to continue were, the story. If that were helping, I'm pretty sure like the Matrix could start dissolving. Like, like <laughs> that's a glitch in the Matrix right there. Like that's just like like that means we should start hiding in the walls. Like something is <laughs> happening that nobody has control over. And if then I, a few years later we get Tom Tickford's Matrix for <laughs> Don't get me excited, Rob. Don't get me excited. <laughs> and then they all come together and make Cloud Atlas too. <laughs> that is <laughs> Cloud Atlas. Oh God, poor Cloud Atlas. Um, but again, like I, I, I again, I don't want to get too far into like resurrection speculation um, because, like I said, like I know like the plot is out there and a lot of people are like crapping on it, and it's like no, like this is like you you have to see like again. Great. Say what you will about even the second and third film. And when I say that to you, when I say you, I don't mean Rob. I mean sure. you is the catch-all. Yeah. Is that like those films are definitely greater than the sums of their parts. Like like you you can't claim those films are what you see what you get. There's a lot going on in those films. Like any Wachowski's films, um, they they are very much their own identity, um, in pretty much every sense of the word. Um, but no. But getting back to the Matrix, the film, um. Again, that's the thing. I'm having a hard time just like picking out specific moments in this. Whereas, you know, like that's always been my thing I'm afraid of on this podcast where I'm like, Rob, I'm afraid I'm just going to devolve into like dissecting scene by scene. Sure. And this is one where it's like, like every scene is important because it's that, again, it's that JJ Abrams level of pacing where like if you cut one thing out, you're going to be lost. 
it's almost like steps on stairs. If you cut one out, like how you get to the next one, you have to take a huge leap. That's just going to feel jarring. Sure. Yep. Um, but no, but even like getting back to the whole idea of like, you have that sequence of, uh, like easily one of the most striking sequences in this entire trilogy is when Neo is awakened from his quote unquote battery slumber. Oh yeah. And, and, and how many viewings did, do you think it takes before somebody grasps what's happening in that moment? Ooh, God, I don't even think I'm, how many viewings. I don't even think I'm able to answer that question because it's so just steeped in my brain now. But at least three. <laughs> exactly. Because the first time you're going to get pure shock. You know, it's crazy because of course he wakes up. He's he's atrophied as we learn. Of course, you know things like that. The 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 robot like it's not a sentinel. It's like some other type of robot comes and like fucks with him. All the tubes pop out. He gets flushed down. It's almost like you're looking at shock. You know. You're looking at it in shock that first time. Second time, maybe it hasn't worn off completely. Maybe you're understanding a little better because that follows directly the scene of um, Neo getting covered by the the Mercury mirror-looking uh, effect, I think, you know, when he, gets, when he takes the red pill and that type of stuff. Maybe third time you're like, oh, I get it now. Like, I'm able to parse through the dialogue because it is really fast when Morpheus is like, the pill you took is – the red pill that you took – is I think he says something like it's inhibiting your input output sensors so we can locate you and that's it that's the only reason for anybody to think it's like oh they just woke him up that's where he was they didn't know where he was in the real world probably three at least I guess is what I'm saying <laughs> well that's the thing like as I was watching that again somebody who understands matrix lore to a T it's like I'm watching this and like I like I have a grasp on this because I again yeah as somebody who saw this film for the first time in September 2002 it's been 19 years, but like watching this in theaters, it's it's the idea. Like it's what Robin and I used to talk to a lot. Like after high school, like saying anybody who like, oh god, knows what a racer head about is lying. Sure, it's, yes. It's the idea that like if you walked out of this movie in 1999 and said you liked it, you were riding a bandwagon. Okay, okay. I, I you, mean, I, I agree with you in can't... the sense of also that if you liked it, you liked the action and the spectacle. I think also. Ex- Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's the th- that's what I mean, though. You're liking it on literally the most superficial level possible. And I think like it goes back to like the Inception principle, like all the people like at the end of Inception, like when you see the top spinning and it cuts the black and you go, oh, <laughs> you have completely missed the point of the movie. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, no, you 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 do not understand the movie if you have that reaction. Uh, when so. are we are we just never going to do Inception? Are we just going to reference it all the time? <laughs> Inception, but the problem is like Inception's like this. Like this is Christopher. Yeah. Like Inception's yeah. Christopher Nolan's Matrix. Absolutely. In that, like it's 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 a fun ride, but that's what it is. Like in my opinion, it's a, like I said, I'm not trying to degrade the Matrix at all. Like it's I, there's nothing I can do to this movie. It's kind of like spitting on a giant. Yeah. Um. But it's it comes back to that like the, the Matrix and Inception are two things that are like they're fun rides, but like they're very like what you see is what you get. Yes, I, I like you calling Inception a fun ride, and and because I always call it a bodybuilder. <laughs> um, this movie, I, I there's a clear line between them. Of course, you see the 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 uh, the fingerprints of the Matrix on Inception, um, and and Christopher Nolan's career. I think you know with with Tenet especially. Um, and, and, you know, even things like Memento, I'd say. But uh, getting on the, the, the spectacle and the bandwagon, I, I kind of get what you're saying. 
I don't know. I, I to go back to something I said earlier. This idea of how compelling this movie is. I don't think you're you're denying that that this movie is compelling. It's well composed. It's a good movie. But what you're saying is when you nitpick it and break it down, it's kind of like you know, um, not. I guess obtuse, maybe. I, d- I don't know if obtuse is the right word. Yeah. Uh, the, well, I'm trying to get at. Sure. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, you're right. It's um, not. Yeah. I, I think. It, like I said, I think it's it's. I was. I like I said, superficial, but not in the way that like most people think of that term you used. Mm-hmm. I think this movie is so slick, in that like the things that matter just glosses over. Sure. It's that. It's that idea of when you like it's like oh god um it's like having a really like oh god well-cooked steak to pick a food that's mentioned in the actual (laughs) film but then putting like a really like oh god tasty but like over the top like maybe butter on it like 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 a garlic butter aioli sure okay where it's like does it complement it sure but like it overpowers the meat to a point where like that's yes. that's not what the substance yes. is. Yes, absolutely. I, I Let totally the substance agree. breathe. Yeah. And I think what happened was the Wachowskis are like, okay, like we did the slickness, we got people on board. Now we're going to indulge. But instead of giving somebody a right, really nice, perfectly cooked steak, they gave them a very nice, perfectly cooked cauliflower. <laughs> and it's like it's it's not objectively bad. It's just not what people were expecting. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. And I, I think also, you know, what that, that analogy is what I was getting at, um, or not, well, we've been getting at it the whole time, but what I mentioned earlier that they're doing some form of, like, close-up magic. Um, but it's not just close-up magic, you know, making sure you don't look at the things you're not supposed to. It's like a close-up magician who's really good at what he does, but he's also really funny at the same time. Um, sure. I, yeah. I think we're on the sure. same page. <laughs> like, I th- like I said, I think a lot of people kind of saw this film as just like, again, in, in, they saw it for the spectacle first. Yeah, yeah. And the lore was an afterthought. Absolutely. And I, th- and, I think, and I think that's what, like I said, like I remember like after that Resurrections trailer, trailer came out, there was a lot of normies on social media. And not just like normies, I mean like critic normies. That like you would expect better from, and like they all were saying things like after that third film, like fuck this franchise. Yeah, and yeah. I'm just like, and I'm just like, no, I'm like, like you might not. Again, it goes back to that whole thing. It's like just because you don't like something doesn't mean it's objectively bad. Absolutely. Like you have to separate your taste from what the artist is trying to like display. Uh, oh, hundred percent. Just like, like we had the moment in this movie when Neo dodges the bullets near the end. We were like, that's the moment that changed the world. You know, that's the moment that uh, this movie really pops type of thing. Or for, for you know, culture. I think there is a moment in in one of the other movies. I haven't watched them in a while, but I, I don't remember exactly which one. When everybody falls off the wagon or, or gets totally off board with these this franchise, I think it's when Agent Smith does the laugh. <laughs> When well, he goes, ah, 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 and he's like a Mars well, Attacks not, alien. I, 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 I'm not going to lie that there aren't clunky moments in the second and third film. Sure. But but you you have those same kind of just like, not as blatantly clunky, but like the idea even like to me, and again, this goes back to like like a Star Wars level thing. Like, yes, the Agent Smith thing, like after um, like what he uh what would you even call it? Like, what would we call that in the second and third film when he starts like controlling oh, people? I, I've always called it assimilating them. Assimilating. That's yeah. a good term. Like, and he does that laugh to me. That is no more goofy than watching mouse with two giant comically large guns. <laughs> to shoot. So, like that's, that's a goofy. good point. <laughs> like, that's what I mean. But like, I think 
again, everybody on the internet is stupid. Like, it's the only who, thing missing from that mouse scene is him saying, say hello to my little friend. You're absolutely right how fucking goofy well, that is. Well, that's what I mean, though. But, like, to me, that's infinitely goofy. And then you have them, like, like it's like, okay, how do we get out of this building? Like, they have all the exits covered. Yep. Then we have them, like, going through the walls. Like, that's goofy. Then we have, like, in order for, like, Morpheus to save Neo, he just jumps through a wall. Joe Pantoliano like, sneezing, absolutely, yep. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing where I'm just like, like, no, this is all goofy. You're just picking, you're, you're, you're cherry-picking what your tolerance level is. And that's yes. where, like, people who crap on Reloaded and Resurrections, I would love to ask them, like, and this is not being disingenuous, is it like, why do you even like the first film? Tell me why the first film resonates with you. And I would be willing to bet that in 99% of instances, the reason why that first film resonated with them was for a reason that wasn't intentional on the Wachowski's part. A hundred percent. You know, when you say it that way, I think you are exactly right. And if you asked, you know, the the common, you know, man on the street type of thing, you ask them, you know, you like The Matrix, the movie, the first one? Yeah. Why? I think they're going to give you the answer that I gave you back when we did... <laughs> The 2003 Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I remember telling you I love the hitchhiker scene in the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and you said, why? And I went, because it's synastic. <laughs> I think they're going to give you that same answer, because it's the magic of movies. There's nothing really beyond that, I think, for most people. But I think – but this is the thing, though, is that, like, I, I think uh, – it, it, oh, God. I, I forget. I think it was – okay, I know it was Rush Limbaugh. Like, I, mean, I forget what national tragedy happened. And people were trying to figure out why something happened. Okay. And, he, and his response was, evil is inexplicable. Like, sure. bad things happen, and you can't point to, like, it might have been, the, like, the Aurora, Colorado movie shooting. Okay. And it's, like, everyone was trying to figure out, what, what was that, James Rolfe? And they're like, or no, not James Rolfe, he's the AVGN, right? Whatever his name was. I honestly um, don't know. So. <laughs> whatever he was. He had a very similar name to uh, the angry video game nerd. I thought it was the and, Joker who shot up Aurora. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, and it's like the idea that like some things are just inexplicable. Like like why people glom on to things, why they do certain things, why they behave. It's just inexplicable. You cannot like have like a root cause. Sure. Um and, and, and that's why I don't want to like quantify why people like certain movies, not though. But like that's the thing. Like I can't see in a world where you're on board with The Matrix, mm -hmm. 1999, and then forsake 2000, the 2003 film. I I'm with you. I, but that's, that's I just don't get it. That's like the norm. I just don't, yeah. But that's but I think this is another one of those things. Like it's it's another instance of like what happened with Star Wars, and that like you just have a narrative that just swallowed the movies. Sure. And, and and that's the thing where, again, as anyone who's listened to the Star Wars podcast has heard me bitch and moan, is that, like, like, like after, again, when Reloaded and Revolutions came out, they were very much like, okay, this is back when Hollywood was like, okay, we're done. Like, like that's it. Like, they ran through their marketing cycles. We're pouring, we're not pouring any more dollars into this for better or for worse. Yep. Um, but this is why, like, again, like, Revel Resurrections comes out in, two months and we're not seeing a for a full court press not unlike the franchise like yep. warner brothers is just shrugging they're like yeah like, like we got well, this well like, i mean to be fair zag they did their work there is a matrix uh scene in space jam 2 a new legacy so they've, they've put the work in i think <laughs> do you know what the matrix thing in space jam a new legacy is? i don't i don't know anything about space jam a new legacy other than like i still go to toy aisles and there's still decapitated lebrons running around uh granny replaces trinity and uh speedy gonzalez is there too <laughs> and he dodges bullets oh, he, 
Oh, he's allowed to be there? I thought he was racist. No, no. Uh, Pepe Le Pew is, is sexist. He's, oh, uh, uh, Speeding Gonzalez is not racist. Uh, that, that's a different. There's a difference, apparently. <laughs> apparently. Allegedly. Um, okay. As long as I understand. So, um, but I mean, you're right. And I know that was something I, I talked to, to be on Space Jam. I knew it was going to come up because Zach knows and, and Ben knows because we did Space Jam A New Legacy on the Patreon. So our, our Patreon listeners know as well. I was following the new Space Jam stuff since that first trailer came out because it was a travesty. But in that first trailer, if everybody remembers, there's a scene where, you know, we see like the LeBron's kid get sucked into the server verse and LeBron is like in looking in confusion at what just happened. And he says in the trailer, which he also says in the movie, what in the matrix hell? Nobody would, nobody talks like that. Nobody would ever fucking say that. The only reason he said what in the matrix hell is because Warner brothers has a matrix movie coming out later this year. So they did their work, Zach. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, that's, uh, if that's not a full-court press, I don't know what it is. I can't even say that with a straight face. Yeah, I know. Ain't that the <laughs> truth? Um, but that, but it's the thing, though. So, like, clearly the the Matrix that, – that's the thing, though. So, like, they, I, can, I don't know what the budget is on Resurrections. I really don't. Mm. Um, I would imagine that it's at least $150 million. Sure. Um, which is which is kind of small by today's standards, where you have like James Bond, no way, to, no way to die, um, no comma time to die. That's that. Rob, I'm not sure you knew about this. <laughs> that the title of the new, latest James Bond movie, No Time to Die, there was a typographical error in the title. It's not No Time to Die. It's No Comma Time to Die. Zach, I didn't know that. I'm glad you've informed me, and I'm also very happy that now you have the equivalent of me calling Jordan Peele's us U.S. You have that joke in your, in your <laughs> repertoire now. <laughs> I explain it to people, much like the Lionel Hutt scene in uh, The Simpsons, where it's like, I thought your ad said no money down. No. No. no money down. Comma, money down. <laughs> I mean, I that that's a great joke. I, I don't know if Zach's ever heard my dad say it, but he regularly, when he sees the sign, no U-turn, he wants to make a U-turn, get pulled over by a cop, and say, it said no, U-turn. <laughs> I've been hearing that since I was like six. It's probably my earliest memory. <laughs> oh, God. Um, it's good. But it's no, good. but that's the thing. I'm just, I'm surprised. Considering that, like, we live in a world where we have to fight narratives all the time. Absolutely. Like even like as we're recording this, like Marvel's The Eternals is about to come out, oh, and the film is just getting like like I, I'm surprised Rob like isn't like thrilled. Like that film is just being dragged over the coals. I yeah uh, I, I haven't that doesn't pop up as much on my newsfeed the Marvel stuff since it died down and I don't like to click on those. But I've been I've been hearing a little bit about that. So you're right. Um, but like but it's the idea that like after like this film has been like God like it's like it was like in the low seventies. Marvel like let in a bunch of like movie reviewers that like 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 they allow a bunch of like reviewers in, mm-hmm. and what happened to like inflate the score? Figure like oh these people are normies like like they'll give us a positive because they're seeing a Marvel movie early, yeah. Yeah. and then like it backfired. Okay, but the point being is like I'm surprised like Warner Brothers PR isn't trying to rehabilitate the thing like it, okay. To give another again, going back to Star Wars, it's like what happened before The Force Awakens, where we got this thing of like, wow, isn't Star Wars great? Mm-hmm. Like, we've crapped on it for the last 10 years as a culture, but <laughs> isn't it great? Like, ignore yeah, those one through yeah. three movies, but isn't Star Wars great? And guess what? It, to this day, God, six years later, Force Awakens is still the highest grossing movie domestically of all time. It's like the third or fourth highest grossing film movie internationally so say what you will but disney got it got it across the goal line 
And I'm just surprised that, like, Warner Brothers isn't trying to do anything to rehabilitate these movies. Like, even, like, and this is one thing I do want to talk about. Like, we talked about this a couple months ago, the color timing of The Matrix. Yes, yes. Like, like, when we were first talking about doing this series in the summer, like, I got the 4K movie collection for, like, $50. Okay. And it wasn't like a like like a box set like oh like coming soon the Matrix Resurrections it was just there they just released it because it was a catalog title yeah yeah it it would be no different than them releasing oh god what's like a famous Warner Brothers film um, Space Jam Two a new legacy <laughs> well okay Space Jam like, like yeah just, Space like, Jam's probably a good it, example. I was like oh here here's Space Jam in 4K like well is 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 there any reason why you're doing this no. We're just releasing it. It's a catalog yeah. title. It, it, it's always good bringing money when we re-release these things. Yeah. The Batman, like Nolan Batman trilogy, I'm sure, would uh, fall into that category. Yeah, it's like it's a catalog title. Like, does yep. it coincide with something? Oh, cool, great. And like, and like, it, and, that, and that's what I find is that like nobody, like, like they obviously that's the thing. Like, they're able to write a check for <laughs> six figures. Yet they don't seem to care that they wrote a check for six figures. Yes, I um, I, I know what you're saying, and I there's almost an apathy toward this film. Well, by the studio, you're, you're right, and that that kind of is what it comes across as. And my question is, does that have something to do with the 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 cultural and internet now discourse about this movie and the lasting legacy? And specifically, because we mentioned earlier, I want to get back to it: the idea of the red pill. The red pill. It, it's something that, you know, the blue pill, red pill scene in the movie is, is famous. It's one of the most famous and most iconic scenes ever, you know? But I, I love the fact, which I've known for a while, but got to re-see while uh, watching it for this recording. The red pill isn't the thing that takes Neo out of the Matrix. All the red pill does is allow the, the crew, you know, Morpheus and the crew, to locate where Neo's real world pod is, like we mentioned before. But Everybody seems to think that the red pill is the thing that takes Neo out of the Matrix. It's one of those, like, famous movie elements, incredibly famous movie elements, that gets constantly misremembered. Like, you know, Star Wars, the, he doesn't say, Luke, I am your father. What, he says, no, I am your father. Or the, beam me up, Scotty, from Star Trek. Like, that, nobody ever says that in the series. Do you think the apathy from the studio regarding the fourth matrix is because they don't want to run the risk of leaning into this this red pill notion that has become so prevalent in fairly well-hated communities on the internet as i say that and ask that question to you zach i do realize that the poster for the new movie is the red pill and the blue pill or the poster that we've gotten so far but i i have to imagine that there's some conscious decision from the marketing department to know the uh, maybe not distaste, but the the bad ways that this uh, this red pill notion has been co opted. One, I wanted to get your thought on the idea that everybody misremembers; they think the red pill takes Neo out of the Matrix. And two, that that sense of apathy being tied to not wanting to get themselves in too much trouble, type of thing. I, uh, I again, I I don't know if that were the case. I don't think they would make the movie. Oh, um, okay, okay. If, if that's the case, I don't know. I think your case, uh, I think your point with the poster. Is they um they're clearly leaning into it because it's something that's still like one of the very few things that still shows up in pop culture regarding yes. this film. Yes, I don't know. Like if there is a political element to this film, I I don't know. Because I think that too, like Warner Brothers, I can the pandemic has really skewed the my readings on Hollywood right now because I think it's just like they they don't know what's up, so it's hard to even like <laughs> like from a distance figure out what's going on. Sure. Um. 
they could have very easily pushed this film into like March of 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 next year. Yep. Um, the fact that they're, like I said, like, I'm still shocked they released Dune day and date on HBO Max. And, this, and concerning the Matrix Resurrections, I remember, God, that was like in that little title graphic they had from like October of last year. That was like always at the very bottom, Matrix Resurrections, or at the time, The Matrix mm-hmm. um, 4. Um, no, I, I, I don't know. I, I think like every other movie that Warner Brothers has dumped on HBO Max in the last <laughs> uh, 11 months. I, I think they realize they have a quasi dud on their hands. Sure. Um, I can't think of a single HBO, I'm sorry, a single Warner Brothers movie that was released on HBO Max that has been genuinely objectively good. Like Wonder Woman <laughs> is a mess. <laughs> yep. yep. Um, uh, Snyder Cut. Con- yep. Well, that's different. That, that that's is- a very special case, but I mean, it, it is that's a mess. Not, that's not a theatrical <laughs> film that like they were planning on releasing. Yeah, theater. yeah, I know what you mean, but it is um, a mess. You have to, you can't deny that is a mess. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's a different mess than Joss Whedon, but it is a mess. <laughs> um, but like Mortal Kombat was a mess. Oh, absolutely. Godzilla, ver- Godzilla versus Kong, a mess. Um, the Suicide Squad, a mess. Oh, uh, that Angelina Jolie movie? Did that do theaters too? That, that, that's, that's not. That's not. That's not a blockbuster. That, that's, sure, that's, sure. That's counter programming. I, mean, I think it tried to be a blockbuster with the advertising I saw, but but it didn't yeah, hit. Yeah. I, I guess I don't think that was their intent with that. If it okay. did, it would have been thrilled. But I don't think that was its intent. Um, but again, you think of all these major films that they kind of just they dumped on there because they were afraid last year that theaters wouldn't be opened. Yes. Um, like I said, there's a reason why Tenet was literally the first one out of the gate because that was never going to be a a barn burner. Tenet was always had an uphill battle. <laughs> sure. Um, and I think the Matrix Resurrections is another example of that, where I think they realize they have a very niche film on their hands. Yes. And I think it's just like who cares? Like I, I think Warner Brothers and whoever owns them now has written off the entire slate of 2021. I think they just write, it's gonna be a write off. Yeah. Um, if it finds an audience, great. They're not they're not gonna look the other way. But it's it's I, I think that's the problem with the Matrix Resurrections is that like they just don't they don't care. It's like you know what? It, it, it's that line from A Clockwork Orange. Where at the like after the, we see the demonstration where um the person makes Alex like lick his boot and then the mm-hmm. woman the topless woman comes out and the priest is like but he's lost his humanity and then we have the minister say but it works yes um, absolutely I, I think that's what it is is that like it, it, is it gonna fail probably but it'll do what it's supposed to do it'll be content for a streaming service. Um, and if a fourth Matrix film cannot revi- cannot breathe life into HBO Max, <laughs> what franchise other than Batman can do that for Warner Brothers? Fair, fair. Um, some might say Impractical Jokers, but uh, that's probably not well, going to happen. <laughs> we, probably, that's, we already know that, though. That's a fait accompli. That train wreck of a show, probably. <laughs> okay. No, I see what you're saying. It's just so... Uh... I, I kind of want to say depressing, you know. It's it's oh, hundred percent. That is yeah, exactly what it is. It's 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 a bummer. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah, I, no, I, I think that's what. Like, I, I just I I don't know what it is that like again we're twenty years removed, almost twenty years removed from the Matrix uh, latter sequels, yep. and it's like like looking at that trailer, like watching that in front of Dune. I, I sat there, and especially, again, I knew what I was going to be looking at, 
and like it's cool. Like it, it, it looked it were played phenomenally on a big screen. Sure. And then like I told Rob after I watched that trailer, like I watched that trailer for the first time and the whole time I'm watching it, I'm kind of just like grimacing and just being like, Oh God, like <laughs> yeah. th- this, this is cause again, I know like numerous times on this podcast since when we started this in 2018, I've been like, I want a matrix Four. like, I just want to go back to that world so badly. And then like, as I'm watching it, I'm just like, Oh God, this is, this is what, this is what they thought of. Like, like we're going to have like, John Wick, Keanu Reeves, that, and, I have old, to say, and as, old Trinity. As much as I, because like Zach said, we were together, we were in person. You know, when when the when the trailer dropped, we got to talk about it a little bit. I I'm a sucker for the Matrix. I'm a sucker for the Wachowskis. This is going to be, you know, was, was discussed in Speed Racer and will be discussed this series and whenever we inevitably do Cloud Atlas. But I think that I'm with you. The my least favorite part of the trailer, as much as I'm a sucker for when that fucking like Keanu Reeves rave, waves his hand and the rocket like diverts his path, I'm like, oh, you fucking got me sold. You know, I'm a sucker for that shit. But this, but is, the this fact is the... that he <clears throat> looks like John Wick is my problem. I'm agreeing with you. That's a huge problem that he looks exactly like John Wick. Well, and I think they did that on purpose because they're of trying course. to play into that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if at the end of the fourth Matrix, it's like you know, oh, I've got to find John Wick or something like that, you know, because they're so creative. <laughs> swipe your, fucking bank swipe right. your credit card so Neo finds John Wick. Yeah, because um, I mean, um, Len- uh, Lawrence Fishburne is in the John Wick movies, so I mean, yeah, what, yeah, what's yeah, the fucking yeah, problem? <laughs> yeah, I know. There, there's a lot. Like I, said, I don't know how they're gonna, again. I don't. I have a very, very faint idea what this film's about, but nothing beyond like what you could describe in like a handful of words. Yeah, I read like be- I read like a post from somebody on some weird forum. You it's know, like a four chan. It's like a four chan. Yeah, thing. about like, the about level. the lore of the MMO game and how that's going to play a role. It was do it was a doozy. <laughs> but this is the thing, though. It's like as I watch that trailer and I'm grimacing at everything that's like happening during it, like like with him with the stupid rubber duck on his head. I'm oh, like, yeah. no, that's 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 playing into like internet shtick. I'm like, this is stupid. No, um, and then like you get. Then, like, and I remember telling Rob this in person. Like, you get that entire trailer, and at the very end, you get that like Matrix thing where we go into like the digital rain. Yeah, and I'm just like, you get that like beautiful sound cue, which is so synonymous with the Matrix franchise. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, God damn it, they've got my money. Like, yeah, I'm gonna be, I'm yeah. gonna be pre-ordering a ticket for like IMAX opening night. One hundred and fifty fucking percent, man. I'm, I'm right there with you. <laughs> like, that's the thing, though. But like, it's just like, like the, the footage they've shown me does not interest me. Okay, Yet okay. that musical visual sting that is a hundred percent nostalgia is what hooked me, and I'm like, mm-hmm. is this is what is this what is this what the boomers felt when they saw <laughs> Chewy? We're home. <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to be that. Like, I I, I want to go to movies because they look interesting, not because like like my nostalgia is like a drug and I'm chasing the dragon. Yeah. I'm like, like, and that's what made me angry is that like, I'm watching this and I'm like, like, that's what got me hooked is that like, I'm like, just like, like the footage does nothing. Like, I don't want to see, Oh God, what's his name? A uh, Candyman 2.0 is Morpheus. Oh, yeah, yeah, yep. Yep. I, I'm like, I'm like, no, he was bad in Aquaman. He was bad in Candyman. I don't think he's a very good actor based on what I've seen him do. And I don't want to see him play a low rent Morpheus. And then, like, like it's funny. Like, my favorite moment of actual footage from Resurrections is like at that coffee shop when we see Trinity carry him Moss. and I'm like, woo! I'm like, <laughs> I want to see. Like, 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 that was the best part where he's like, hello, 
I'm Neo. Do we know like, each other? Doesn't she say that? Do we know each other? Yeah. Something like that? Yeah. And I'm like, I'm, I, I, I'm excited to see Carrie Ann Moss. Like, forget about Trinity. I want to see <laughs> Carrie Ann like, like, that's the thing where I'm like, I, I'm just like, I, I am so afraid. Like, not because someone who loved The Matrix as a kid. Like, like don't be wrong. Like, like, this is where I just want to slightly just delve into merchandise spotlight. Like, as it. a kid, I remember, like, I saw Matrix in um 2002. And I somehow, I have no idea, was able to find a one Matrix action figure, which I showed Rob during our <laughs> Jupiter Ascending episode. And it's of Tank. Everybody it, get ready. In three weeks, you're going to hear this same exact discussion, except it's going to be more lively because I can see the action figure. <laughs> yes. But the fun thing was that, like, I had—I don't think I'd seen the Matrix yet because I thought it was Neo. <laughs> oh yeah, we talked about that. How similar it looks to Neo. Yeah, we did mention that. I'm remembering now. Okay, and I, I have not edited the Jupiter Ascending episode um, because I cannot be—I cannot yet because the tax grievance has not uh, been filed thoroughly. Um, but you know, so I don't remember everything we said, but I know it's all coming back to me. I think. <laughs> oh God, but that's but again, that's the thing though. So I I. I like I said merchandise spotlight. I it's and even too like I think this is the thing too. Like we talk about and this is really not a thing that's as prevalent nowadays, but it still plays a role. But like why hasn't there been like Matrix Resurrection toys like like sure. up for pre order? Well, because they look um, like John Wick action figures. <laughs> and that, right? and, but I think but I think that's the thing though. Like I was at Walgreens a couple days ago and they had a John Wick action figure. Yeah. And I'm like, who would want this? I mean, isn't it the same thing as the people who buy, like, you know, the Mandarin from Iron Man 3, and they go, yeah, but it's like the real Mandarin, not the movie Mandarin. You'd buy a fucking John Wick action figure and be like, yeah, it's Ma- it's Neo from Matrix 4, because it looks exactly the fucking same. It's like he walked off the set. But I, I think, I, I, that, but that's, I think that's what they but, do. But why, but why I think, though, is that, like, as we all know, ancillary merchandise is, in the words of Spaceballs, where the money is at. <laughs> yes. <laughs> It, but like, there's nothing like that for the Matrix Resurrections. Like, I am so. I, I remember this was like months ago. I think I must have when we were recording our Jupiter Ascending episode. I said the word Matrix too loud, so I got like an Instagram ad <laughs> for some like like third rate apparel like like site that like does like Matrix licensed stuff. They had a really cool like digital rain like Matrix hoodie. Sure. And like, I was looking online and like, there's no Matrix merchandise. Like, mm. period. Which. Going back to my history of Hollywood, like I think we've talked about this a couple times, like whether it be like John Carter or any of those, and that like when the licensed partners don't want to touch it on merchandise level, that means that it's not a very good product. I I hear what you're saying, and of course I'm not, or maybe you know, not a consumable po- a consumable yeah. product. Yeah. I, I totally see what you're saying, and, you know, don't get me wrong, I, I think everybody knows you are the, the more of the uh, the toy expert than I will ever be, but this kind of brings me back to what I was saying earlier about Star Wars changed the world by injecting itself into it, creating that toy line, creating something that people wanted to buy toys from. The Matrix never really did that. In the early 2000s, you know, when the Matrix and the Matrix sequels come out, I think that things are getting toys made of them because you can do well, that. Well, I, I, I don't think it's – when I say that, I don't mean toys. I mean ancillary merchandise. Oh, like, okay. And okay. I think this goes back – God, we're talking years ago now. But remember in our Yellow Submarine episode, we talked about like like seeing like a, a, a T-shirt for a, a toddler that has like Pink Floyd on it. Yeah, yeah. Or Led Zeppelin. And we're like, who the hell is this for? 
like women having children now were born in like the late eight late 80s early 90s they're at a point where like led zeppelin was something mom and dad played on the radio occasionally Mm -hmm. it wasn't something they were really inundated with and we were trying this was again we're talking this was three and a half years ago we were trying to figure this out like on a cultural like consumption level sure and yet you look at this now like in you don't see anybody with anything matrix related matrix comes up as a talking point yes at best it like you like i said like i'm not sure if i told rob that i think i told rob this like off mic but like vans recently like unveiled like a whole collection of shoes and well not recently maybe like a month or two ago yeah. of like horror movies like they had the shining nightmare on elm street friday Ooh. the 13th exorcist but what happened was like like i was in a mall that had an actual like vans boutique store and i got the shining shoes that say uh moon room on the back you and know, like you have... okay Zach, just I just want to make sure the I want to give the audience a moment to breathe. I want to go into bullet time to let our audience breathe. That you own the shining branded shoes. That is the most Zach thing I've ever fucking heard in my life. You 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 oh, oh, oh no 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 Rob, it's not the most Zach thing you've ever heard. Okay, probably not. It's up there though. That's a doozy. If they made Star Wars shoes, then that would be the most Zach thing you've ever heard. <laughs> oh, that's okay. That's um, great. For this, for this cinema, for our cinema audience, Zach buying the Shining branded shoes is just like, oh yeah, yeah. When are we getting an episode on it? <laughs> <laughs> Moon room. Moon room, Rob. Moon room. It says, it's funny. As okay, this is this is a very very dumb tangent. I apologize to everybody listening at home right now. Um. But, like, as I was buying them, like, on the back it says room N-O period 237. And while I was trying the shoes on, I was explaining to Rachel moon room and how it's an anagram also for moron. It's the stupidest fucking thing in room 237, the film, where the guy is like, the only possible word that you can spell from rearranging these letters is moon room. And I'm like, no, moron is clearly there. <laughs> like, you are, you are missing a major facet of this. Rob, moon room, moon room. Oh, that's good. I, I just wanted everybody to make sure they Zach owns shining shoes. <laughs> Somebody send him Doctor Sleep shoes so they can battle. <laughs> <laughs> if those would ever exist, Rob, they would like catch on fire because they're evil. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I don't know where I was going with. Oh, okay, the point being is. They released all these shoes, yeah, yeah, for like 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 franchises, like like things like it, Beetlejuice, Gremlins, yeah, like, horror, horror or Halloween yeah. type of spooky but, icons, yeah. But but you know what the one thing they have in common is? Did you just send me a picture of this? Yes, I did, Rob. Okay. I sent you a picture I gotta look of this. At it. Okay. <laughs> what do they have in common? They're is all. Is this you what? wearing them? <laughs> You didn't even send me a picture of the shoes. You sent me a picture of you actually wearing them. Yes. <laughs> the audience is missing out. <laughs> Rob will link to this in the show notes. That's, that's pretty cool, actually. They are. They're cool yeah. shoes, man. Like, they're also cheaper than, like, a regular pair of, like, God, they're cheaper than my work shoes that I have to buy. Um, the point being, though, they're all Warner Brothers shoes. Oh, of course. Of course. And it's the idea that Warner Brothers saw The Shining, which is a 40-year-old dusty property, yet 
their Matrix Mulan. They're like, eh. Like, think about it, Rob. If they they could have very mm. easily taken the digital rain, like like iconography. Oh my god, that would have sold so well. Absolutely. Well, well, would it? Yeah, who doesn't love digital rain? I think there's one thing that's you know ubiquitous from the Matrix is the digital rain, right? It's ubiquitous, but would it sell? I think so. I don't know. Ooh, that's a good the question. Pro- the, the product doesn't exist. That's so fair. I, that's again, fair. I don't know. Like, 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 we've seen so many things. Like, as we know, certain things sell, other things don't. Um, we have things that fly off the shelves. Then we have Babu Fricks that are $8 <laughs> on clearance. It's the idea, like, 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 some things are gens, other things are destined for the dustbin. Yeah, okay. No, no, Consum- you make a good point. Consumerism yeah. decides at the end of the day. There's, there's no better response to me saying, oh, that product would sell than you going, but it doesn't exist. <laughs> if it would sell, <laughs> exactly. wouldn't it exist? Absolutely. Yeah, you're right. You're right. 100%. And that's, and that's the thing about the Matrix is that, like, I think the 19 – it was a weird – I think Reloaded and Resurrections were a very unique instance of, like, distillation in cinema pop culture. Yes. In that – Okay, not cinema pop culture, but cinema and pop culture, in that it weeded out the people that can appreciate this stuff from the people who are just there for the bandwagon effect. Mm, yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you there for sure. Because I don't, I, I think if you really loved and appreciated The Matrix in 1999, you were on board after Reloaded and, and Revolutions. If Reloaded sure. and Resur- and, and I keep saying Resurrections, uh, Revolutions put you off, then you never truly enjoyed the first film on the way that the Wachowskis intended you oh, to. a hundred percent. I'm with you. What other R words could we do? Matrix rotations? Um, <sighs> I'm just trying to think Is that really R-words. as good as... Re- well, to be fair, rotation is a lesser form of a revolution. Well, like, if you okay, can do a yeah, revolution, yeah, yeah, you right. want to rotate after If you can revolve, <laughs> why would you want to rotate? <laughs> That's great. If you've already revolved, why are you gonna rotate? <laughs> oh god, that's funny. What are the R words? <laughs> you might have. I don't know if there's anything else. You, you just might have. You just might have won, Zach. <laughs> like a recum- recumbent, recum- like a recumbent bike. You know? Well, people couldn't even spell that. Never no, mind. Say that's, it. That's fair. That's fair. Um, oh, because it has to have multiple syllables. Like we can't do the Star Wars thing of like rise. We can't do like return because those don't have enough syllables. You know. Return of the Resurrections. Return of the Resurrections. <laughs> the rise, the rise of the Reloaded. I, I, I want to think about that some more. I, I'm, I'm, I, this just popped in my head. What other R words could we have with Matrix movies? But okay, so Zach, you're making great points, but uh, nothing's changing the fact that in, when we get into our philosophical stuff with cinemodities, of course, as we always do, which we've been for this whole episode, it doesn't take away the fact that this is a good movie. I love this movie. It sounds like you're a little, you know, have some problems with it on rewatch, that type of thing. But I, I think we're both in agreement. This is a good movie. It's well put together. You were mentioning earlier about how, you know, it's kind of tough to talk about this in moments. We'd be breaking down everything. There's, there's a certain type of moment I want to bring up in this discussion because I think I've, I've now changed my thought on what my favorite scene in the movie is. For years, when I really knew this movie, you know, my favorite scene, the one that I would always go to, is not actually the opening as much as I think that's perfect. I really, really love when Joe Pantoliano is killing everybody. I love that scene. I love him. Oh, he's you know, great. Oh, oh he's the, God. He's, he's amazing. The, he's, 
outside of Hugo Weaving, I think he's the only movie that he's the only actor that realizes the movie he's in. I cannot tell you how much I am on board for Joe Pantoliano in this movie when he has that that uh, scene with Neo when Joe Pantoliano is sitting in front of all the uh, digital rain and like the I guess the command center of the ship of the Nebuchadnezzar that type of thing. Neo walks up to him. Joe Pantoliano is like, "Whoa, you scared me," you know, <laughs> you know that type of thing. And they start talking, and he's like, "You know, I bet you know you wish you took the blue pill because I feel that way." And he's sowing the seeds of his character, and he says to Neo, "Do you want a drink?" And Neo goes, "Sure." So Joe Pantoliano picks up this jug. He pours Neo a little cup because they all have, you know, the um, the really scroungy uh, kind of, you know, it's it, the real world. They, they're eating porridge and whatever the shit is. So it doesn't look that great. Pours Neo a little bit of whatever he's drinking and then proceeds to drink directly out of the jug. And I'm like, that's it. I'm like, Joe Pantoliano's the man. <laughs> but I love the scene when he's killing everybody. I, You know, I, I love the fake steak scene, which I quoted at the start, of course. I love when he's killing everybody. I love when he... um gives that, like, monologue to Carrie Ann Moss's still body. That's such a great moment, you know, when he's like, yeah, the Agent Smith is going to help me find the Duke, that type of thing. Um, I, I will never stop making that joke after Midnight Run. But I think on rewatching it, just The Matrix, so I should say right now, I have not yet rewatched the sequels because we are not planning on recording them. Uh, we have no date set or anything like that. Just watching this movie, I think my favorite scene has changed. And I wanted to mention this in this episode because it's going to come up a lot next week. The reason I love The Matrix Reloaded so much is because it takes the nugget of an idea from Tron with the idea that there are personifications of programs and personifications of what it means to live in a computer world or a world run by computers to the extreme. This movie doesn't do that too much, but there is a legitimate moment where it shines through, and I think it's now my favorite scene in the movie. It's very subtle, but it's when the Oracle gives Neo a cookie. She hands him a literal cookie. Of course, everybody who's ever used the internet is familiar with websites trying to give your browser or your computer cookies. For anyone who doesn't know, a cookie in computer speak is a packet of data that doesn't get changed. It gets sent and received, but nothing gets altered by it. Its purpose is to keep track of visits when you go to a website. You know, if you've ever gone to Amazon and you put something in your cart, but you don't buy it, you leave Amazon, go back to it tomorrow or the next day, the thing's still in your cart because of what is called a cookie in terms of technology. I fucking love the fact that the Oracle gives Neo a cookie as a reminder that he's been there. After the whole speech that the Oracle gives saying, you know, well, being the one is a lot like being in love. Nobody can really tell you if you're the one or not. And then she proceeds to say you're not the one and gives him a cookie to remind him of that instance, to make sure that the Internet, the computer world, the Matrix, remembers that he had been there. Because that's what we learn in the second movie. We get the sense that the architect, when he very importantly says that the, the one, the Neos of every iteration of the Matrix are getting faster. The only way they can track how fast they're progressing through their, their fate, for lack of a better term right now, is through cookies. We're going to get into this next week, Zach. There is so much great stuff in Reloaded about how we are living in the internet. There is so much actual meat to the Wachowskis going, well, what would it be like to interact with programs? And I fucking love it. And I kind of lost my mind. It's such a small moment. But when the Oracle hands Neo a cookie, I'm like, that's it. 
That, that's everything this series is about. It's not about revolutionizing against the machines or the oppressors in a generic sense. It, it's about finding your true self, but it really is, what if we lived in a computer? How would humanity have to deal with that? And what fucking better way to depict cookies than with an actual fucking cookie? I fucking love it, Zach. I lost my mind. I don't think I've ever noticed that um, until this viewing because I always think of Reloaded being the we live in a computer movie. But this is sowing the seeds for it. It's setting the stage for everything we're going to get that is immaculate in the second one. Uh, did you pick up on that, Zach? <laughs> Maybe I, I should ask everybody. Email in if you always thought that, you know, the Oracle Rob, giving Rob, Neo Rob, a cookie Rob, was Rob. an internet allegory. <laughs> Rob, Rob, Rob. Did, 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 did the Wachowskis pick up on that? I, with, with how dense the computer stuff in the second movie is, I want to believe they did. Do I know for sure? No, but I want to believe. I'm, like, I'm, uh, I'm David is... Duchovny in the X-Files. Well, I want to believe. Is... But, like, this is my question, though. So, like, as somebody who's, like, like, oh, God, woefully unprepared for this discussion, how much research did the like, – like, how much did the Wachowskis do, like, on internet culture at the time? That I don't know. That I could not find in my research because I think there is so much inundation of them – watching Hong Kong filmmakers and anime in preparation for these movies. I could not find anything about them really looking into the structure of the internet. That That's what I mean, though, is that, like, I just wonder, like... I, but it's like, so I prevalent in the second movie that I, I can't think it's a mistake. But, of course, they didn't have the um, a lot of the second and third movie's ideas ready to go for that, this one. That's what I mean. Like, I, the second, The first film is so pure... Because it feels more, at the very least, it's collaboration. At best, it's 100% them. Yeah. By the second and third, I'm sorry, by the second and third films, it's just like an amalgamation of so many different things that you just don't know what's them and what's the studio. Uh, I Okay, I see what you're saying, for sure. Or maybe, let me rephrase that. Maybe not the studio, but maybe just Hollywood culture. Feedback, maybe, you know? Yes, yes, yeah. exactly. Feedback. Thank you. Yeah, you're not you're not wrong. Um, but I think I'm 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 going to give him the benefit of the doubt because I love it so much. That type of thing. I, I think this also comes back to something we've talked about a lot, Zach. Is that you know whenever I um get into the meaning of movies, like I think it came up in our Monkey Bone discussion where I have all these grand ideas of what Monkey Bone is really about. You know, very very dense thematic elements in Monkey Bone. I know I said it in that episode. If Henry Selick, I got ever got the chance to talk to him, and he told me, no, that is not what I'm going for in Monkey Bone, I'd go, man, that's a bummer, but I still think of it, of it that way. And I think I'm giving The Matrix that same level, where even if the Wachowskis were like, no, she just gives him a, a cookie because she's baking cookies, I'd be like, that, that's a bummer. I'm going to think about it the better way. <laughs> so it's definitely well, a personal the- thing, yeah. I'm glad you brought up the Oracle sequence because that's something that I I think I I know it's not the first time this has been discussed, but like Gloria Foster's performance, like as as a one scene performance, that is so I that is such a great performance. You know what it does? I, I'm with you. It's a great performance. I would I would go further than great. I would say it bakes your noodle. <laughs> <laughs> but this is the thing, though, is that like okay, I want you to bring this. Like this is one of those moments that like. You know how many times somebody has watched The Matrix based on that sequence. Because, like, as sure. I was watching this with Rachel, who's never seen this before, I've seen this film at least a half a dozen times, if not more. And you get that sequence where he knocks over the vase. And I, I, I please insert that clip here. Oh, yeah. I know you're Neil. 
Be right with you. You're the Oracle? Bingo. Not quite what you were expecting, right? Almost done. Smell good, don't they? Yeah. I'd ask you to sit down, but you're not going to anyway. And don't worry about the vase. What vase? That vase. I'm sorry. I said don't worry about it. I'll get one of my kids to fix it. How did you know? Oh, what's really going to bake your noodle later on is, would you still have broken it if I hadn't said anything? You're cuter than I thought. I can see why she likes you. Who? Not too bright, though. You know why Morpheus brought you to see me. So, what do you think? Do you think you're the one? Honestly, I don't know. You know what that means? It's Latin. It means know thyself. I'm gonna let you in on a little secret. Being the one is just like being in love. No one can tell you you're in love. You just know it through and through, balls to bones. Well, I better have a look at you. Open your mouth, say ah. Uh. Ah. Uh. Okay, now I'm supposed to say, hmm, that's interesting, but then you say. But what? But you already know what I'm going to tell you. I'm not the one. Sorry, kid. You got the gift, but it looks like you're waiting for something. What? Your next life, maybe. Who knows? That's the way these things go. What's funny? Morpheus. He, uh... He almost had me convinced. I know. Poor Morpheus. Without him, we're lost. What do you mean, without him? Are you sure you want to hear this? Morpheus believes in you, Neo. And no one, not you, not even me, can convince him otherwise. He believes it so blindly that he's going to sacrifice his life to save yours. What? And you're going to have to make a choice. In the one hand, you'll have Morpheus's life. And in the other hand, You'll have your own. One of you is going to die. Which one will be up to you? I'm sorry, kiddo, I really am. You have a good soul. 
And I hate giving good people bad news. Oh, don't worry about it. As soon as you step outside that door, you'll start feeling better. You'll remember you don't believe in any of this fate crap. You're in control of your own life. Remember? Here. Take a cookie. I promise by the time you're done eating it, you'll feel right as rain. I love at the end where she she makes that comment and she's like, she's like, so so if I would, she's like, what's really gonna bake your noodle is that when you knocked it knocked it over. Yep. If I what's told really you gonna bake okay. your noodle later? What's really gonna bake your noodle later on? I love the addition of later on. What's really gonna bake your noodle later on is would you have broken it if I didn't say anything? <laughs> And I love that because, like, when that moment happened, like, Rachel was just a hundred percent this like engrossed in the film. Yeah, and I did, I did like a Rob uh, uh, Don Hall Gleason. <laughs> like, I did, like, like I did one of those where I was just like I was so like delighted by the campiness of that line. Oh yeah. Um, like, like that's like, and again, that's beautiful. Like, and that's where I wish the movie played on that level more. Sure. Okay. I see what you're saying. Where the movie has substance, but it also is playing on that like edge of like, aren't we clever? Aren't we too clever for ourselves? <laughs> and that's what I miss because I think like like that's the movie being a hundred percent aware of itself, but at the same time being like straight. Sure. I- I'm and totally you- with you. And I hope, and that's the sort of thing we don't get with blockbuster cinema anymore. And I'm just praying, praying so hard that we get with Resurrections. Yeah, I think we're just going to get, like, make uh, John Wick 4 light with that film. Okay, okay. And we're not going to get any of that, like, wittiness that that the Wachowskis were known for, like, in in, in the 2000s. Sure, sure. I I mean, do you think that might happen in the new Matrix because of uh, sanitization by the studio? Or because the Wachowskis have kind of lost that, because I don't think anything that, like that exists I in think Jupiter they, Ascending. I, 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 again, I don't know. Um, not to go back to our favorite podcast of all time, but like, if there ever was a group of filmmakers that were able to cash a blank check so many times, mm-hmm. based off the success of one and a half movies, yes, yes. it's the Wachowskis. Um, I don't know. Like, 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 Warner Brothers has always been known as a studio that does what the talent tells it to do. Um, and by talent, I mean the filmmaker. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I could see. Like, it depends on what the budget is for Resurrections. I would imagine at this point, Lana would have had to have taken notes. Um, at at some capacity. Yeah, but I don't see this being like. Oh God! Like okay, Rob, I've got a very, a very provocative question to ask you, and I know time Uh-oh. is of the essence. No, no, it is not, Zach. We're good. <laughs> this is this is too good to stop. We can't <laughs> we can't slow this train down. <laughs> Who do you think got more notes, Denis Villeneuve on Dune or Lana Wachowski on The Matrix Ooh. Resurrections? Who do you think got more notes? Shit. <laughs> it's I don't want you to answer now. I want oh. you to answer next week in our Matrix Reloaded episode. 
I'll let you sit on it. <laughs> okay, okay. I, I'm okay with that. Oh, yeah, I I'll let you stew yeah. on it a little. That you, you're not wrong. That is very provocative, though. <laughs> interesting, interesting. Okay, okay. So, I have a lot more I want to talk about with this movie, Zach. <laughs> Go for it, Rob. Go here's, for it. Here's a question. There's some tiny, maybe tiny details uh, we can get to now that um, I had some, some, some things I wanted to mention. This is going to sound strange, but bear with me, Zach. Who, who, the, who the hell is Hade? Hade Gofi in Attack of the Clones? So in Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones, apparently there's a character called Hade, H-A-Y-D-E, first name, Gofi, G-O-F-A-I, last name. Do you know who that is in Attack of the Clones? Is that, is, He's is, either, uh, is, uh, there's, there, it has to be somebody in the nightclub. And on Coruscant. Okay, that's fair. I because I did not look it into has, this at all. It um, has to be somebody in in, in the nightclub, like, like without a freaking doubt. Sure, I forgot about who, the nightclub okay. scene. Well, Mouse, yeah, but, Mouse plays the um the Death Sticks guy, right? Whoa, 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 Rob! I want you right now. Uh-oh. I don't care how long it takes. <laughs> I want you to tell me what the Death Sticks guy's name is in canon in Star Wars. Yes. There's no way it. I'm going to know that. I had to look it yes, up. Okay. Okay. Look it up. To, I want you to look it up, and then I want you, after you're done laughing, to recite it to the audience. Okay. I'm Googling Star Wars Death Sticks. Um, Death Stick came up on Wikipedia. Okay. Uh, let's see. Uh, a highly addictive illicit substance readily found in the underworld of Coruscant and other locales across the gallery. <laughs> Galaxy, not gallery. Sorry. <laughs> um, okay. I'm trying to find where this would be. Okay. Here we go. While on the planet Coruscant, ten years after the invasion of Naboo, and attempting to track down Zam Wessel, fuck, want to remember that, <laughs> <laughs> an assassin that had targeted the Senator Padme Amidala. Yeah, I remember that scene. The Jedi Knight Obi Wan Kenobi entered the Outlander Club in Coruscant's Uskru Entertainment District. Inside, <laughs> oh god, okay, Zach, <laughs> okay, here we go. <laughs> We're way too on the same page for this episode. Inside, he was approached by Ellen Sleesbagano, who <laughs> attempted to sell him death sticks. It is literally sleaze the way it's actually spelled. The English word sleaze, and then Bagano. <laughs> I never knew this. I never would have known this. <laughs> you know what the best part of it is? Oh my god, the picture of Ellen Sleesbagano on Wikipedia is fucking wild <laughs> he's a male balasar death stick dealer <laughs> this is the stupidest fucking thing <laughs> star wars will always always be a trip man like See, i i like, knew that mouse played him i never knew his name was sleaze bagano <laughs> guess what rob guess what what he has an action figure. Oh well, of course. <laughs> he injected himself in the uh, into the uh, into the culture. So okay, I'm glad you brought me to Wikipedia because we can get the answer. Hade Gofi. Once again, I don't know if I'm pronouncing correctly. Who knows if we're fucking pronouncing any Star Wars name correctly? Hade Gofi was a female human and a patron of the Outlander Club on Coruscant. So you are absolutely correct, Zach. She was in the same club as Ellen Sleesbagano. She often attempted to catch the eye of prospective partners, including Jedi Anakin Skywalker, during his pursuit of bounty hunter Zam Wessel in 22 BBY. The reason I bring this up, Zach, is because Hade Gofi is the last ever acting credit 
of the woman in the red dress, Fiona Johnson, from this movie. She's in this, and she's in that, and never anything else. I mean, no, no movies or TV shows. I was really? really interested. Yeah, I was really interested when I watched this movie. I was like, oh, yeah, who is that? Like, who plays the woman in the red dress? It's like that thing in Inception, to bring that up. Like, who plays the, um, that woman that, you know, Tom Hardy pretends to be in the Mr. Charles segment? This is Fiona Johnson. I was like, "What else has she done?" Tallulah Riley. That's yeah. Tallulah Riley is the um, Inception Wasn't one. Wasn't she like e- like one of Elon Musk's like girlfriends? That I don't know. I know Ben and I discussed her because she is Vin Diesel's wife in Bloodshot, which we discussed on the Patreon. <laughs> oh Jesus Christ! <laughs> Zach's like, I'm really glad I'm not involved in the Patreon. <laughs> if anybody ever wondered why Zach is not involved in the Patreon, there's your reason. We paired it with Spawn. It was good. <laughs> so. Fiona Johnson, her as Hade Gofi in Attack of the Clones is her last acting credit ever, and I was kind of surprised to see that. Um, but I was just curious. I, I, I didn't know if you were going to know who Hade Gofi was, and you did. So, Zach, you have earned your Star Wars medal for the day. <laughs> if I had to guess, she's probably the person that, like, Ahmed, like, Ahmed Best is talking to, like, in the nightclub. Like, she's, like, a half-naked, I think, Twi'lek. Okay. The, um, the, the internet... Her picture on Wikipedia, I mean, is just, like, a close-up of her, so I don't know what she's doing or anything like oh, okay. that. Okay, so, fair enough. Um, whoever listens to this and re-watches um, <laughs> Attack of the Clones, know that the woman in the red dress is in there, that type of thing. <laughs> so I wanted, I wanted to mention that for sure. That's, that's really, really cool. One of the other moments that I wanted to mention, um, uh, we've actually gotten to a, a good bit of them. I really, really like how this movie sets up the sequels. And this, I think, is another thing I wanted to bring up here because we're going to talk about it in the, in the next two weeks of the um, uh, Reloaded and Revolutions. I watched Reloaded more than this. You know, that, that Reloaded is my go-to, which I'll gush about next week. I hadn't seen this one in a good bit, so rewatching it, I was really happy to see, like, oh, like, like watching this trilogy for this recording. It's like, oh, great, you know, I'm going to get all of the information. I kind of really forgot about how Agent Smith talks so much, like we mentioned earlier, about hating the Matrix, about feeling infected by the humans. He, he says something, he's like, humans spread like a virus, and he feels infected by that virus. That's the perfect setup for what Agent Smith becomes. He's the one who starts to multiply like a human does, like humanity does. And I think that, you know, there's a little bit of a bad rap, or maybe not a bad rap, but a disconnect. As we've been talking about the, um, the, the audience response, the cultural response of, you know, uh, distaste for the sequels because they're like, well, Agent Smith starts doing crazy shit, you know, that type of stuff. I think it's all set up in this movie. I was kind of very happy to see that it was set up so well. Um, you, you mentioned before that, you know, you it's been a while since you watched these movies. Did that kind of come back to you where it's like, oh, no, maybe they did have some sense of where they were going for the rest of this? Or do you think it was the other way around? They took that element and... Play- and, and played with it. You know, it's kind of the, the chicken of the egg question. Did they write that scene just because they wanted to give some flavor to Agent Smith, and then when they got to make sequels, they drew upon it? Or do you think they always had that idea planned? It's, it's like the Lost Conundrum. Did they write it beforehand well, or not? <laughs> I, I No, I don't think it's the Lost Conundrum. Okay, I okay. think it was, it was like Zion. I think it was like kind of like a uh, glimmer in their eye. Sure, but okay. I don't. But I don't think it was like the same levels of like something like, oh God, George Lucas in like two, like nineteen ninety eight being like, okay, so uh, eventually, uh, like a nine year old Anakin will be in like a twenty year old, and he'll uh, marry <laughs> Padme and get burned by lava. 
Like, <laughs> I, I, I don't think it was, like, that level of, like, planned out. Like, okay, like, this has a trajectory. Okay. I think it was, again, like, the, the, the million-dollar term in the Star Wars fan base, seeding. Yes. Um, I think it was planted with the idea of, like, okay, this is where things could go. Um, but once again, I don't think the Wachowskis ever, ever intended this to be the seismic being the key word in this discussion um, level impact that it, it turned out being in the late 90s, early 2000s. Sure. OK. I think I think it was meant for something. I think it was there so they could build off of. Um, but I don't think it was ever, ever intended to like be a springboard for the massive, massive success that it would become yeah okay gotcha gotcha i just want to say real quick um you hit the nail on the head when you said the burned by lava that was that was like perfect george lucas that that end of your impression right there that was great but i i kind of you know yeah i wish i would have been able to find something from hugo weaving where it was like you know i made a character diary and and these were the choices they gave me and i really tried to develop that and you know maybe they took that for the sequels i couldn't find anything like that but regardless of the behind the scenes stuff i kind of really love that this movie does as you said seed for the sequels um i I think i that makes me appreciate it more as a trilogy where before i watched it for this recording before we had ever planned to talk about it if you would ask me about the matrix trilogy i'd be like yeah two and three are really really cool i love what they set up the first one's kind of its standalone thing but it's not really It, it doesn't just set up the world it does set up the motivations for our major players in reloaded and revolutions which i i really appreciate it makes it um it makes me more excited to go back and watch two and three now you know what i mean um, yes. Um, like I said, like if somebody, like we both have not watched two and three yet. I'm cautiously optimistic because those are the two films that like that was my really like when I really got into this as a thing. Sure. sure. Um, no, like I said, I, I, I don't know. I, 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 again, I'm nervous because I feel like ever since the Sam Raimi trilogy, um, a lot of these things that I held on to is like, like precious sacred cows from the early 2000s mm-hmm. are turning out to be not bad but unique in their own way that might not be good okay i see what and you're I saying think, yeah. i think the matrix is kind like i said like like i think unintentional parallels i think the matrix is up there with like spider-man 2002 as in something mm. that like at the time was heralded as groundbreaking but now 20 years later we're like yeah like not that it's bad but like it, again, it's like that analogy I made with uh, Spider-Man 2002. It's like the Statue of Liberty. At the time, it was bronze, but now it's oxidized into this thing that's not mundane. It's still unique, but it's not this momentous thing that it once was. Okay. I see what you're saying. Okay. Um, that, There's, like I yeah. said, it's weird to call the Matrix quaint, but there <laughs> is a quaintness to it, like 20 plus years oh, later. Oh, yeah. You're not wrong. You're not – you're absolutely not wrong there um, for sure. Another small thing, which I just have to mention. I mean everybody's going to know. As soon as I say this, it's going to be like, of course Rob had to bring this up. Oh, my god. Do I love how many times we hear a phone ring in this movie. I love me a phone ring, man, and it is, you get scenes where it's just ringing and ringing and ringing, and Keanu Reeves is doing his best, where is Judy, or who is Judy, that type of thing. Oh, I love me a phone ringing, man, <laughs> and it happens a lot in this movie. Um, I love the um, the last, when they're trying to escape at the very end, you know, and the bum turns into, or Agent Smith takes over the bum. 
we get so much of just phone ringing, phone ringing, and then pick up, and then it's like, okay, I gotta, I gotta get out. I wanted to bring that scene up though because I, I don't really love the effect of Morpheus disappearing into the phone. You know what I mean? Because when we see it early in the movie, well, we don't see it earlier in the movie. Whenever anybody uses a hard line to leave the Matrix, we just know that they pick up a phone and they're out, they're un- unplugged, unjacked, whatever you want to call it. At the end of the movie, we get to see Morpheus kind of dissolve into digitalization, I guess would be the best way to put it, and he disappears and he's out of the Matrix. Don't really love that. It's not the worst, but I don't think they needed to show us that. Where, in comparison, it is very important that we see agents taking over people's bodies because we don't get to see that till the helicopter at the end of course you know when agent smith takes over like a swat team member's body we see the hand change but we don't get the full like uh shaking head effect like we get at the end of the movie love that effect agents taking over somebody's body is great disappearing into the phone uh, not so much i don't really think they need to show us what do you think um i have to say like like what i i, I forgot that we don't see somebody like kind of be uh, what we want to call it removed from the matrix via telephone until yeah. like the third act very end. I yeah. Think, and it's Morpheus. Yeah. It, it's kept right. It's kept ambiguous until that moment with Morpheus. I think that effect works. Like that oh. was one of those things that like, I forgot how late that reveal comes in the film. Mm-hmm. And by the time we reach it, I'm just like, yeah, I, I, that was one of the few things I could get behind. Okay. Interesting. Where I was like, okay, like I, I think it worked. I don't like there's some stuff in this movie that seemed clunky and uh, peculiar, like watching Nebuchadnezzar do its thing through like the tunnels, which definitely we'll see a lot of in oh, the subsequent see that, films. That, see, that's what I that love. I love that. <laughs> well, I, don't, I don't think it's an issue of loved or not loved. Like it's just like, like it's watching this thinking, Rob, please, before we end this recording, we have to talk about the, the color timing of this film. Oh, of course. Yes. Yes. Watching that in 4k relative to someone who's only seen this film ever like in dvd quality mm-hmm. um it's funny putting the 4k blu-ray in was so so jarring versus the dvd menu which i've been used to my entire life <laughs> like those classic warner brothers cases where it's like a piece of cardboard that like has a little like plastic piece that snaps onto it god like i just wasn't used to that um but no i think that worked i i i have okay. no problem with the the Morpheus being absorbed into the uh, receiver. I guess my question becomes, do we need to see that? I feel like the movie is set up such a in such flawless way that it's like that. Yeah, that's how you leave the Matrix. You know, that's that's just what it is. And there's even a scene when, you know, we get the, the, the circular shot of the phone ringing. And when they go into the Matrix, there's even that. So, of course, there's phones. Do we need to see this digiti- digitalization to get the sense? I feel like it was set up well enough already. Um, is it set up? I think um, it's. It's uh, it's a it's a good payoff. You know what? Also, Do we need to see it? No, but I think the payoff on a visual technical level is worth it. With you saying that, and with everything else we discussed already, with the special effects and the like, the uh, the spectacle of this movie, why wouldn't you show that off? You know, why wouldn't you go balls to the wall and say like, well, this is how everything looks, type of thing? So okay, I'm kind of with you there. That it, it might not be the most necessary, but it it is a something think, else they can the thing, though, show us. That that sort of thing, I don't mind. Because I think it adds to the lore of the, of, of the world. Um, whereas watching another kung fu action sequence, I don't I like watching. Oh God! Um, like I said, I love the, uh, the 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 subway station sequence. Oh yes. Um, like I said, like it's it's fun, 
But like some stuff just kind of gets gratuitous after a while. Not saying that I would want it excised, but I think it becomes kind of like self-indulgent. It's like, okay, like we're just going to do this for the sake of doing it. Sure. Um, yeah. Like, like again, like watching Neo with the, uh, oh God, when he uh, gets Agent Smith in the train tunnel, like where he flips around, he's like, my name is Neo. Yep. Then yep. we see like like obviously Agent Smith gets crushed by the subway train and like it stops and we see him like walk <laughs> out of the train. I'm wonderful. like wonderful. It, well, it, it's wonderful, but it's also like this is where I'm fascinated, like where like mass audiences were into it or not. Cause like that's such a deflating moment. Like, we've seen this action sequence where we've seen Neo as the underdog throughout the entire fight. Mm-hmm. Then we see him finally get the best of an agent, which we've never seen before. And then immediately that's undercut by the fact that Agent Smith is right back where we left him. Um, okay. it's like, yeah, it, it's weird. It, like I said, like, no, I'm not taking away from the film. I'm just, again, once again, I'm fascinated by mass audiences appreciation of this. Sure. Um, sure. like I said, it's kind of, again, this is a weird film that mass audiences latched onto. It really is. Um, this, this, this feel like, again, I get why the dark Knight was popular. I get why Jurassic park was popular. I get why Titanic was popular. I don't, get mm. why this became like the cultural seismic thing that it was in the 90s i sure late 90s early 2000s i really don't um what a I great guess payoff I, you mentioned i i have to bring it up because you mentioned it you know the um the my name is neo what a great payoff after the first encounter of course with um neo and agent smith is in the matrix when you know neo's mouth gets uh, sewn shut just like in another segment of the Twilight Zone movie. <laughs> but Agent Smith says to Neo, he's like, you know, he's like, one personality of yours or one side of you is Thomas Anderson. And, you know, you, you go to work, you have a job, that type of thing. Your other side is Neo, the hacker, who's, you know, doing bad things. One of these personalities or facets has a future. And then, of course, at the end of the movie, it's Neo that has the future. He's not Mr. Anderson anymore. He's Neo. It's, it, it comes all together. I love that moment. <laughs> Yeah, no, like I said, it, it works. Um, like I said, it works on paper. Like, reading the script for this seems perfect. Okay. And then, like, you watch the movie, and it's like, like again, I, I, I don't get why I should care about Neo and Morpheus. I, yeah, I, just, I, I hear what you're saying, yeah. Trinity, I get. Trinity, like, when she has that moment at the very end when she's, like, like where Neo is, quote-unquote, dead, mm-hmm. and she starts speaking to him – then I get her connection to this. Sure. But like up and like I said, like when Neo gets shot in the hallway, I'm like, meh. I'm like, I don't <laughs> care. Like I just like like Keanu, who's always been a stoic actor. Yes. Um, I know there's this weird thing like in, in film discourse where it's like people like like there's this weird thing of like, oh, Keanu's a bad actor versus like, no, like how dare you? He's just quirky. And I'm like He's he, he has a sticky place. Like Keanu, I, like I said, Keanu's never winning an Oscar for a performance. <laughs> um, he, he he's too goofy. But like at that end, we're how like, about I give you the finger and you give me my Oscar? <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like, he, he's he's a schlocky actor. Like he works. If he ever well, does win an Oscar and that is not the entirety of his acceptance speech, I will be very upset. <laughs> Yeah, but like I said, like that's what I mean though. Like, where, like I find the ending, the 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 ending underwhelming because I don't, I don't connect with him. There's no reason to connect with him. Is like I said, there's nothing relatable about Neo. Fair. fair. We never have any instance like, and I know this seems pretty pedestrian, but even like in his office, we never have that moment where we see him being a real person. Yeah. The closest we get to that is him selling 
<laughs> a program on a floppy disk to somebody at his front door. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I, I actually which is a quasi drug deal. I'm kind of totally with you. Which, which you've you've also you know you talked about this earlier, of course. But I, I'm with you that he's an empty. He's a, the audience vessel, not even sir. He's a vessel. He's an empty shell type of thing. I kind of do love the fact though that you know he has no personality as Mr. Anderson when his boss is chewing him out for being late. And then the next scene is him in his cubicle sitting in front of a computer with a blank screen. <laughs> like he's still not doing anything. <laughs> so that's a th- I think that's so I think that's so meaningful though that he's it it's taking the extent of the hero's journey and not just making it the surrogate, but the vessel, like I said. And I, I love that. And of course I think the the sequels become about subverting to some extent the hero's journey. But uh, that's I think that's more when we rewatch two and three type of thing. Yeah. Like I said, I, I uh, this is a very I, I don't even think peculiar is a strong enough term. On film. on that same note, though, with how empty and hollow he is, like I totally get what you're saying. There's no reason to care about him. I care about Neo and this movie because it compels me, and I think it's like, composed. Like we we said that already. Um, also, Zach, fuck your timer. We're still going. We're gonna get the snacks. Don't worry. Okay, Zach was like, we're setting a timer for snacks. Get get this shit out of here. I think the Wachowskis have purposely made Neo. This hollow character, be, because of the, the message of this movie, and we have to get to this, the, the finding your true self. And I think this movie is very pointedly not just about finding your true self. I think it's about perception of self. I think there is something so important to the message of this movie, it, it's imperative to talk about this with how many reflections there are in this movie. We are constantly seeing reflections whether it be in the oracle's doorknob um people's sunglasses there's so many different ways that we see ourselves when i say we i mean you know the the people in this movie i think there is something so much about you know you want to find your true self we want you want to free your mind to reach the full potential of what one can accomplish but not only to benefit yourself but to those around you and i think there's a very important thing about how neo just doesn't need to realize that he is a human. He doesn't need to realize his true self is the one who is going to help humanity, but he has to realize how humanity perceives him as well. There's a very big thing, of course, about how Morpheus, you know, uh, takes Neo out of the Matrix, and there's that scene where he says to Neo, I broke my rule, or we have a rule, about how we can't free people from the Matrix after they've reached a certain age because that will cause some mental problems in the real world. I think maybe that might have happened to Cypher. I, I, I got a little implication of that, you know, that he, he wants to go back in and have ignorance is bliss. I think it's so important that Neo realizes that he's not just the one, but also that people see him as the one. There's, there's a, a theme here it it might be buried buried very deep down behind all the action but the theme is talking about how not only should you realize who you are yourself but you should make sure that other people are perceiving you the same way and that's what i think this movie is getting at it's not only finding your true self it's finding your true form in humanity i and that's the thing that i think it's so dense i totally get like we were saying before why people took the wrong message they thought it was the um the revolutionary aspect like we've been talking about but i think it is so much more about perception does that make some sense, Zach? I know this is this is deep down Cinemodity's philosophical rabbit hole. <laughs> uh, no, I, I can get on board with it. Um, it's like I said, no, I get on board with it though. But like, it comes down to like author's intent. Sure. Is that sure. like? Is that like? And that's the thing. Like the Wachowskis have always, always been so guarded. I don't know. You were gonna say that. that like, you always, this is what you always say. You always say it's author's intent. 
Well, but, but again, that's what it comes down to. Is like we can't again. Rob is 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 a student of of literature, entertainment of all this. The Wachowskis are, are one of the far and few in between like filmmakers where you can actually kind of point to this sort of thing. Sure. And they they've always been so guarded, especially in their early days. Oh yeah. Weirdly enough, they're they're more open now than they've ever been before. Um, and that's why, like, when people make claims about the Matrix, it's it's hard to discern like what is reality, much like the Matrix itself. Um, <laughs> it's hard to discern what's reality versus what's the illusion. And, and, and that's where it's like, okay, like, could it be that? Yes. And that's why I think Resurrections maybe maybe they're, again, it's kind of the linchpin in all this. Like, maybe this is the re- okay. reality versus the illusion series in that regard. And that, like, maybe illusion, um, illusions, Resurrections is finally able to give us a definitive ruling one way or the other about as to what these movies is about. Sure. I, I like that. Uh, that. That, I mean, might be the... um ideal scenario for the matrix uh which i now want to call the matrix colon relusions just put an r in front of illusions (laughs) but i think you bring up a good point another thing i want to talk about i know i mentioned at the start and this is going to come up a lot more in the remaining two movies i think even this idea is like the cap on the trilogy that last scene which we'll get to in two weeks of course in um the Matrix Revolutions with the architect and the um, what the little kid Sati and the Oracle and Seraph, you know, they're talking about the Matrix restarting, but it's a different type of Matrix. I, I think it is so important to talk about how the Matrix is not a simulation. The Matrix, Matrix is a simulacrum. So you can read all over the internet. It is one of the most prevalent things about this fucking movie. It comes up like multiple times on the Wikipedia page. There's 10% of the fucking IMDb facts are this. You can read this everywhere. That homework that the people in this movie had to do, Keanu Reeves, Carrie Ann Moss, all the actors, I think even some of like the camera people and stuff like that. I think I, think I found one site that said like the Wachowskis even made uh, Bill Pope read this. Everybody had to read Jean Baudrillard, Simulacra and Simulation the French philosophy book from the 80s. And I think this is very important to the story, the difference between these two things. So for anyone who doesn't know, a simulation is a recreation of something that exists. Everybody knows a flight simulator. The reason it's a simulation is because you practice on the simulator, and when you leave that simulator, you can then go get in an airplane and fly that airplane in reality. You are practicing for something. A simulacrum is a copy of something that no longer has an original. And that's what The Matrix is. The Matrix is not simulating real life because real life no longer exists. When people leave The Matrix, Neo, Cypher, Morpheus, Trinity, all of our characters, they don't have a humanity to go back to. And that's what this series starts to become about, especially, like I said, that ending of the third movie, when they're basically like, well, you know, we've now reached another equilibrium in the stage of humanities versus machines. If you want to stay in the Matrix, you can. If not, feel free to live in Zion and eat gruel. It's up to you how much of the truth you want to accept. And in this movie, that's what Cypher's purpose is. Joe Pantoliano, while looking to get the Duke, is realizing that he was in a simulacrum. It's not a simulation. There is a distinct difference in human mental perspective when you learn the truth if you can undo that truth. And that's what Joe Pantoliano wants to do. I'm not really posing a question to you, Zach. I just wanted to say this to set it up for future episodes. But do you know what I'm I'm getting at, kind of? (laughs) Oh, no. I get the gist of it. Okay. (laughs) Um, 
No, I get it. I I, I get it. And again, like this is the whole point of this Matrix. Yes. Yeah. Trilogy is the idea that like nothing is what it seems to be. Absolutely. The simulacrum of the Matrix is, of course, to keep machines running. That's what we learn in this movie, that you know, humans have become batteries, of course. Um, on, on that note, I love the fact that um, when uh, Neo gets in the car with Trinity, Apoc, and Switch, Switch calls him a copper top, which is the name for batteries. <laughs> and I'm like, that's fucking amazing. Like, he called he, – he, he – well, Switch, I think, is a woman, but was supposed to be, you know – Switch genders that, in the original script, yes, that type that, of thing. That's what I'm saying. That, but, I picked up on that too. But I, she I calls him too. Copper Top. She calls him a battery, and I'm like, this is. I'm like, this is great. You know, I love that shit. <laughs> but I, I think the the simulacrum versus simulation is clearly, you know, from what I said on, you can see on the internet, you can read all about, is the essence of what the Wachowskis wanted for this first movie, and I think that's what makes this so powerful. Like Cipher is a villain. He's not the big bad at the end of the movie. The big bad is almost, you know, kind of Agent Smith, more just the agents in general. But Cypher is our mid-tier villain who is realizing this. And that's where the movie starts to just hit me over the head with the idea of, you know, if you knew there was a god, would you worship it? You know, if tomorrow it was revealed that, you know, Christianity was the correct religion, would you become a Christian? Not everybody would. Of course there's some people who go, well, no, why would I do that? And there's some people who go, of course, I have to do that. And that's kind of what Cypher does with the simulacrum of the Matrix, especially in the sense that he wants to forget that he's in a simulation, uh, simulacrum, of course. And I love that he's just like, make me forget everything and make me rich, too. <laughs> I think that's very important to the trilogy, which we had to set up here. And I hope Hold somebody up. learned something about simulacrum versus simulation. <laughs> oh, Rob. Um, yeah, no, like I said, I, I don't disagree. I really don't disagree with any of that. Um, but again, it goes back to like how much of this was their original script, yeah. how much of this was Joel Silver, and how much of this was, uh, I don't want to say foresight, but just like, okay, like, like what seeds are we kind of just, uh, sowing? That, that's fair. And that is a valid question. And it's something I don't think we're ever going to get an answer to, right? Uh, I think we, I think it's possible. It just depends on their candidness, which the Wachowskis yeah, have yeah. always been reluctant with. Absolutely. Yeah. It's actually, I, I'm sure Zach knows this, but it's actually really hard to find like interviews with the Wachowskis. They have not done too much press ever in their careers. It's kind of strange. No, like I said, they've gotten better in recent years. Yeah. And yeah. As we all know from the, uh, what was it, uh, the Path of Neo video game, where, like, at the very end, we get these, like, weird, like, Minecraft block creatures. I cannot We're, wait like... to talk about the Path of Neo when we get to the Matrix Revolutions. <laughs> The, all the Smiths coming together to form a giant Smith. That, that we're gonna we're gonna talk about that man. <laughs> <laughs> One of the weirdest choices ever. <laughs> no, you're not wrong. So another thing on the theme of this movie, I, we had to get to it. I mean, there's no way around it. Transgenderism. This movie now gets so much. I had to set it up. I don't know how. To, I don't know how, how to jump into it. Speaking of like like <laughs> Rob's affinity of like things like like Tom Green like rhyming like in like words and stuff. Oh, sure. he's like transgenderism. Like, <laughs> like there's some like little ring to it where it's like okay, like okay, Rob, where right are we on. going with? How I, if I haven't already canceled this already? How are we gonna get canceled this time? <laughs> no, I think I think this is gonna be good because um, 
I, I think, of course, you know, there's uh, dissenting opinions about the idea of transgenderism, that type of thing. But one of the things that, of course, everybody talks about now, ever since, especially since the um, Matrix Resurrections was announced, it, the, the coming to forefront of it's not the Wachowski brothers, it's the Wachowski sisters. And as Zach, Zach and I like to joke all the time when we talk to people who are not as um, versed in film as we are and they say the Wachowski brothers, we go, oh, you're a bigot, that type of thing. We love that joke, you know. But I... I know that there's a lot of commentary now and since their their transition, both the Wachowskis, their transition um, in the, what, the late 2000s, I think, that that this was what The Matrix was about. And to some extent, all their movies, but we're talking about The Matrix, of course. I don't think that's the case. Of course, I don't gather those things from watching this movie because that's uh, nothing that, you know, impacts me personally. Like, I don't feel uh, gender dysmorphia or anything like that. But... I found a quote from uh, Lily Wachowski about transgenderism of this first movie and kind of the trilogy as a whole, I think, that she gave at a, um, a an awards acceptance speech um, in 2016, I believe it was. And she said, quote, There's a critical eye being cast back on Lana and I's work through the lens of our transness. This is a cool thing because it's an excellent reminder that art is never static. That's the quote. I think that's the perfect way to say it about The Matrix. I don't think that The Matrix has to be about transitioning through genders because of the filmmakers doing that. I think transgender uh, being or feeling that you are in the wrong gender is a subset of the idea of finding your true self, which The Matrix is about, which all their movies are about. Speed Racer is more about keeping your true self, but, you know, same thing. I, I love the idea that, you know, they haven't gone out and said, like, oh, that's what it was about. It was about, you know, gender dysmorphia or anything like that. I love the idea that they're like, yeah, that's, that's cool. Like, think about our movies. Think about our works. You know, they're not static. They're going to change as we learn new things. I think that's the best possible answer to any question of is, this, is movie X about Y? You say, well, who knows? Reevaluate it. It's art. It's not meant to be static, as she said. It's fantastic. I love that quote, Zach. Did you find that in your research? I, I know you said you were woefully underprepared, but I love that no. idea. And <laughs> I just alert, had, I did not. Okay, I just had to throw that out there because I know I've been seeing so much. And it depends where you go. Different websites, you know, Reddit is very left-leaning. They're, they're pro the transgenderism. You go to some websites that are anti-transgenderism. They are so against the Matrix, new Matrix movie. But I don't think that's what it's about. Once again, people took the wrong message from this thing. People are putting things on it that it doesn't deserve to be put on. It's much broader. It's that vessel that we were talking about. I, I, th I thought that was important to mention because also I think that's a great quote, you know? Say, fuck you. Art's never static. Interpret it how you want to interpret it. That's the way it should be. <laughs> and that's how I feel. I know Zach's going to say, well, author's intent, that type of thing. <laughs> no, no, no. I said, like, author's intent goes so far, but I think that's more about, like, Oh God, pop culture at large. Yeah, I think yes. author's intent versus like what like pop culture like cons. Oh God, what's the word? Not consumes, not regurgitates, but that notion of reflects maybe. Sure, sure. And I think that's what's ha that's what happened with the Matrix. Trilogy. I would almost say I like reflects. I would almost say refracts because it changes it changes maybe, it in yeah. some way. Yeah, but I think again, I think I think it's reflects versus refracts, and I think okay. that's what that's what the difference is. Gotcha. And much like uh, what happened in two thousand eight with the Indiana Jones trilogy and Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, we're about to have that in a couple. Well, by the time you're listening, this a couple of weeks as of now, a couple of months. Mm -hmm. Is that like it's going to fundamentally alter the way we perceive these movies? Like it will never be 
be the same again. It's no longer going to be the Indiana. It's never long going to be the Matrix trilogy. It's going to be the Matrix. Uh, what, what's the phrase? What's the word that pays Rob? Quadrilogy. Quadrilogy. Sure. <laughs> that, that, is, that, isn't, that isn't a word. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. No. You're right. You're right. <laughs> I have some things that are related to The Matrix, but not directly in the movie that I wanted to mention. Were there any other scenes or ideas from the actual movie that you wanted to get to? I figured I'd, I'd touch on these few related things before we got to our questions. But was there well, anything else okay. from the movie well, you wanted to hit on? Really, really, there's only one thing. I, like I said, like, you know, we've talked about everything that kind of matters. But the one thing I think we haven't really delved into... Um, beyond the color timing, which I, oh, I swear yes. to God, Rob, if we don't talk about the we color have, timing. Okay, we should do it. Somebody. We should do it right now because I don't want to forget. You're, that's very important. Okay, then don't 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 let me forget about the Sentinel. I want to talk about the Sentinel. Okay, we got to talk about the Sentinels. Yes. Okay, color timing. Um, I uh, Zach and the color timing. Yeah, please please enlighten the audience if they if if nobody's aware I, of the color timing. I don't know how true this is because I didn't go back and look at my DVD of of the Matrix. Was that I read an article like before I write. As the 4K disc was being released, that apparently, like, The Matrix is always known as being a green movie with, like, a green hue that just permeates everything. Like, it's super saturated in, in the green tint. And I remember reading, like, it has to be, like, earlier this year that, like, oh, apparently when they mastered these films for home video... The the color timing for the home video releases going back to the DVD, the Blu-ray, they put so much of a heavy emphasis on the green hue that it was not what the Wachowskis intended when they made this film in 1999. Sure. And that like so if you had seen this film in a theater in 1999, the color grading was infinitely different than how you ever reviewed it on VHS DVD Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. And I think that might have been like the earliest impetus to this being a series. And we're telling Rob, like, Rob, did you ever know this? That like apparently The Matrix was never intended to be this green. And yeah, Rob I think when like, you told me that, my response was, oh, wow, I threw The Matrix on maybe a few weeks ago on HBO Max and it looked really green. <laughs> exactly. Um, Because that's what we think of. When you think of The Matrix, you think of the color green. And I didn't know what to make of this. I know I bought the Blu-ray sometime in June, and it's been sitting on my shelf, like, in the cellophane wrapper ever since, and it wasn't until yesterday that I decided to uh, unwrap it. And as I watch this, and I could be wrong, maybe I'm just kind of uh, seeing what I want to see, this film didn't seem as green as I remembered it. Like, the Blu-ray seemed very, very, like I said, they're... The green hue is present. I can't argue that. Sure. But it's not as saturated as I remember. I completely agree because when I rewatched The Matrix for this recording, I did watch it on HBO Max because I wanted to think about that color timing because, like I said, I I thought it was pretty green. It wasn't that green from what I remember. I'm in total agreement with you, Zach. And even what I did, I didn't do a side-by-side or anything, but, you know, after I watched on HBO Max and I was working on my notes, I was like, oh, color timing, let me pull up the copy I have on my hard drive. And I think it looked the same as the HBO Max one. So I'm kind of with you that for some reason... When you were like you were like Rob, the Matrix is kind of green, and I was like, oh yeah, it did look green. But then I watched it again. I'm like, eh, not really. Like the green is there. Like you said, don't get us wrong. It's the it's the tone of this movie, you know. But I remembered like the interrogation scene between Agent Smith and and uh, Neo. I remember that being really green, you know, that type of thing. But it's not. It's muted. 
I mean, there might be some hint of green type of type of thing, but yeah, it's I, not as bad as I remember. No, I agree. Like I said, like I, I think. Oh god, and maybe it's it's reloaded in Revolutions then. But I'm oh, not sure. Okay, that. that that could be. Yeah, we'll have to see. Well, this is our recurring segment for this series. How green is the Matrix movies? <laughs> well, like I said, I know the highway sequence in Reloaded is very green. I remember that too. So it'll be interesting to rewatch it for sure. Yeah, like I said, no, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a fun uh, couple of weeks. God, the highway sequence from the next movie. What a fucking great sequence. <laughs> I thought I thought you said to never take the highway. That was suicide. Then pray I was wrong. Well, that's oh, it. Yep. Like I said, I, I, like I said, I think there's a reason why that second, those second and third films are just like so delightful because they lean into the camp of it all. They're amazing. They're and amazing. I, <laughs> I can't even wait to talk about orgasm cake in, in next week. I mean, I'm so on board oh, for that. I am. Oh, I, I am. Uh, I I cannot wait for orgasm cake. Like that <laughs> is just like, ooh, as Rob knows, I've been talking about that sequence for. Ever yes, if, it, I mean, if we, we, we brought we it up on our under week. the skin episode, yeah. <laughs> if we're not canceled this week, we will definitively. I will be definitively canceled next week. <laughs> oh, I love it. Okay, if there's nothing else with the color timing, because we're in agreement, Sentinels. You want to talk about the squids? Yeah, like the Sentinels, like are one of those things that, like in any other movie, would be the highlight. And oh, in yes. this, they're almost an afterthought, like plot wise. And they look great. I love the design of the Sentinels. Oh, they are. They are a neat neat design especially at the end of the movie when you're really seeing them work and they're like lasering into the hull of the nebuchadnezzar and all that stuff i'm like this is just right up my alley you know like robots being bad as shit we gotta kill them with the emp but we can't do it yet because of our own technology and they're just they got the tendrils it's it's that thing like we mentioned earlier that there's there's such an inspiration from um anime and that this is a very anime thing like I, I would bet that, you know, if we went back and, and watched Akira, I haven't watched Akira since, you know, we watched um, we watched it for this podcast three years ago or something now. I that that's what they're pulling from. They're pulling from the the tendrils, the tentacles of anime and how menacing that can be, how how dexterous they can be. It's it's horrifying, but it's great at the same time. I love the design of the Sentinels. I love the design of like all the machine stuff, I think. You know, we didn't we didn't really hit on it when um Neo leaves his pod. All the the pipes shooting out of the tube shooting out of him very tendril like. We get a shot when Morpheus is explaining what machines are doing to humanity of, you know, like a baby, like a human baby hooked up to a bunch of tubes and tentacles and I'm like this is disturbing. It's fantastic. um that's always been like a a question about the matrix is like how does any of this work um it's not important to the plot at all but i agree uh there there is some stuff there part of the spectacle that we were saying absolutely yeah and i think it's, it's one of those things like you know that this being so successful it just took so many different sources that really hadn't hit in america yet and pulled them all together, like the the um you know the the cyberpunk stuff, like the dystopian future. St- well, dystopian has been around forever, but maybe the, the, maybe not the best example. But the the anime notion, the the kung fu fighting, like you said before, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, it's great. It's it's one of those things that I always say, like this movie got to succeed because things before it you know fell flat on its face, and this pulls it all together and really just hits with everybody, and it. I've, I love it. <laughs> oh God! But yeah, I think I've uh, I've touched upon everything I want to touch upon when it comes to this film. Okay, okay. I think I've I've talked about everything that I want to do with this film as well. But there is some stuff that we have to discuss before our questions. <laughs> and one of those things is the idea of 
something I don't know if Zach is aware of. The Matrix. Do you know what the Matrix is? Like the Matrix, no. but meat. Matrix. Okay, so I did not either. Turns out, at the bottom of the Wikipedia page for the Matrix, uh, there is a link to the Matrix, and I went, "Well, you have my attention, Wikipedia." The Matrix is about a four-minute animated short film that is a parody of The Matrix, but is very self-serious in its message. So the idea of The Matrix, which you can find on YouTube. There's actually multiple copies on YouTube that you can just go check out. Um, it's, like I said, four minutes long. It's, it's really easy to watch. This follows Leo, who is a pig on a farm. He is approached by Mufius, who shows him that he is in The Matrix. The Matrix is the lie that people tell themselves about where their meat comes from. So you might think as I say this, oh, is this like a pro-vegan type of thing? It's not pro-vegan. It's not saying don't eat meat. It's anti-factory farming. It is a four-minute short film that uses the ideas of the Matrix to tell people that factory farming is a bad thing for the environment, for civilization, and for the economy and things like that. It is pretty wild. If you go watch this, it starts off pretty funny because you got Leo and it's like, you know, Leo, psst, come here. I'm Mufius. I'm going to show you the Matrix. Take the red pill or the blue pill or whatever it is. Like, it really follows that whole type of thing. Um, uh, Trinity is Chickadee, a chicken in, in the Matrix. There's a trilogy of Matrixes also, which we'll talk about next week, the Matrix 2. <laughs> but I was kind of shocked that this existed, and it is popular enough to have a Wikipedia page, and it apparently it's anti-factory farming. It's, it's not saying don't eat meat. It's saying don't have factory farming. We need more independent farms. It's wild. I recommend everybody go check it out. The Matrix, Zach. How many stars would you give it, you think? <laughs> 10 out of 10. <laughs> 10 out of 10. Perfect. <laughs> did, 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 oh, God. Did Steve Oderkirk ever do a, a thumb matrix? Did that ever finally get off the ground? I am glad you brought that up, Zach. How the fuck are we... Once again, on this same page for this recording, that was one of the other things I wanted to mention. The Thumb Matrix does not exist. <laughs> a trailer for the Thumb Matrix exists. On one of whoa, the... Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yes. Well, may, may, may I ask, Rob? Okay. Which is closest to reality? The Thumb Matrix or the thighs of Skyskipper? <laughs> oh, oh God. They might... Oh, shit. <laughs> okay we have trailer we have a trailer for both that's true the trailer for the thumb matrix is much more detailed because the trailer for the thighs of skyskipper is very teaserish, right if i remember correctly but, but we have like trading the trading card like a digital day yes. trading card that's why i'm thinking oh god that's tough the thumb matrix trailer makes it look like they actually had some stuff ready to go the trading cards look like they might be reused assets from thumb wars for the characters that return, you know what I mean? Fair enough. So, ah, oh, that's a really tough question. That might be the toughest question. Just like your other philosophical questions that we're going to carry through this series, can I answer this next week or the following week? <laughs> oh, God. Like, like what happened to Steve Odenkirk? Can we send him, like, like a fruit basket or something? Like, give him some oranges? I would do whatever the hell I can to get another Thumb movie. <laughs> I still like this, like, a, like, a, like a, oh, God, a Rise of Skywalker-level discussion from, like, December of 2000, yes. or maybe November of 2019, where Rob's like, I'm not getting my hopes up until I'm sitting there watching it. I do not believe it will exist. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's man, just like me with uh, with tool music, you know that type of stuff. It is like I'm not going to believe it till I see it, till I have the files on my computer, that type of thing. <laughs> well, I can tell you actually, I just went to thumb.com. It is different from the last time I saw it. Ooh. That is interesting. 
there is a new logo. It says thumb, and we have a very, you know, kind of animated thing. It says at the top of the page, it says, may the thumb be with you always. And then it says in very big letters, most of the screen is taken up with the time, dot, 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 has come. And as you scroll down, oh, my God, I'm actually seeing this for the first time. Holy shit. It says, finally, there will be a satisfying conclusion. Not even a global pandemic could stop the epic, epiciness of this legendary finale in the battle of good versus evil, fleshy versus the nail side of the thumb. Join Loke Thumbray. No, Loke, comma, Thumbray, comma, Princess Bunhead, comma, Thumlo Ren, comma, Popo, comma, Pin, comma, Toes, comma, Black Helmet Man, comma, Ubi Dooby Banooby, who we all love. Ooby-doob, Scooby-doob, and Ooby. He has the silliest name in the galaxy. Crying is for little girls, babies, and men who just had their ears ripped off. Who are you? I am Ooby-doob, and Ooby. I have the silliest name in the galaxy. What's your middle name? Scooby-dooby. Ooby-doob, Scooby-dooby, Banooby? One and the same. And you must be the crybaby. Comma, crunchy, and the entire gang as all of the wrongs are righted in this hilarious, startling, and worthy conclusion to the greatest saga of all time. And then the rest of the webpage is where you can put your information to sign up for the Thumb Wars newsletter. <laughs> <laughs> and then at the bottom of the page, full Thumb Wars 9, IX, movie site and social coming soon. I just want to reiterate that. It says full Thumb Wars 9 movie site and social, not movie, movie site coming soon. So yeah, this I don't I okay. still don't have hopes for this, but man, one day, one day. I would give money to, I would literally give money to this. I would literally give a Kickstarter to get a thumb movie. I swear to God. <laughs> oh god, the animation on the website's playing. It's showing Oh god, it showed the milk things from the last Jedi spewing milk out of its nipples. <laughs> one day, Zach. One day. One day. <laughs> one day. I, I, I hope. One day. Um, since you brought up already the, uh, the thumb matrix, which I want to talk about, which I'm sure will come up again as we get more information uh, as we go week by week with this, the other thing I wanted to mention is um, the website, whatisthematrix.com. Because, of course, that is getting you know, thrown around a lot currently with the new movie st- and buzz and stuff like that. I actually went to whatisthematrix.com, and it just basically has the trailer for the Matrix Resurrections, and you just have to kind of work to get to it. You know, It's kind of an interactive experience. But I don't know if you saw this, Zach. At the very end of the credits of the, the Matrix, the movie, the first movie, it shows the title of the movie. This is the, the, literally the last thing in the credits, like after everything else. It shows the title of the movie. And at the bottom, it says, you know, visit the website, www.whatisthematrix.com. And then underneath it, it says password, colon, steak. <laughs> I just love the fact that in 1999 and 2000, whoever's watching this, you know, the internet was coming around type of thing. Or, you know, someone would go to their library who's really into the Matrix. And they're like, oh, yeah, whatisthematrix.com? What's the password? Steak. <laughs> like, not like wake up or free your mind, just steak. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> With that being said, Zach, I think that was everything I had. But to be honest, I think we're switching roles here. I'm going to f- – I know I probably forgot something, and it will come up next week. That's why we're doing three Matrix episodes. We're not lumping them all into one. I think this is going to be my shining, Zach, where next week I'm going to have to talk about all the things I forgot, you know? 
<laughs> you got to say that for your doctor sleep level discussion. Ah, uh, yes, absolutely. So, if there's nothing else, Zach, are you ready for our questions? I am ready, Rob. Okay, well, now... If you, if you, Zach, and you, the cinema audience, thought this was going to be short, <laughs> you are mistaken. <laughs> this is the interesting part of the episode. Let's talk cinemodities first. I know we have the total recall precedent, Zach, okay? I know that if a movie is very successful, we have set up the precedent that we both agree with, I think to some extent, we really can't call it a cinematic oddity because it was so successful. I know I've broken this rule before, and I'm tempted to break it again. I'm tempted to say that The Matrix is a cinemodity because of how seismic it was, because it changed the world. Like we said, not just the film world, but the culture as a whole. I think there is a level of how seismic a movie can be that makes it a cinemodity because that is so difficult to do. It's not like we're guaranteed a movie changes the world, you know? It's not like nobody's expecting a movie to change the world. When it happens, it's an odd thing. I think I'm kind of getting myself into hot water here. Because I think there's some other movies that have changed the world that I might have previously said are not cinemodities. Like, really, is the original Star Wars a cinemodity because it changed the world? I don't know. The Avengers is what I mentioned. We mentioned some others as well. I don't think we've ever covered any of those on the podcast, so this is the first time I'm really thinking about it. But I am really leaning towards saying that The Matrix is a, cin- a cinemodity because of how important it was and impactful it was. What do you think about that notion? I, I, no, I also I, know you no. were going to bring up the Total Recall precedent, so I had to, I had to beat you to it. <laughs> no, I think this is a cinema idea, without a doubt. Oh, are you saying it's, you're breaking the Total Recall precedent? Well, we, we've broken that before. We have, have you before? I'd have to look I, back at the, at the, probably, at the spreadsheet. Probably. So, okay. So... I, okay, okay. are you saying yes to Cinemodity? I'm more for, comfortable... In order for Rob to talk more, I'm going to say Cinemodity's yes and late night yes. So Rob, by all means, take take okay. all take all my minutes that you're I'm allowed also, to. I'm also on the fence for late night because <laughs> we have regularly said, of course, that a late night, a movie cannot be a late night movie if all parties involved have seen it. Well, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay. okay. Allow me to... Uh, please, please. Um, uh, oh, God. I don't want to say perform, but just lay another lens on top of it. Please, yes. I think if you ask someone to watch The Matrix on the lens of like, okay, pretend you're in 1999. I want you to, as best as you possibly can, ignore how much of this has seeped into your brain just because of the culture we live in. And imagine you're watching this for the first time in 1999. Try to change the mindset of somebody watching a late night movie. Interesting. Okay. I, like I think that. that's the best thing because that's what I was doing. Like somebody who, like I said, I knew everything that happened in this movie, like like the back of my hand, and I deliberately chose to watch it as best as I could. Um, I'm not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, <laughs> as someone who had never seen this before, and I think that provides a at least unique experience. That is a really neat take on it, and. I like that, and I think that is probably the best answer for this movie that is so seismic and so well-known for a late-night movie. I took it a little differently. I took it as a complete switch of what I usually say. As everybody knows, you know, when I, when I really get into a late-night movie, I talk about having somebody in my clutches, like forcing them to watch it, our favorite Ludovico technique, that type of thing. This is kind of the opposite. I... Watch this for this recording. Like I said, it must have been the 10th time or something. Both Zach and I, we said, we've seen this movie so many goddamn times. 
And I still loved it. I was still so enthralled by it. Knowing this movie like the back of the hand, the back of my hand, the two hours, 15 minutes that I sat through felt like it went by in a snap. And I still get, you know, uh, not goosebumps, because uh, I don't, like, like I said, it isn't my favorite movie, but I still am so just like, that is so cool. Like when Neo takes the cell phone out of the FedEx package at the beginning and it rings as soon as he takes it out. It's like, whoa. Like, that's, that's awesome. I love when he's running from Agent Smith at the end and um, what's uh, Tank is telling him where to go. And, you know, he's on the phone and he jumps off of a fire escape and into a bunch of trash. And it's slow motion cuts when he's jumping off the fire escape. As he's jumping, he puts the phone back up to his ear. I'm like, this is just fucking cool. I'm so enthralled by this movie, even though I've seen it so many times. So I think what I'm saying, I'm going to do a new category for a late night movie. This is a late night movie that I'm going to put on solely because I want to watch it. And whoever else I'm with can do whatever the <laughs> fuck they want because I want to watch The Matrix. There's probably a handful of movies that we've covered that are like this, which makes me a little hesitant because I don't want to institute this new category of my late night viewings and have to like go back. Maybe this is a four-year anniversary thing. So I'm a little hesitant to really say this, but I, I kind of am tempted. I enjoy watching this movie so much that I want to put it on as a late-night movie because I want to, not really because it has anything to do with the other people involved in the viewing. That's kind of strange. It's a first. Not only did The Matrix change the world, The Matrix is now changing this podcast, Zach. Are you okay with that? <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> That's how seismic it is 20-plus years later. <laughs> Any thoughts on my late night thing? <laughs> no, like, classic Rob, yeah, like Matrix yeah. fashion. Like this is like this is par for the course. Like nothing, nothing is uh, surprising me here. Uh, Fair. No, I, I don't disagree. Like, like I might think this film is dry in some instances, mm-hmm. and I find it peculiar. Like I guess I have nothing against the movie. I'm more perplexed with mass audiences latching onto it. Sure, sure. I, I hear you. I hear you. Okay. Well, you you any any um late night context you want to give for your answer? Uh, not really. Okay. Um, Fair. Late night wise, I think I said I think I think it works. Um, again, it'd be weird. Um, like I said, I think the idea of making people watch it trying to ignore the cultural osmos- uh, osmosis and their own history with it would be fascinating. Because I think if you ignore its place in uh, history, I think this movie is. At least on a story level, very, very vanilla. Okay. Yeah, I hear you. That's fair. And that that's consistent with everything else you've been saying this episode, so right on. Well, snacks, restaurant, there's one snacks. There's one that I gotta take. Cause I don't think you're gonna take it, but I gotta get it out here because of course it is it is right up my alley for snacks. Blue pills and red pills. But not <laughs> individually. We get a bunch of both of them mixed together in a bowl that people can just grab a handful of, like those fucking fake Skittles parties with medication that the media reported way back when. I know I bring this up all the fucking time, but you remember those stories where the media was like, is your kid having a Skittle party where they're going to steal your prescription medication and when they get to the party, everybody's going to put their parents' drugs in a bowl and people are just going to pop them like Skittles. And it's like, no one in the fucking world has ever done that. I find so, it fascinating. Uh, this is like the second, at least the second time Rob has discussed this in depth. At least, the idea of at part. least, it's this in the fucking Jordan Peele Twilight Zone. I can't get over. <laughs> but I that's like what I want. I want a bowl most... of red and blue pills. 
Okay, Rob, you can have a pill. <laughs> I'm sorry, you have a bot, uh, 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 whatever, um, uh, a bowl of pills. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe in the, like the waiting area. Maybe the like, mints and the exit. You know, we should have our own color pill. Like, what would the Cinemati's pill be? Like, what color? <laughs> That's a good question. I don't know if I have an answer yet. How much stuff are we going to set up that we need to answer next week? <laughs> Not next week. We'll, we'll put this at the end of the series. Like we'll have until okay. like mid-January with Resurrections. What do you think if in the new Matrix movie we get a, bl- a blue pill, red pill scene like we do in the original? It's very similar. And then as Neo or whoever it's pre- you know presented to, as the character is about to grab one of the pills, Yahya Abdul-Mateen as Morpheus, young Morpheus or different Morpheus, whatever we're going to call it, he says, but wait – there's a green pill. <laughs> I think I would, I would be love, all on board with that. <laughs> what would happen? Okay, what would happen? I, I think we should offer an experience where you take both the red pill, the red and blue pill at the same time. <laughs> oh my god! If nobody has made that parody, we need to capitalize on that. Like, we need to film a YouTube video, which is us making fun of the Matrix scene, and Morpheus starts his speech, and like Neo just grabs both pills and swallows them like immediately. <laughs> And Morpheus is like, you weren't supposed to do that. <laughs> like, like, is that like, like taking the blue and red pill? Is that the equivalent of taking like like day cool and night cool at the same time? <laughs> well, I I think you actually bring up a good point. Something I forgot, which we're now not bringing up next week. We're bringing up now. What the hell does the blue pill do? Is the blue pill just like Zequil and you fall asleep and you get back in your bed? <laughs> like, well, well, that's what well, that's what he's taking in the new film. Like, we see him have like an entire bottle of it. Yes, yes. With the and also we get the um the the therapist Neil Patrick Harris motif in that trailer. Yeah, interesting. So what? Yeah, it's probably just a, like a mental suppressant. I don't know because isn't the whole point yeah. in the first movie that Neo or An- Mr. Anderson, as he is, you know, Thomas Anderson, he feels detached. He feels like he is not part of the world. Would the blue pill make him feel better about that fact? Maybe? I don't know. I think it's probably just continues the illusion. If I if I had to guess based on my understanding of Matrix lore. Like he would awaken, he would have woken up after taking the blue pill and been like, what a crazy dream that I met Morpheus, you know? And I don't want to meet well, Morpheus yeah. anymore. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like, okay. like again, there's, like, there's a lot of questions about Resurrections based on, like, just, like, the Matrix lore la- sure. laid out in the second and third film. I guess the best way to say it is if we want to know what happens when you take both the blue pill and the red pill at the same time, um, we have just have to set this up in the Cinematis restaurant and wait for somebody to grab a handful of pills, right? Pretty much. <laughs> okay. We're, we're using our customers as guinea pigs or employees. Speaking of employees, I think that we should bug them. <laughs> just like the agents bug neo i would love to have this shrimp looking tracking device stuck into our employees so we can always know where they are even if they aren't at work what do you think <laughs> is it ever properly explained like what that tracking device does like like specifically is it just is it just like like, like an ear like a microphone so oh god oh I think it, it's supposed to be like location and microphone because it, it does make an appearance, not the same bug, but the bug idea makes an appearance in the Animatrix, a detective story. Um, Trinity sucks out a bug from the private detective when uh, he finds her, but through his eye socket instead of the belly button. It's pretty, it's pretty oh, gruesome. But yeah, I think it's supposed to be location and audio so that the agents can find whoever they've bugged. Gotcha. And I think that we should do that to our employees. I don't think there are any ethical questions regarding that. What do you think? <laughs> no liability. It's in the contract, absolutely. I have a few more snacks, Zach, but I have to throw it over to you. What are you thinking for The Matrix? Oh, God, snack-wise? Yeah. Um, 
I think we should have like the ignorance is bliss steak. We're like it's a Jesus steak, but it tastes Christ. like I wrote fake whoa, whoa, steak whoa. on my list. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa! It's the ignorance is bliss steak, but it tastes like anything but steak. You can choose for it to taste whatever you like. It, think of it this way: it's a steak, so it technically is edible. Okay, and that's your way of like sampling all the dishes that could be potentially toxic. Is <laughs> that like so? Like you want to taste some of the other things on the menu? That's how you get away with it. Like it's it's the thing of like okay, like I want the this, and basically it's like a reverse Trojan horse. Instead of it like killing you, it allows you to taste like potentially like oh god, like destructive things without dying. Okay, I kind of like that. I kind of like that. It's also not just for the customers. I think that we could use that as something like this steak. This ignorance is bliss steak is something like our I don't know developers table. You know, like we can we can make sure that our dishes are what we want without having the negative effects of them perfect exactly I, I love it i absolutely love it um well uh, I, I thought you were going to say that the the steak was going to take taste like tasty wheat because we get that whole well, thing from well, mouse about tasty wheat <laughs> can i ask you when you see joey pants and he's eating his steak mm-hmm. does that look like an appetite like, objectively speaking not like cinematis restaurant not like a movie like, like like movie food like if you were to be presented that steak would you eat it um, like in real life, cook the same way. It's a good question. I just, may I answer before you answer? Please, may I please, answer? yeah. I am not a big steak person. Neither am I. Um, so yeah, I am not. I, I I remember like I remember that I remember the notion of that scene before I uh, rewatched it for this recording. Mm-hmm. And when I saw that steak, it looks almost severely undercooked. Well, like, yes, I'm, yes. I'm right. not. I'm not a big fan of rare like meats. Like I'm usually like a medium. Like, I'm usually like a medium well person. Mm-hmm. But like, but like, I'll eat anything. Like as long as like I don't get like the runs from it, like <laughs> I'm on board. Yes. Um. But like looking at that steak, it looks so. It looks like almost like a steak tartare. Okay. I yeah. I, I it know looks what you're more red than anything else. Absolutely. I I didn't think it was like grossly undercooked or anything. But you're definitely right. I definitely think it was rare on the, the rare side. You know, with that inflection. You're like Joe Joe but Joe Pantoliano probably said to the waiter, "Can I get it rare?" You know. <laughs> but I wonder if that's something that the Wachowskis were getting at. The idea that like the fact that like it's practically living. Like that notion, oh, like oh, like 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 think about it. Like, like you have a a meat that's so rare, it's like quote practically living. Yes, much like the Matrix, it's practically alive. Ah, that's a good point. I never thought about it that way, but sure, that's that's interesting. Right on. To answer your question, um, it did not look appetizing to me. I, no, I almost it ignored it completely it because you know I'm I'm focused on. Um, Joe Pantoliano and his doing his steak monologue and then the harp glissando that happens after his monologue, which is wonderful. Um, Do we have a deal, Mr. Reagan? You know, I know this steak doesn't exist. I know that when I put it in my mouth, the Matrix is telling my brain that it is juicy and delicious. After nine years... You know what I realize? (sighs) Ignorance is bliss. 
I would order the fish, that type of thing. I, I'm, you know how many times I've been to fancy steakhouses with my parents, and my dad is like, why'd you order steak? And I'm like, because I fucking like fish better. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm with you. It does not look that appetizing to me. But we should still have some type of fake steak, ignorance is bliss steak, like we were saying, as our developer's table. I like that idea. <laughs> Speaking of something else we need, in terms of food in this movie, I would love to serve gruel that comes out of a fire hose. Because in the scene with the gruel where they're eating, you know, everybody's around the table and uh, they're eating this, like, rice porridge. I think that's what it was. It looks like in real life, at least. Um, They serve it in these bowls out of, like, these containers. And I think it's Tank who serves Neo. And we get the shot of him, like... Like, like pouring, or not pouring, but like getting the gruel into a bowl by turning a handle on some apparatus. And the apparatus is 100% a fire hose nozzle. Like, oh, yeah. in terms of set design, they just took a fire hose nozzle, put it on this thing, a gruel, and they were like, yeah, this fucking works. So I was thinking, well, if somebody wants to order the gruel, you know, has all the nutrients the body needs, that type of thing, it comes out of a fire hose. This might be the, the antithesis to the caviar glory hole. Instead of a a liquidy food coming out of a glory hole, we are spraying it at our customers through a fire hose. And I'm talking high pressure. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, 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 I did pick up on the fact that it's a fire hose. And oh, I love yeah. That. I, I love this, the, the way it's dispensed. That is a uh, delight. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I figured if somebody wants this gruel, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe like a parent would order it for their kid type of thing. Be like, oh, you need some nutrients. The gruel has all the nutrients. Because that's what we should call it, too. It should be like gruel with all the nutrients the body needs or whatever Dozer says in that scene. Um, but I totally want it to just be shot out of a fire hose. <laughs> I think we should have a thing on the menu where you have any of the uh, uh, dishes served via fire hose. Ooh, interesting. Okay, I can get behind that. There's probably a lot of stuff in our spreadsheet that would be wonderfully served through a fire hose. The thing that comes to mind immediately is cigarettes, of course. <laughs> I just get a, a blast of cigarettes from a fire hose. Cigarettes a la fire hose. Like, that is delightful. That's awesome. That is fucking awesome. <laughs> I think the only other snack I had, it's not a snack, it's a, it's a thing, I'm just going to read what I wrote, because it, here we go. We need the ability to close up people's mouths. We need it. It would be so useful. That's all I wrote at the beginning of the movie. <laughs> but wouldn't it be great if a customer's being belligerent, so that mouth shut, if, a, if an employee, you know, we don't really want to face hugger them into birth a better employee, we think they might have a chance, well, make them stop talking to us. What do you think? Uh, <sighs> How can I argue with that? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Anything else? Well, that was all I had. I think I ran through all of them um, because, once again, this is one of those movies. I wasn't thinking too much about snacks. I was into this. Do you have any other restaurant uh, ideas? <sighs> there, there's probably stuff, but let's let I, we all know what next week's items going to be. Oh, it's it's got. Oh God, I feel like I'm. I feel like we're gonna have a doozy of snacks next week with the with reloaded. Absolutely. Uh, there's gonna be at least one guaranteed show. There's gonna be there's gonna be many snacks, but in our discussion of snacks, one snack is going to take up the majority of our discussion. I think that's what we're saying. Oh, right? oh, a hundred and ten percent. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. Well, Zach, we did it. We covered the Matrix. 
I don't know if it was good. I don't know if it was bad. I hope, you know, we get some feedback because, like we said at the start, we are probably unequipped to discuss a movie this important. Any final thoughts at the start of the, the – well, once again, we have no fucking idea what we're calling this. Is it the Matrix series? Is it the Wachowski series? Is it the um, the transition name series that you pitched at the start, Zach? We don't know yet. But any I'll final thoughts as way. we get into it? I'll just it? put it this way. The series is transitioning. We don't want to label it because that would be uncomfortable it's for us. It's transitioning into the second movie right now I think is what we're, yes, we're saying. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Okay, okay. Well, if there's nothing else, then I think, uh, as I mentioned before, we got to end this episode with Wake Up by Rage Against the Machine in Reverse. There's no other choice, right? No. With that out of the way, I can't wait till next week till we get to Reloaded. <laughs> that is going to be a doozy of an episode, and I can't wait to actually get into that movie. I, if there's nothing else, Orgasm we, K. Orgasm K. There we go. That's a, that's all you need. Sexual for next predator cake. <laughs> Monica Bellucci demanding Neo kiss her. Sexual assault. <laughs> the Merovingian saying there is no lipstick. Oh God, the twins! I cannot wait to talk about the twins and what I think they are in the Matrix. Oh my God, it's gonna be so good. Oh Zach, Zach, I, I have to say this is a great refresher after fucking Spider Man. <laughs> Well, Rob, Spider-Man is still ongoing. We still got two more episodes of that yeah, to deal with. I still know this is going to be better than – I'm going to enjoy that. I enjoyed this a lot more than Spider-Man, so. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for picking this, Zach. <laughs> no problem, bro. No problem. It's <laughs> so